Well, the, the, here's the thing with Soraya. I'm not sure that you're ever in a place where you're really 100% like, we're fine. <laughs> like, I feel like there's always, always going to be an issue or two where you're like, shiny. ooh. X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, evil mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. The only hope is X-Men. Welcome to Cerebro, the X-Men podcast, where a homo and his friends dig deep into the history of homo superior. I'm your host, Connor Goldsmith, and with me today is Dr. Khalid Anas, a researcher studying constructions of Arab identity, particularly with regard to gender, sexuality, belonging, and representations in mass media. Khalid is joining us from the future live <laughs> via satellite from Dubai, where it is tomorrow as we're recording this. How are you? Hello. Yes, I am. I'd like everyone to imagine me in white silk walking across the sand dunes, living my <laughs> R&B music fantasy, music video 90s fantasy, you know, just the <laughs> that's the vibe. I feel like recording the dust episode with a guest who is literally in <laughs> the Persian Gulf is... <laughs> A serve honestly like I when you were like oh I'm gonna be in Dubai is that okay I was like frankly that's a stunt and I love that I had to do it so you know I had to do it all. <laughs> I know you're originally from Bahrain are you visiting mm-hmm. family though in Dubai do you have family there yeah I'm visiting family in Dubai I'm also going to Bahrain as well uh, for next week and I'm also because I refuse to allow myself to just have a normal vacation I've decided to uh, somehow turn this into a possible work trip Uh, I have a couple of interviews lined up which should be exciting but well when you're studying marginalized communities overseas from where you are I mean I know that you're from there but I'm saying like you're based (laughs) in the UK yes when you're on site, I imagine you want to do some interviews and stuff, exactly. right? Because you're there. Exactly. I was like, well, I'm here. I, I have to do something. I was like, <laughs> like check in with the gay scene underground exactly. in Dubai because you're there. Exactly. I was like, oh, let me just find the fags. I mean, we're going to have to talk about a few things. You got to have know? to talk about it. What's going on? <laughs> what are the girls up to? <laughs> That's very mutant, right? It's like you find each other. It's very yes. X Men theme. Yes, yes, exactly. (laughs) Well, I'm really excited to have you on. Khaled and I met through the podcast and have become really good friends, which has been really delightful for me. Lovely, yeah. Hopefully for you also, Khaled. But uh, (laughs) I can (laughs) confirm or deny, I guess, maybe. I don't know. Uh (laughs) I was very, very nervous about this character. We're here to Mm -hmm. talk about Surya Kadir, a.k.a. Dust, or more recently, an onslaught revelation congregation which is yes. an interesting new twist that we'll get into i'm sure best hype stand out sorry i just have to get one in there <laughs> i really i really like this character i've liked her since i first encountered her as a teenager when she was introduced in the morrison run mm-hmm. in an issue that you and i have talked about at length and we'll get into yes. all of the, the messiness <laughs> of that issue because it's not perfect but it's not as you often say and as i've said about other characters in the past Mm -hmm. sometimes it's okay for a character to start with a stereotype if then we wind up with the character and we can do things with the character right exactly you know yeah I'm one of those people who I think we should embrace the problematic. Well, you're an academic. That's the whole, you know. Like. <laughs> that's the vibe. Whenever I see something like, oh, that's off. I'm just like, well, how can we fix it? 
how can we make it interesting? I mean, that's what this podcast is. is we trying to make exactly. sense of almost 60 years of continuity yes. by a whole bunch of different people. Mm-hmm. Before we get deep, just some business real quick. In the Celine episode with Alex Abad Santos, I forgot to mention a story <laughs> that is very funny that several people reached out to remind me about, which is in X-Men Unlimited 33. It's a short where Emma and Celine make a bet about who can seduce the hot new idiot who works at the Hellfire Club as a guard. (laughs) They're both trying to, like, enchant and charm him, but Mm -hmm. he's actually just trying to, like, get secrets to sell for money, and he ends up so stressed out by their, like, telepathic and (laughs) mystical incursions upon him over time that by the end of the story, he literally explodes. (laughs) And Celine decides technically that means Emma won because he never declared his love to Celine. Oh. It's a funny story worth reading. I forget about the unlimited stories a lot because they tend to be by writers who weren't regularly on the titles mm-hmm. and they're sort of one offs, but that is a cute one. I want to get Celine and Emma fighting again, you know? Oh, <laughs> I just absolutely. I just want more Celine. We need she who eats to come back. <laughs> And then I just wanted to clarify something about last week's episode on magic. Listener Alex Thornton wrote in with a really thoughtful letter. At one point in that episode, we're talking about the mutant metaphor, and I say doesn't work with race. Mm -hmm. I just want to be clear about what I mean by that. I absolutely 100% do not mean that if you see your experience reflected in the mutant metaphor, (laughs) that that's not a cool, good thing. We're about to talk about this with Uh us quite a bit, I imagine. I just want you to know that I've canceled you from the first sentence you said. It's over. (laughs) It's done. It's done. It's over for me. (laughs) That was a joke. I just want to clarify, I don't want to come across like I'm dismissing anybody else's reading where like I'm telling people of color, like, don't see yourself in the X-Men because obviously (laughs) I'm not like that would be insane to say, Mm -hmm. especially right now when they're dealing with it more than they ever have before. Mm -hmm. I mean, Araco is this African, Middle Eastern, Mediterranean community from 5,000 years ago that was a thriving mutant community that now we're learning about, which is, of course, parallel to a lot of things that white people don't know about that Mm -hmm. part of the world in the ancient world. And as Ashelaine illustrated really beautifully, the whole arc with Sync and the High Evolutionary is extremely parallel to a Black experience. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is, I think it's awkward when the white characters stand around saying this is racism about anti-mutant prejudice. Yeah. I think that that is not something that really stands up, especially as the books age. Like, mm-hmm. Claremont does it a lot. And when you yeah. go back and you look at something like God Loves, Man Kills, like the reason everybody makes fun, I mean, it's because of the shock. <laughs> of the n-word itself but uh-huh. the reason everybody makes fun of that scene between kitty and stevie hunter apart from the literal use of the n-word is uh-huh. that she's <laughs> equating the n-word with a slur about mutants and it's like yeah. that's not quite correct right yeah especially when you have characters like storm who are black mm-hmm. and a mutant kitty is an illustrative character here i think because while anti-semitism is a kind of racism and is something i experience 90 percent of the time when i'm walking around i am seen as a white person in America and I am not going to be treated in a racially aggressive way. Yeah. The experience of anti-Semitism as a quote unquote white Jew, however you want to put it, is Mm -hmm. not the same thing as experiencing color-based racism. Mm -hmm. Some of the people who really illustrated that for me and helped me understand the distinctions are Jews of color, like my client Rebecca Pierce, who is black and Jewish and can tell you that there are a lot of very different elements to those two experiences. I think that Scott Summers and Jean Grey's experience does not parallel the experience of racism. (laughs) And I think that therefore it's very important to have characters like Storm or like Bishop 
or like Kanan, people mm-hmm. who can talk about what they're experiencing in the world. Danny Moonstar is a great example yeah. of a character where she faces racism and anti-mutant prejudice. Yes. The reason I think it scans better onto some other kinds of marginalization like homophobia mm-hmm. or like anti-Semitism, the homophobic element is more about the experiential thing, which is that a lot of these characters at puberty, something happens that makes their families reject them. Right. And that is, I think, a very specific analog that is not something that scans onto, for example, the experience of race. Right. The anti-Semitism comparison, most of the time, unless you're like Hasidic, people don't know by looking at you that you're Jewish necessarily. Mm -hmm. If you are someone like Kitty Pride, I mean, she gives a great speech about this in the Bendis run. Yeah. Where she's like, I tell people up front that I'm a mutant and I'm a Jew because I want to know if that's a problem for them. Right. Black people don't have that opportunity to announce themselves. Right, right. Yeah. Now, there are people who pass. Obviously, there are a million multifaceted things that this topic touches on. Yeah. I think it's sort of that question of the double-edged sword of the metaphor, because it's so general, it makes it really applicable to a lot of situations, but also makes it incomplete. And we've sort of been having this conversation about, is the mutant metaphor enough? Right? Right. The thing is that, no, it's not. But also, it kind of is at times. And that's kind of like, for me anyway, part of the magic of sort of the idea of mutantdom within sort of the Marvel universe, because it's applicable. Like you said, it's not directly applicable. It stops short of sort of like being able to accurately or fully reflect sort of the experiences of say people of color or say uh, people with visible disabilities, people with invisible disabilities, people who have to deal with homophobia or transphobia, you know, these things do map onto it, but it's not perfect. In a setting where most of the characters who are in this minority group are white, it becomes awkward to do a one-to-one comparison. That's all I was trying to say. Obviously, there are many stories that draw on race very explicitly as the parallel. Mm -hmm. If you, as a person of color, think that this white character is getting at something that speaks to you, that's fantastic. They're straight characters getting at experiences that I think speak to me as a gay person. Like That's what it's all about, is us finding ourselves but it can very easily become like when white gay people are talking to black people and are sort of like Mm -hmm. well i get it it's like not really it's different yes there are all kinds of different bigotries that are different experientially and i think that the mutant metaphor scans less easily onto the experience of race when most of the major characters are white people that's all i was trying to say yeah if you are a reader who really identifies with the experience of mutants as being akin to racism i'm not in any way trying to take that from (laughs) you i'm more just saying that i think sometimes white writers draw too firm a line in a Mm -hmm. way that elide some of the complicated intersections that a character like Storm would experience. Yes. Yeah. I can't argue with any of that. I get what you're saying. And certainly that a character like Dust would experience. Yeah. She's got even more stuff going on. So that's a good segue into Mm. you first and foremost. I'd love to talk about your journey to the X-Men, how you came to this franchise, and we'll get to Soraya when it makes sense to get to her. (laughs) This is something that we will get to eventually, but um, there is a specific critique that when I was researching uh, Soraya that really like jumped up at me that I am hoping we'll eventually get to talk about, which is a critique done by a scholar named Evelyn El-Sultani, who pushed back against the character by uh, referring to it as 
a quote unquote simplified complex representation, which I think uh, may be a good sort of framework to think about sort of this conversation, because in many ways, you know, that is true. And if you're thinking of a muted metaphor, but also, you know, that doesn't mean that you can't do a lot of really interesting things with that. <laughs> right. I, I say as the academic who's really into problematic things. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. All right. And me, we're going to me now. Uh, we're going so to my, you now. <laughs> right. So my experience with the X-Men, I kind of had a very stop and start journey with it. I feel like I've always had a conception of like the X line. I feel like I've always known who Storm was. I feel like I've always known what the Phoenix is, what, mm-hmm. more or less. I can't track it back that far. But the first comic books that I ever picked up were Archie comics. And that's sort of how I really fell into the medium because they were the only comic books that were available for, to me in Bahrain and in Dubai, you know? Right, because they're pretty family friendly. I imagine there's a lot less that has to be futzed with. Yeah, exactly. And they were like very digestible. Well, if you see the X-Men books, you, you'd find them sort of like here and there about, but um, it was really hard to say, find like a collection or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Or to find a trade paperback or whatever it is, or a Marvel masterwork or whatever but I remember uh, I mentioned the fact that I loved the Archie comics when I was a kid because I would sort of obsessively collect them and my uncle once uh, you know he's seen me with like all these comic books and he used to travel a lot around the Gulf area of the region and he'd go to Saudi a lot and Saudi in case people don't know is like a bootleg mecca Uh, (laughs) it's like a bootleg mecca you'll find Almost everything there. And uh, when I was a kid, once he came back to me... You mean a Mecca for acquiring bootlegs, not yes. a bootleg version of <laughs> no, Mecca. No. Just to be clear, <laughs> yes, for anyone listening. Exactly. It's not a bootleg version of Mecca. Saudi has a real Mecca. It has the real Mecca. I was like, isn't it actually there? <laughs> yeah, when I said it, I was just like, hmm, this, this might be confusing. <laughs> I but, was uh, like, You're about to, we're about to get real canceled. <laughs> but yeah, it's a, mega, it's a mecca for bootleg stuff. And uh, he once came to me with like the stapled together photocopied version of like the classic X-Men comic books that had like the 60s early stuff and that had the um, word balloons widened out and written over back in it, which is like pen or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. The stories were largely similar, but obviously there was some... Uh, artistic choices made into changing them would be stuff like, you know, one thing, Jean and Scott's romantic flirtations or relationship were kind of like, they attempted to mute them. And it got really weird because these books sort of cast them as brother and sister. So the text was rewritten in Arabic and they were brother and sister. Yeah. And I mean, that probably goes a long way to explain why I still feel uncomfortable reading them as a couple. I'm just like suspicious. I'm like, mm, this is getting a bit, you know, Cersei and Jamie. Stop you know? kissing your sister, Scott. <laughs> Please stop mooning That's Nightcrawler's over job. <laughs> exactly. Stop mooning over her. There's a, a lovely and adequate gay kid right over there that's seeking attention from some man in the room. True. <laughs> Poor Bobby. He just needs some love. But yeah, so that was, I have that memory of like having those books and like being sort of fascinated with like the world of like superheroes. And I think that's where an interest in the X-Men probably like was first seated in my head. Anyway, you flash forward a bunch of years later um, and yeah, and I was sort of always interested in these characters and because they were really hard to access where I was, um, I sort of ended up 
doing what I kind of do with everything else. I'm a person who identifies as a lore whore. So mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I really, I'm-, I'm Well, you're among kid. friends here on Cerebro, exactly. obviously. I know, I'm just like, I'm one of those kids who was like on Comic Vine, scrolling, memorizing all the details. <laughs> I still remember that picture of Emma Frost with like her hands outstretched, like looking like she was like walking down a runway. Like I was, uh, Emma Frost was like one of my first loves in comic books. And I remember like becoming obsessed with, uh, um, sort of the page, uh, the comic book page for Storm and like all these characters. And that's sort of how I built my sort of reference catalogs. I ended up reading sort of these large summaries of all these stories that they've sort of been through. And like, I end up like Googling uh, sort of scans as, and like try and like piece together the sort of jigsaw of like the overarching story. Yeah, there's a letter <laughs> actually, um, when we get to mm -hmm. the the question section there's a letter from a listener in Pakistan who did something mm -hmm. very similar like assembling trying to get a whole issue together from yeah. google searches or from like <laughs> scans daily or whatever like this here's a page can i get the issue into a folder exactly. and it would all always be like it would just be like a collection of people's feats and like their biggest <laughs> coolest moments so like i also have like um, for a second I, have... I heard that as a collection of their feet so like oh. like wiki feet but for the x-men <laughs> You know what? That is a gold different journey. Mine. That would be a, a different journey. That but is it's a gold waiting, mine to be waiting to be tapped, Honestly, honestly, yeah. you know what? Can we like cut this out of the episode? I'm gonna. I'm gonna so like, that. we should trademark that. <laughs> Superfeet.com. Exactly. Oh god! Instead of soft serve, maybe we should just get a foot mutant next. <laughs> I hate. I hate that concept, and I won't acknowledge it any further. I mean, come on, he'd be better than iBoy. Uh, I mean, like, Hank is the foot mutant, though. Like, we've already got a foot mutant. Please don't bring Hank into the safe space. <laughs> <laughs> please, not not the man who wanted to fuck a cat. <laughs> That's true. So that was an X-Men Unlimited story. See, this is mm -hmm. the thing. That one I remembered, because you don't forget <laughs> Hank McCoy trying to fuck a mutant cat. Hank McCoy tried to fuck a cat. And then when he found out that it was just a cat, he was still like, mm, maybe. <laughs> So you were looking to get into these comics. You had an attachment to Emma. What was your right. first actual issue? So the first issue years later that I ended up finding a comic book store that actually had semi uh, regular, semi like in time with when they were being released in America comic books. And the first issue I ever picked up and uh, <laughs> is the Sisterhood arc. Matt, uh. Matt Fraction. <laughs> so I got a double dose swallow of Matt Fraction and Greg Ladd. And I was just like, OK, this is um, the stupid one. <laughs> Iconic. You know what we are. You know what we are, babe. We're ladies fucking mastermind. We're fucking illusionists. Illusions, babe. It's uh that is a Iconic. wild place to start, honestly. <laughs> yeah, but like it ended up and of all the of all the comics to make it to the right? Gulf, Greg Land, that's kind of shocking. <laughs> I think at that point they were just like, whatever. These whatever. Kids, right. <laughs> <laughs> these kids don't know what they what they're reading. Uh, so yeah, it was the Sisterhood arc that was like my first, I guess, true thing, I proper entry that I paid for. And since then, I kind of read every single issue that sort of got released in the X line. I kept up to date. And um, sort of my love and fascination and commitment to the X world was forged. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Forged. That is a character I need to get a guest for. I truly Ooh. like, I, well, I've just been like, I was looking at my to-do list mm -hmm. and he's just a very conspicuous gap. 
because I'm like almost all the way through the 80s. And I was like, wait, Forge. <laughs> oh, and the, wasn't he like really big in the 90s as well? He was. Then, yeah. I just feel yeah. like I don't, I, I feel like I just, he doesn't have that many. Who loves Forge? Forge Hive, stand up. Who, where are the Forge stands at? <laughs> Forge Hive, please stand up because um, we're a bit lost here. I mean, we're I like A little him. bit. Yeah. I mean, listen, I think he's fun and all. I'm just, mm. you know, just, just thinking aloud. Anyway, I know that one of the things you got really into Mm-hmm. after so you went back is my recollection to Morris. yes and uh so be, be, because i was uh i stepped into the world of fractional land and you know what I, I i think i'm i agree with you i think there's a lot to um really enjoy about the fraction era and so i did enjoy it listen i just hate the decimation i think that fraction has fun with yeah. the setting that he's been given you know what i mm-hmm. mean the yeah. art is the problem for me. I just can't. Yeah. I can't deal with Greg Land for that prolonged <laughs> a period of time. Like if it was yeah. a fill in here or there, but mm-hmm. it's like every other issue. Every other issue. It was a lot. Or sometimes whole arcs, and it's just like I can't. I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was uh, interesting. But yeah, so basically, I uh, I managed to like befriend the comic book store keep guy and he would uh sort of tell i tell him like oh i'd really want to read more of these x-men and he'd managed to order me all these books that were being released and um the first book that i really fell in love with and gravi- gravitated to was morrison's x-men i mean uh, it's been talked up i think more than enough but yeah i'm one of those people who's a morrison disciple i read mm-hmm. all of those I, I recently read those books as well you did a fun live thread on yeah the... i did I, I i've been getting into a couple of did the gene stands come at you i mean i'm <laughs> i have to say like they are the passion Wild. i have to respect <laughs> the passion of the gene gray mm-hmm. twitter stands but it does sometimes alarm yeah i just need them to realize that if i love someone i'm going to drag them to bed exactly as much as I like can. i think jean's a fascinating character that's why i'm yeah. in front of her so much like exactly it's okay, it's okay we can for say us she's to make a bully. She's she a bully. is she really is she, she really is. is she is kind she, rachel came to her and said hey you're my mom and she said mm, no <laughs> i don't think so bitch that's not nah. my recollection <laughs> she said miss me with that and i'm just like and i love that i love that i think that's great no this is the thing my favorite gene stuff is when gene is fucking horrible that's why yeah. i love the morrison run i think that yes. it is a gene who is allowed to be horrible in a way that's mm-hmm. really fun and especially as an emma fan mm-hmm. as i know you also are in a big way yes when Emma's one of your favorites, that run is really fun because it sets up her and Jean as very equal mm-hmm. opponents, I yes. think, in the social drama that's playing out. Mm-hmm. They are two really strong women who are, I think, the center of that entire run. Yeah. The tension between the two of them, mm-hmm. between their philosophy on life, obviously, between their romantic entanglements with the same man. But mm-hmm. I find New X-Men 139 to be in many ways like the climax of the whole book. Yeah. It's when the two of them finally really fucking throw down, you know? Right. Yeah, I completely agree with you. That is, I mean, I, I compared it, I think this is Morrison's Dark Phoenix saga in terms yeah, of like, the monumental moment. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love that arc because I think it shows both of those characters. It shows, it clarifies the things that I really love about both of them. And the fact that like Jean is, 
she's ferocious like when she unleashes in that way she's ferocious she can be overwhelming but she also um she's a bully like you know like like you and Sarah were talking about she right. is a person who is a bully and while on the other hand it shows you like the depth of Emma Emma walks right up to Jean and pokes her essentially like dares yeah. her to do something very mm. very aggressively and, and Jean punches her in the face that's the thing <laughs> Jean's response though is like it's not like Jean doesn't have a reason to be pissed at Emma but Jean's yeah. response is crazy outsized it's outsized we'll we'll get we'll get we'll get there when we get there because i do think that emma's position as a teacher Mm -hmm. is an important part of dust story yes one of the very iconic issues of the morris run is six issues before that in Mm -hmm. 133 it's the cover that is just dust's eyes staring out of the niqab it's her debut it's the first appearance of sraya kadir dust i still remember when i first like flipped through that uh, that book and i just saw that cover and i was just like oh i really recognize that image that i sort of just saw oh it's it's like a muslim afghani woman character who is a mutant and like you know we, we talk a lot about how unafraid morrison was how revolutionary the things that they did were that issue in itself is rather problematic but you know I think we need to I mean not to give white people too much but I (laughs) (laughs) but I'm gonna give you like okay you actually went in there and that issue also came out in 2001 right 2002 2002 one year after Mm 9-11 and it's right between the Afghanistan war and the Iraq war yeah so like the fact that Morrison just went for it yeah I'm just like okay it was the first depiction I at age 14, had mm-hmm. ever seen of a Muslim woman who is observant in this way, like a very observant Muslim woman presented in both a sympathetic and heroic light. Right. I had literally never seen that. And it was obviously something people were talking about a yes. lot at the time. I remember for some reason, in terms of like my recollection of the first time I read that story, I also remember the critiques around it reading the critiques of Soraya, this Muslim woman suddenly appearing in this comic book, whether it's a fair representation, whether it's a good representation, whether it's a problematic one. And that was going on, you know, from the very first issue that she did. And she's a character that always sort of captured my interest and attention because she is someone who is, uh, she is very much a character that the context around her are really important. Throughout her journey, whenever she pops up, she ends up reflecting, I guess, the cultural conceptions of not just um, Arab identities, Muslim identities, Muslim women identities at the time, but also the way in which the continuous evolution of sort of those identities and those conceptions of those identities by the Western media that is shaping her and creating her. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. And that always like intrigued me as someone who went on to become a person who researches issues of representation identity. That is really right. the thing that attracts me and I think still keeps me really interested in what this character is doing and where she's going and where she's been. Because, yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, I guess we're in, we're into dust now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, I, I, did you see how I did that? It was a very like sort of yeah. a sneaky. You, you, you're, you're too good at this. It's not, it's not. This <laughs> is episode 57. If I wasn't any good at it, we'd be in trouble. I am impressed. Uh... <laughs> so New X-Men 133 is mm-hmm. by Grant Morrison and Ethan Van Skyver. 
we're not going to get into it. Google mm-hmm. it if you want to. Google it. Be careful. How be you careful what you I tweet, mean, honestly, because mm-hmm. they're, they're out there. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> some some people like to search their names. Some people so like to search that- their names. So be, be cautious. We talk about that man for too long and it's like, honey, you got a big storm coming. So we're just going to leave him. Where he's that is not, true. He is not in this space with us right now. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Anyway, that. <laughs> it's kind of a Wolverine adventure. Yeah. It involves Phantom X, who is a character mm-hmm. who I <laughs> think is great in the Morrison run. And I'm very, very iffy on basically yeah. every other time he appears. Yeah. He's great when he's a parody. When he has he's to like, be a joke. Exactly. Otherwise, exactly. it doesn't work. Like, he's a Diabolique, Fantomas kind of parody yes. character. And when you lean into that, I think it's really fun. Yeah. But when we have to take him seriously... I'm just like, I didn't watch the last James Bond film. I don't want to read this. <laughs> See, and I like James Bond even, but I'm like, mm, I don't know. I don't know about all of this. <laughs> you know, different story. Different also, story? like, stay away from Betsy, except for the girl Phantom X. That was fine. Please stay away from Betsy. Boy Phantom just... X needs to keep a wide berth from my girl at all times. Please. we. I mean, uh, Rachel's right there. Also, he really actually, you know who he really needs to stay away from? Connor. Because you know that Phantom X doesn't understand <laughs> That he wasn't dating her. No. And even when it's been explained to him, he's still He's refusing. still going to be like, but wait, I don't get it. Right. So, you know, I don't get it. I don't get it. Uh, I don't oh, get it. It is the same Mon woman. I, woman, I know that face. It's like Phantom X. No. That's dark. That's dark. I wouldn't wish that on Connor. And that would be a funny scene, but not something I want to do to her. Oh, God. Yeah. Anyway. Soraya is, if you're not familiar with this character at all, I mean, it's on the cover art, but basically she (laughs) has a very distinctive visual design that I think is part of why she became a really reliable cameo queen. Yeah, Yeah. she she just stuck around a lot. Yeah. I think it's because you look at her and you go, there she is, that's Dust, Mm -hmm. which is that Dust wears a black abaya and niqab, traditional Mm -hmm. Muslim garb. Although, as you pointed out to me, (laughs) and I am an idiot who didn't realize this, It's not right. She should be wearing a burqa, which is what they call it constantly in the comic, but it's not drawn as a burqa. No, it's not. It's a niqab and a nabaya, like you said. And those are, I mean, I mean, they're, I guess it's conceivable that women in Afghanistan would wear a niqab and a baya, I guess. But really, it's more of a Persian Gulf states thing yeah, you so said she looks, looks like she's from saudi she looks like she's from saudi she looks like she, she might be from kuwait saudi not really afghanistan that feels incorrect and you know there's also other things like the fact that she speaks arabic and we know right. she speaks arabic you know i mean I, I i know why upon seeing her alarm bells might r- ring for people you know what i mean like yeah she is a woman in Muslim garb from head to toe. You only really see her eyes and her hand, mm-hmm. you know, in observation with modesty, Perda. But then she also can turn into a whirlwind of sand. So yeah. <laughs> there's like sort of a tornado emerging around her at all times. It's a very cool visual. But, you know, she also, she turns into a desert. <laughs> she explodes into sand specifically, which is not, it is, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a little... Bit. I mean, well, it's very X-Men though, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you go back to Giant Size X-Men number one by Ween and Cockrum, like Colossus literally becomes the Iron Curtain. Storm Mm. is a literal Earth Earth Mother Mother goddess. Like, (laughs) you know, they're all kind of broad racial stereotypes power-wise a little bit. Uh Uh-huh. Wait, what what does that say about Banshee? (laughs) 
Well, he screams. Well, but he's, I mean, he's like, his power is that he's like an Irish myth. Like, it's a little on the nose, right? Like, he's a man is the only thing that's different. But it's like, and he doesn't know anything about dead people. But you get what I'm saying. Like, I kind of like like that his name is Danchi. I like it too. Especially especially once we find out that uh, Siren's mom is the one who called him that. Because Mm -hmm. that's fun. It becomes like kind of a very Claremont femdom moment. Actually, can I just, if I could interrupt you for one second. Because you mentioned Siren. And that reminded me of the Siren episode. Which reminded me of Valentine Smith. And I just got to take a moment to stand. A queen, you are wearing your Zaladane shirt. I am shirt wearing right my Zaladane shirt. I am currently in Dubai, but I got word that my order should be arriving soon for the for new Cerebral Cerebro merch. Available at tpublic.com slash user slash Cerebro, or you can find a link at cerebrocast.com. Beautiful. The new Valentine M. Smith X Cerebro collaboration, Dating Polaris is Gay, is available now. It's done in the style of a romance comic, like it's those so, Archies that you love so much. I, yes, it's so beautiful. It's really... It's when so she good. showed it to me, I screamed. I was like, this is exactly what I want. So <laughs> I mean, Valentine Smith is one of those people that I'm just like, I love you, but I kind of hate how good you are at this. And I'm just like, I feel like I should Shockingly hate you. <laughs> talented. Yeah, no. Shockingly. Not fair. Also, everybody who's listening, please, please, please go to Valentine's Twitter. Go to Zoe's Twitter because they're working on Blade Maidens. Yes, which... Valentine Smith and Zoe Tanel's new project, Blade Maidens, is out now. It and it is bit of it. amazing. It's it's amazing. Mm -hmm. It's great. But yeah, so Soraya is introduced in circumstances that I think could Mm -hmm. be accurately described as Orientalist, let's say. (laughs) The issue is very barbaric East kind of vibe. She is a refugee who has been separated from her mother and kidnapped by slave traders, presumably Mm -hmm. sex trafficked. And one of them tries to remove Brady Cobb to, you know, examine the merchandise that they're going to be selling Ugh. and her mutant power, as we've seen with other characters like mm-hmm. Skids, like Ilyana last week, her mutant power activates essentially to help her escape. Right. In this case, what manifests is the ability to explode into a storm of tiny silica sand particles mm-hmm. and flay all of the men in the room alive. Yes, Queen Flay. <laughs> she rips all the flesh off their bones, strips them to skeletons. It's honestly shocking. There's a, there's a panel. Iconic. There's Iconic. A panel. <laughs> She's just like lying there, like sort of in a fugue, like dissociating, basically like, what the fuck is going on? Phantom X is pointing at her like, here's what happened. He's explaining to, he's explaining to Wolverine what happened. She can't see more. All yeah. of them, they're dead. All of them. The flesh was stripped from their bones. <laughs> Mon Dieu. I don't know why that's oh. why. <laughs> but he's like, <laughs> he's like, he's, I actually don't know what a Belgian accent sounds like. And Phantom uh. X specifically is fake Belgian. Is he? Oh my yeah. I thought he was so fake he's French. speaking French, but no, it's specifically Belgian, which is oh funny as a detail. Um, but it's fake to begin with. So us making it up, it can't be any worse than it's him making it up, fine. right? For some reason, I feel like I'm coming across more like Gambit. <laughs> well, that's my promise. I'm just going into Gambit voice, which is not mm. the same voice. But anyway, the panel, so Phantom X is like explaining and point and gesturing to this girl mm. who's like lying on the ground in like a fetal position. And Wolverine has his hands on his hips, like what's going on here? And all around them, are these horrible skeletons <laughs> that just have like a little bit of meat on them. Like they've all got some meat on their faces, and like kind of some like drumsticks going on, but it's, it it's mostly looks like vultures have been picking at them for months. Yeah. It's like, imagine it's horrible. Like a mountain of skulls, like very part of the Caribbean. Skulls and meat. It's just like very dark. 
Yeah, just like if you, if you're if you don't have the issue on hand just right now, just imagine just like a girl in a niqab and abaya, just like on top of a mountain of skull emojis, because that's the vibe. <laughs> kind of, except that she's like lying on the ground. She looks kind of like she just fell down and was yeah. like, "I'm staying right here." I don't know, like <laughs> like she reincorporated and was like, "I am not moving because yeah. that could happen again," and I don't know. So the only word that she will say is turab, which turab. is Arabic. It can mean a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. College told me that it mostly is used to mean sand sand yes i think calling the muslim mutant sand would probably <laughs> in english would probably have been like they, let's not maybe yeah you know? let's i really i'm like for a while whenever sort of the the, the name discourse for Soraya pops up i'm just like we just go back to turab it's really fun to say <laughs> it is fun to say but i do love congregation yeah and we'll get there for sure it can mm-hmm. also mean soil or earth Yes. Notably, it does sometimes mean dust. There is a surah mm-hmm. in the Quran where it's used to mean dust specifically. Yes. So, you know, it's not mistranslated, but it's not the mm-hmm. most common translation. But anyway, it's what she keeps saying over and over and over again. So they just call her dust because basically dust. they take her to escort Mumbai because this is the era when every character nobody cared about at the time <laughs> was just shunted off into an ex-corporation somewhere. And Farrell was big in Japan or wherever it was. I guess. So yeah, basically <laughs> this, was, this was actually, this was one thing I really do remember about this issue strongly is that at the time I'm like a teenager who's really fussy about continuity and knows yeah. everything about the fucking X-Men. So <laughs> I was really pissed that Morrison, and now I'm just like, who the fuck cares? But at the time I was just like, this isn't right. That Morrison <laughs> puts Farrell and Thorne together right. on Excorp Mumbai when it's like, first of all, Farrell and Thorne hate each other. And the last time we saw them, Thorne turned state's evidence to get Farrell put away for murdering their younger siblings mm-hmm. and Farrell's in prison <laughs> for life. So I was just like, what's happening? Here's the real answer. It doesn't matter. It yeah. truly doesn't matter. Or give us a Lex- an X-Men Legends arc about like sure. Farrell getting smuggled out. Why not? <laughs> jail. It turns out Farrell's innocent. Yeah. Justice for Farrell. Justice for Farrell. <laughs> Shout out to Daryl A.O. Braithwaite, who I'm sure is listening. <laughs> Farrell did nothing wrong. But, so yeah, the rest of X-Crip Mumbai is Neil Shara. That makes sense. Because mm-hmm. he's from India. And then Warpath and mm-hmm. Sunfire, weirdly. Yeah. I really hope Karima was like their big villain <laughs> at the time. <laughs> I want to know always what Karima's up to. Yeah. I enjoy her. I'm excited to see whatever the fuck is going on with her. In oh my God. I really, I really like, uh, that was the thing that kept me up at night after reading that. I issue. know. I, just, I know. Like... We can't get it. We can't get into it. But... <laughs> no, we can't. We can't. <laughs> but yes, I'm desperate to know. Tweet me for theories. Theory. I have theories. <laughs> yeah. We've got theories. We've both got theories that are good and we'll talk mm. about them someday. Maybe. Yes. But anyway, she is just freaking out. Turab, 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 turab. I mm-hmm. turned into sand and killed all these guys, which is, <laughs> to be fair, a pretty fair stressful enough. thing to experience at like 15 or 16 or however old mm-hmm. she's supposed to be. Jean Grey shows up and is able to communicate with her telepathically. This is another thing that like, it's a little of a, a little bit of like a white woman white savory moment. Yeah. Uh, and you know, this comic is 20 years old. It was published yeah. 20 years ago. Like, here's my thing. I think mm-hmm. Grant Morrison is a really interesting left-wing creator. I think yeah. that this was a really bold, radical story to tell mm-hmm. at the time. I also think that like with Angel Salvador yeah. in this run, who's another character that I love, but has a lot of stereotypical things tied up in her character mm-hmm. and isn't necessarily always well-served by yeah. the narrative, I think that Morrison, by their own admission, would probably agree that race is a place where sometimes they fall down because they're white right. and they're from yeah. Scotland. And like, there's mm. only so much you're going to, you know, nail on that. And also, like, since you mentioned Angel, I think 
I guess the, the thing that I guess if we're going to compare Dust and Angel, I think the thing about that is that Dust had more chances to really develop as a character. Yes, they've spent time with other writers were interested mm-hmm. in Dust. I think it's very notable that when the decimation happens, Dust is one of the 27 students total who gets kept. Yeah. And Angel gets decimated. She stays off that bus. Angel does stay (laughs) off the bus. Smart girl. (laughs) But looking at the two characters, the idea of dealing with the teen mom angle probably Mm -hmm. seemed more daunting than the idea of digging into Soraya, who hadn't been established really at all beyond this initial story. We're going to go chronologically this episode because Mm -hmm. Soraya has been in a lot of issues. She has Zaladanes upon Zaladanes, (laughs) but a lot of the time it's really just, as Khaled pointed out, cameo queen status because you can throw her into a group shot next to armor and you will know who she is. You're like, Mm -hmm. I know who those three characters are mercury from her squad the hellions is another one rock slide like those characters you can throw them into a group shot and go i know that person yes you know so she's in a lot of comics like that Mm -hmm. there aren't that many stories focused on her and so that's really what we're going to jump around to and we're going to go through the chronology because i do think the thing that's interesting about this character is how she has grown and developed over time Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, speaking, if we, if Dust was only in that one issue, we wouldn't be here. Yeah, you know what no, I mean? we wouldn't be here. It's because <laughs> other writers, and, you know, we're about to clown on Academy X a whole lot, I bet. Uh. So, <laughs> to be clear. Keep me from talking about Surge for as long as possible. <laughs> well, that's, why we're, we're gonna, that's why we're going chronologically. We're going to talk about Morrison for a bit first. But I do have to say, I think it is really admirable that Nunzio DeFilippis and Christina Weir decided to make this character a really important character in their story, which they didn't have to do. Yeah. I just, man, the execution on Academy X is... Shaky. Shaky. There are some really good storylines there for a few characters. I have now finally read it all straight through. Yeah. I hope all of you freaks are happy. <laughs> I was going to say, I did want to like personally apologize to you for making you Oof. read New X-Men colon Academy X. Yeah. I, which is uh, also, can we just uh, say that's an insult to Grant Morrison? Yeah, can no, just- <laughs> it's called Academy X. And I continue to call it Academy X even through the mm. Kyost run, which is just called New X-Men, because I'm sorry, New X-Men is Grant Morrison's X-Men. Yeah. It's very specific. Yeah. If you say New X-Men, we know that you're talking about that book. Yeah. And no one is talking about Academy X. First of all, no. like, period, not to be a bitch. <laughs> but <laughs> Not to be a bitch, but to be, be a bitch. No, I'm kidding. Like Academy no, X. Well, the thing, is, the, thing is, the thing that's shocking to me is how many people are talking about Academy X relentlessly. Right. I can't escape it. And so that's why, despite, I mean, you'll notice, looking at the list here, I have done <laughs> one Academy X character before Pixie. this episode. Uh, two. Oh, you know what? I didn't even think of Pixie as Academy X oh because Fraction used her so much. No, you're right. I've only done two before this. Pixie and Bling. Bling! And Bling! <laughs> exclamation Bling! point. Bling! Wasn't even in Academy X. She pops up in the Milligan run later. Yeah. I will say that I'm one of those people who will be like, yeah, sure. Technically, Dust is part of Academy X, but she's but a But actually, creation. she's a Morrison character. Let us, if we're going to keep it 100. Let's not forget. Yeah, No. <laughs> And I think that's another reason that she has survived. Yes. Angel and Beak did get tossed out because I think people truly did not know what to do and with them. I am fine with that. Well, yeah, you hate Beak. You can't, <laughs> I, you can't take Beak. 
I, it's just, it's, it's the iBoy problem. No, I get it. I can't deal with iBoy. I truly like, iBoy could be the nicest character (laughs) in the world, could be the most compelling whatever. Mm -hmm. I I take everybody's word for it. And I'll be like, ew. I have to ironically (laughs) cover my eyes and squint at the page when I'm looking at iBoy because he makes me physically uncomfortable to look at. So if that is your beak struggle, I, because listen, that's what they were going for. It's a lot, but I will say like, as also as a Morrison fan who also loves Animal Man, beak is the closest I've ever come to like experimenting with veganism <laughs> i was just, just like, like mm, maybe mm. some points were made <laughs> maybe some points were made i like that character but yeah he mm. is he is a real grotesque <laughs> he is unsightly yeah i will say I, I i'm glad he he was decimated wasn't he he and angel were both decimated and they were just hot exactly and you know what uh, stay away from the crucible you don't need that um well mother vine <laughs> repowered them so they're back oh, no. yeah another thing to blame emma frost for uh <laughs> <laughs> i blame claudine renko for mother vine personally <laughs> i guess i could blame miss sinister was she involved that's who claudine <laughs> renko okay. is yeah oh, i did not know her name i just think of her as sinister but fab <laughs> more fab <laughs> but to go to go back, I think that the other Morrison students, because of the prestige of being a Grant Morrison mm-hmm. character, did often get carried through. You have a lot of Stepford Cuckoo stuff. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of dust stuff. No one could fucking resist bringing back Quentin Choir, even though that character Ugh. should absolutely have stayed dead. He should have stayed in the jar. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Riot Xavier's is one of the best X-Men series ever, and then they just decided to just use him again a bunch, yeah. I guess. And not to trigger you with more Academy X, but I remember, I know we talked about this before, but I'm mad at Quentin for eating Julian's lunch as well, like you, told, you said before. Yeah, because like... here's the thing. Hellion is basically... The the same archetype of like powerful mm-hmm. psychic who is a douchey white guy except he actually sort of like like he's an asshole but he's not evil yeah he's like the asshole he's he's like your asshole best friend you know what well, I mean? in the arc that we're gonna get to that's important mm-hmm. for dust i was 100 team julian so I mean, we'll get there <laughs> when 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 dust said a cap <laughs> yeah whenever when said a cap except for danny Moonstar, except for, for some reason bizarre we'll get there well, no, there's that's... a reason why, and it was because she was stigmatized by that FBI uh... agent. But that's <laughs> fucked up. I refuse that's fucked that. Up, Danny. I I rebuke it. I re- that's I, I fully that... rebuke that. But we're we're getting off. We're getting off. We're getting off. We have to go back. We're gonna get there. <laughs> okay, Kyle, okay, we're gonna okay. get there. We're gonna 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 get there. So, Jean shows up at Expert Mumbai, bitch. Like we're still back at Expert Mumbai. This is bad. So, Jean shows up at Expert Mumbai. She helps. Soraya, calm down. She gets into her head telepathically and they can communicate and the language barrier isn't an issue, so that's helpful. Mm -hmm. Soraya doesn't know where her mother is. They've been separated. Yeah, for two years at the point we meet her. Yeah, Yeah, it's been a long time. Mm -hmm. So because they don't have a great way of finding a refugee in war-torn Afghanistan at the moment, they decide, well, uh, do you want to come home with us and learn how to use your powers? And she's like, yeah, okay, so that makes they sense. They pulled a storm on her, which they do, they've do. they done more than once. They're like, oh, you're, <laughs> you could be useful. <laughs> well, I th- yeah, I think in this case also, she just, this one, much unlike Storm, she truly has nowhere to go. So they're True. like, come with us, I guess. So she goes back with them to Westchester and she is put into the special class, which is the main group we focus on in the Morrison run outside of Emma's 
classwork with the Stepford Cuckoos and the brief focus on Quentin Quire during Riot at Xavier's, mm -hmm. the student body we see most of the time is the class that Angel and Beaker in, which is the special class for sort of like difficult students that Zorn teaches. It's not super clear why Soraya is put in this class. I think it's because she doesn't speak English. <laughs> I mean, but it's like Xavier taught Ilyana Rasputin English just by tapping her on the head. So, I, and honestly, this comes up later, like because I guess Charles like forgot. To be fair, he's been busy, like the Cassandra Nova. Was he at busy? All. I mean, uh, yeah, that's there was true. a lot happening for him space. at this moment. But mostly, I think it was that, like he could walk again. And as we all know from the '80s, when Charles Xavier can walk again, he's just hooping it up at the basketball court. <laughs> he's too busy jogging. <laughs> yeah, like he just wants to be out and about, baby. So. <laughs> For whatever reason, he has not thought to teach Soraya English, so she's in Zorn's mm -hmm. class just sort of trying to have remedial classwork. <laughs> or whatever. She also might be a little bit older than some of the others, so it's yeah. like un not super clear. Not to get into age discourse, but I've always seen her as like being older than a bit of the people around her. Certainly, I mean, she comes across as older than Serge, but that might mm -hmm. be because Serge is so... Is a heinous human being? Uh yeah, look up there. <laughs> This is where the worm turns on the Zorn reveal because there's this very weird moment where mm -hmm. we open with them in class and Zorn is sort of confronting her, like pressing her to answer his question. And we don't really know what it is. But then mm -hmm. Xavier encounters her and she's like, hey, uh, I need help. Zorn is not right. Like something yeah. bad is happening. And Xavier is just like basically reacts as though she's being hysterical. Like he's sort yeah. of like... What are you talking about? Zorn's the best. Completely in character for Charles. Yeah. And she's like, help me, <laughs> Professor Xavier. Help in English. You're my only which, hope. Yeah. As we know, is like not her native language. And it's like a shaky, wavy bubble because she's mm -hmm. fucking made of sand. She explodes from stress in the Cerebra chamber and fucks mm -hmm. up Cerebra, which is the advanced Cerebro that they were using at that time. So mm -hmm. not great. Then Zorn appears and basically shoves her in a jar. A lot of students in jars in this era. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> just two, but you know, two is more than one, which yeah, is I think more than you would expect at most learning institutions. And technically, like uh, Cassandra ended up in like a human jar, if you think about it. Isn't that what Ernst is kind of a jar, so yeah. that's three. Martha, Martha also in a jar, so that is that's four. Like, <laughs> that's that's a lot. four jar students, actually. Now that we're thinking about it. Oh, well, oh and also God. you could maybe like dummy is in that suit that's like right. a gas contained within a suit. If you think of the suit as a jar, that's five students in a jar. Should we have a jar team? We should have a jar team. I feel like maybe the <laughs> jar squad should be back on Krakoa. Yeah. Jarhead X. Next book. Come on. There <laughs> Give you it go. Jarheads. Jarheads. <laughs> I like that. And everybody's like, what does Jarhead 10 mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's 10 jars there'll be more ten ten. <laughs> jars oh also we should include um who's who was the one that got stuck in a jar in x of swords she should be in there oh red root yeah red root should be in that there. bitch is still in a jar as far as we know jim jaspers has her in a shelf somewhere i i'm sure he thinks of her as a very lovely houseplant <laughs> well now that but now that bay the blood moon is hanging out with excalibur i bet they're gonna go save her right because like yeah. the Cohen's don't know that girl they don't know she's in a jar like we need an iraqi person to be like wait 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 our friend is in a jar <laughs> They didn't see that she's in a jar. She's just missing. But like, you get what I She'll mean. She'll just like pop up, be like, bitch, we're in Mars now. What the fuck is this? When did we get to Mars? <laughs> we are thriving. Love that for <laughs> us. I just spent four months in a jar. Thanks for looking for me, maybe. I hope he feeds her. I bet he does. She's okay. useful. She has like Doug powers. You know that Jim Jaspers loves that. 
Yeah, I guess that would be useful in other worlds. Anyway, sorry. Go anyway, <laughs> we digress. So it turns out, like, Zorn is explaining this casually to Professor Xavier. He's like, oh, well, I tried to make her renounce her religion <laughs> because I think that her faith in Islam above her faith in her own species is right. regressive or whatever. And <laughs> Professor Xavier's like, what? That's... <laughs> That's really inappropriate. And then he rounds the corner. This is a, this is, I mean, like he should have noticed this probably a while yeah. ago, but it is at least a testament to Charles as an educator, I guess. And he's like, yeah, that doesn't feel like something we should do at my school. I mean, I, I don't want to say it's a testament to Charles and Xavier. Like when I read that, <laughs> I was just like, he, he's worried that there'll be a, a hashtag that sprung out of It's about to be, there's going to be, there's a, there is about to be a lawsuit. The defamation league is going to be called up. He's like, we only just got formally accredited a month ago after my evil sister outed us to the world. And now you're going to get the Department of Education down on my ass? <laughs> you're like, Emma just gave everybody an orgasm. Now this? Now this? Not this. <laughs> but so he's like, that seems inappropriate. And then he walks in and there's a million Magneto was right posters on the walls mm -hmm. in the classroom that specializes. It's like, okay, and these are really inappropriate <laughs> to have in your classroom. And so then Zorn reveals the truth that he is actually Magneto. Big reveal. If you have heard the Magneto <laughs> episode, you know that this is immediately after this story retconned by Marvel. So that yeah. Zorn was just an imposter who went crazy and thought yeah. he was Magneto. And also was a twin. Don't, right? don't worry about it. We're going to get into it someday. God help me. I will have to do a Zorn episode. Today is not that day. And that will be more complicated than the cable one. God help you. I actually don't think it will because it's only like two retcons, but it's still, it's not great. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. I mean, cable time travels. That was really fucking rough. That was. <laughs> I, I remember the amount of just like, don't worry about it. And that character file. I, I'm sorry. None of it fits together. So you have to just not fucking worry about it. It truly doesn't matter. I, I, I agree with the philosophy of Dwy, you know? Well, and particularly with a time traveler, I'm just like, yeah, the time stream changes constantly. So like, if there's a continuity error, just fucking ignore it. Like, it's yeah. fine. Um, yeah, something happened. He shifted it, changes. Yeah. Uh, back to the future rules. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the big Zoran wig reveal happens. I do. I, so I, what I was saying was, I think that for the franchise as a whole, it was probably a good thing to make it so that this wasn't really Magneto because yeah. he then goes on to do a massive genocide with crematoriums of humans in New York City. So I get the hesitation because basically mm -hmm. you could never use Magneto again if this is right. Magneto. So I get why they changed it in this story itself the morrison run start to finish i think it's absolutely genius yeah yeah and i think it's important as a characterization beat one of the first for soraya that she's the one who realizes something is wrong mm -hmm. and she acts on it as well yes she sees through the weirdness that's going on and she tries to get help from professor xavier mm -hmm. and after Zorn cripples Xavier, reveals himself to be Magneto, does the whole bit. Dust is one of the students that Cyclops immediately deputizes to be on the emergency street team, and she ends up rescuing a lot of the people in danger, even though, yeah. again, she hasn't had that much training in her powers yet. And the reason she's available to be drafted into this squad is that she breaks herself out of the jar. So yeah. it is... I think overall a pretty strong entry point for her as a character. Yeah. And it makes sense to me that she's a character that other writers wanted to use. Yeah. Because like, what's she thinking? What's her psychology? Mm -hmm. You can see how a writer would look at this story and be like, I'd love to get into her head, you know? Yeah, she is. I mean, like, like for all the reasons you said, she's a Morrison character who is visually striking and who had really... 
a good story arc. We see her origin story. Mm -hmm. We see her hanging around with the important characters. And then she is central to the climax of the whole story. Yeah. Plus, there's the incredible visual that she has by virtue of just what she does on the page, which is make whirlwinds of sand whip out of a big robe and it looks fucking awesome. Yeah. So, like, you know, there's that. It makes total sense that immediately thereafter, as the book transitions into Academy Acts, mm -hmm. this is a character rather than like, there are other Morrison student characters who don't make the jump, but this one does. Yeah. Even the Stepford Cuckoos who are like around because they're cool are not a focus point in Academy X. Yeah, yeah, you're right. They just they show up, I think, in the second arc. Yeah, like they're around, but they're in yeah. Cyclops' squad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it makes sense why she sort of ended up becoming a character, really, that uh, grew. But I think if we could just double back to that very first issue of her appearance, one thing we can't sort of deny and that we sort of have to address is the fact that if you just had that issue you're dealing with a lot of problematic things. And, you know, we've, we've given a lot of flowers to Morrison, but I think we need to acknowledge the fact that that issue in itself is really very much a product of his time. I mean, like I said, it came out right between two wars in the Middle East. That was a conflict between the Western region and the Arab region. And I remember you and I talking about this. It came out during a time where Islamophobia was at its height, I'd say. And I think... Well, that issue tries to do a lot to introduce us with a character that you could say is quote unquote good representation. I, it attempts to make a good faith effort in sort of introducing this character. We can't deny the way the slavers who are around her were being portrayed. Like the only Arab men in that story are terrorists. Literal slave traders. Literal slave Not even traders. people like, you know, you, you go back to the Legion story that Claremont mm -hmm. did in the 80s and like yeah. the Arab character in that is a Palestinian terrorist. Mm -hmm. But he's- Sympathetic. First of all, he's enormously sympathetic for yeah. that time, which is, I think, really notable. And I think Claremont deserves mm -hmm. credit for that. Much like yeah. I think he deserves credit for Legion, who now reads, I think, very ableist. But it was very up to the present medical understanding of right. autism and schizophrenia at that time in the 80s. There's a real attempt made in that story, both to humanize this mentally ill and mm -hmm. neurodivergent character and also an effort to humanize a Palestinian terrorist at a time when that really is not something you would see in an American comic ever. Yeah. These characters, though, it's not even like Jamail, the character from the Legion story, he is fighting for a cause. He is fighting against the occupation. Mm -hmm. Whether or not you agree with his methods, it's possible to understand. These people have no high, like they are literally just mercenary slave traders kidnapping women yeah. to sell them into slavery. The only named man is called Muhammad. Muhammad. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, uh, there's a lot in that issue that would make me sort of say maybe don't have that be the first dust story that you read don't start from the start maybe i'm sorry to tell you this but jump to academy x <laughs> or like jump yeah. to the later issues of the morrison run if you're really trying to get into this character i think that it would maybe be better to read stories where she's more empowered and then go back. Yeah. It's almost like actually thinking about last week's episode on magic. Mm -hmm. The way that Claremont plays magic is actually very smart, which is that they do the thing where she's lost in limbo and then comes back older. And then there's like a year of stories where she's in the background before mm. you get the mini series that's like, here's the trauma. Yeah. And by that point, you already love the character. 
Mm-hmm. As a reading order, it's all, you know, if we're if we're putting together a reading order, it almost makes more sense to start with Academy X for Soraya yeah. and then go back once you've read her in Academy X and care about her, then go back to the new X-Men stories that are really about the traumatic yeah. experiences she has yeah. in Afghanistan and then in America that lead up to Academy X. I feel like almost like you should get to know her first. Yeah, you know? and also like, I, yeah, ex- I completely agree with you. And I'd say like, if you do want to like go back and read it, I would just say really approach it <laughs> to say from an academic standpoint, be aware that this is going to be a problematic text, but it is a really interesting book to go through, a, an interesting issue to go through in terms of like, okay, so this is how Western media was conceiving of Arab identity at the time. This is the attempt being made to push forth a positive representation. You know, what that is problematic. You could give them a bit to sort of commend them for making that effort, but there was a lot that went astray in the way there. And just like, yeah, just sit down, sit with it from a critical lens, you know, think about like the actual context sort of led to these. (sighs) I feel very similarly about it to the way I feel about Claremont's Madripoor stories in the 80s. Mm -hmm. It's playing on a lot of Western assumptions about the East, and there is an undeniable Orientalism. The representations are sometimes stereotypical, but I also think the cast of characters actually feel really robust and there. And in this case, I think the characters are where it falls down. I think if there were more characters in this story, it would be stronger. Also, some of the visual depictions, I think, is where it falls down. A lot of it is that the art is... Yeah, I mean, like, you see, like, these common tropes of presenting othered people as just dead bodies, as a mass of dead bodies. As a pile of skeletons and meat, as we said. Yeah, piles of skeletons and meat, which is very funny, but it's also, you know... But it's also, like... These are the only Middle Eastern men in this comic. Exactly. The only Middle Eastern men in comic. I mean, I'm a Middle Eastern man. We're being cast as being brutal. We're being cast as being fundamentalist, extremist. I think that what Soraya accomplishes in that issue, what Morrison accomplishes with Soraya in that issue, is similar to what Claremont accomplishes with a character like Tiger Tiger or Marco Yoshida. Mm-hmm. They're people. They're tropey. They're definitely tropey. Tiger Tiger is a dragon lady type. Mm -hmm. Mariko is very much like this exotic beauty who's demure and all of that. Yeah. But those characters became complex and interesting characters to these Western readers. And I think that that is what Soraya accomplished. It was, again, like I said, the first time that I ever certainly had seen a woman wearing a Muslim face covering presented as any kind of sympathetic character at all. Even if in this story, she's more of a victim victim than an Mm. actualized superhero yet you know yeah and I think that's a really good way to approach sort of that first issue and that sort of recognition of like Morrison was obviously very plainly interested in playing with the stereotype and maybe expanding it and challenging it in different ways it's unfortunate that that same issue also had some things in it that were very uncomfortable then. I mean, they were comfortable then. And now going back to read it, I mean, that, that really will jump in your face. Yeah. And that's unfortunate. But you also need to commend, I think, or I feel the need to commend Morrison for taking that shot and, you know, ultimately giving me this character who, you know, I fell in love with. <laughs> yeah. Mm. 
Well, I think now is a good time for us to get into the Cerebro character file on Soraya Kadir, a.k.a. Dust, or more recently, Congregation. We'll see if it sticks, but I like it. <laughs> I do, too. I will take you through her complete publication history from New X-Men 133 to the recent Onslaught Revelation one-shot by Seisberger and Bob Quinn. And then we will come back for more with Dr. Khaled and Nas. Khaled and I will go through the rest of Soraya's publication history, talking about the stories we love and the stories we don't necessarily love. <laughs> and then we will get into questions from listeners like you. We'll be right back. X-Men, X-Men. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. And now, Miss Candy Southern and me, your host, with a message from our sponsors. Long time no see, beautiful boys and groovy gals. The summer's just beginning, and I, for one... <laughs> oh my, that one was a whopper. What's the matter, Candy? Sorry, Connor, old sport. My allergies are just the pits this year. I'm afraid any ad for me is going to sound like it was recorded underwater. Have you tried Astapro over-the-counter nasal spray? It's the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray and starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray, delivering full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny itchy nose, and sneezing. I've had terrible allergies this year, which is a bummer when you record a podcast for a living, but Astapro has kept me sounding crystal clear. It's got your back and your nose. And thank heavens for that. If you've got allergies like me and Candy, get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com X-Men, X-Men. Soraya Kadir, best known by the codename Dust, is one of the most prominent students from the Academy X class. Created by Grant Morrison and Ethan Van Skyver, she first appears in New X-Men as an Afghan refugee who joins the special class, before entering the general student population as one of Emma Frost's New Hellions. The only prominent Marvel character to wear a Muslim niqab and abaya, Soraya transcended initial controversy over her early stories to become an enduring fan-favorite character, most recently playing a key role in the 2021 miniseries Way of X. Soraya debuts in 2002's New X-Men 133 as a newly manifested mutant recovered by Wolverine and the X-Men's ally Phantom X after the traumatic manifestation of her powers. Kidnapped by slavers who planned to traffic her, Soraya instinctively turned into a whirling sandstorm when they attempted to remove her niqab, slaughtering the men and flaying the flesh from their bones. At the Mumbai branch of X-Corporation, she's soothed by Jean Grey, who's able to communicate with her telepathically. Soraya repeats one word over and over. Turab, which a translator informs them means dust. She's subsequently assigned dust as a code name. Because she's been separated from her mother and has nowhere to go, Soraya accompanies the X-Men back to America, where due to the language barrier, she's enrolled in the special class at Xavier's taught by new recruit Zorn. Sometime later, Soraya's aghast when Zorn badgers her in front of the class, castigating her for adhering to her religion. She tries to find Professor Xavier for help, but her powers go out of control and she destroys the Cerebra machine. Xavier tries to understand what's going on, but Zorn traps Soraya in a jar before crippling the professor and revealing his true nature as Magneto, who'd been believed dead since the recent genocide in Genosha. As the Planet X arc unfolds, Soraya escapes from the jar and is one of the students deputized by Cyclops to help as a street team of emergency X-Men amid the genocide of humans Magneto begins orchestrating in New York City. The story ends with Magneto's murder of Jean Grey and Wolverine's execution of Magneto in turn. Immediately after Morrison's departure from the franchise, Marvel steps in with a retcon. Zorn was an imposter and not the real Magneto after all. 
Soraya, meanwhile, continues into a new volume of New X-Men, written by Christina Weir and Nunzio DeFilippis and subtitled Academy X. Now fluent in English and part of the general student population, Soraya is chosen as one of the new Hellions, a squad instructed by Emma Frost. Her new roommate, Noriko Ashida, codenamed Surge, is one of the new New Mutants, part of the squad taught by Danny Moonstar. Noriko confronts Soraya about her niqab and abaya, and feels insulted by Soraya's explanation that she values modesty. Soraya stresses that she doesn't judge Noriko for the way she dresses, and asks for the same treatment. Noriko, instead, opts to be a gigantic racist time and time again, even complaining to Cyclops about rooming with Soraya at all. By contrast, fellow student Icarus, real name Jay Guthrie, is intrigued by Soraya but keeps a respectful distance and honors her comfort level when it comes to interaction with boys. When their classmate Wither is taken into custody by the FBI for the accidental death of his father, Hellion squad leader Julian Keller, codename Hellion, decides his team will break Wither out. Jay objects, but Soraya supports Julian, believing it's important to defer to the team leader. When the Hellions are confronted by the New Mutants, Noriko viciously attacks Soraya. But it's Julia Montega, a.k.a. Wind Dancer, whose aerokinetic powers wreak havoc on Soraya's sand form. Reconstituting herself in the bushes near the school, Soraya is weak, naked, and unsure what to do. Noriko arrives with her niqab and abaya, much to her surprise, but protests it was Jay's idea, not her own. Soraya thanks her regardless and gets dressed, and the two girls agree they simply do not understand each other's values. While Soraya is grateful for Jay's thoughtfulness and the two grow closer, she politely declines his invitation to the school dance. Jay isn't surprised the prospect of the dance makes Soraya uncomfortable and takes the rejection in stride. Soraya then plays a major role in the miniseries New X-Men Hellions, also written by Weir and DeFilippis, which focuses on her squad. The Hellions accompany Julian home to LA for spring break and end up using magic over Soraya's objections to summon a man called the Kingmaker. The Kingmaker offers to make their fondest wishes come true, but Soraya is skeptical. She knows there's always a price for favors like this. To prove himself, the Kingmaker demonstrates his power by reuniting Soraya with her mother, Mira, whom she has not seen in two years. Meeting with Mira at the refugee camp where she's now staying, Soraya explains her status as a mutant, and her mother is happy she's somewhere that will protect her and teach her how to use her powers. Desperate to be permanently reunited with Mira, Soraya agrees to help the Kingmaker. But when his desired payment turns out to be a biological weapon, she joins the other Hellions in refusing him, even if it means losing track of her mother again. The miniseries concludes with Soraya contacting the refugee camp to learn Mira has been transferred to parts unknown. After the 2005 decimation, in which all but about 200 mutants are depowered worldwide, Soraya is one of only 27 students at Xavier's to retain her mutant gifts. Under new writers Craig Kyle and Christopher Yost, Soraya is one of the students to win a battle royale organized by headmistress Emma Frost, which earns her a spot on the new official X-Men in training team. While Noriko is also still empowered, Soraya is assigned a new roommate, Laura Kinney, aka X-23, a female clone of Wolverine with a lot going on. Don't worry about it right now. Laura and Soraya become good friends, which is a nice change of pace. When the anti-mutant bigots called the Purifiers bomb a bus and kill most of the decimated students, Soraya saves Noriko's life in the explosion. As the Purifiers' attacks on the school escalate, it's soon revealed that Jay has been manipulated into collaborating with them. He gives Soraya an address so they can meet and say goodbye, but Laura refuses to let her go to him, believing it's a trap. When Soraya won't listen, Laura knocks her out and dresses in one of her abayas, disguising herself with the niqab and arriving in Soraya's place. Sure enough, a sniper immediately shoots her in the head, but luckily, Laura has Wolverine's healing factor. Soraya regains consciousness to find the purifiers invading the school. They're shocked to see her, believing the sniper had killed her, and it's revealed that their leader, Reverend Stryker, has some knowledge of the future, and was aware Soraya would kill many of his men if not eliminated beforehand. To protect her friends, Soraya explodes into her sand form and flays the entire purifier squad alive, killing all but one, Matthew Risman. Stryker is defeated, but Soraya is devastated to learn that he has murdered Jay. In issue 32, when Lucinda Guthrie arrives at the mansion to recover Jay's body, Soraya begs forgiveness for not saving him. Lucinda reassures her she did all she could. 
Some issues later, in the Quest for Magic arc, Saray is one of the students kidnapped to Limbo by the demon sorcerer Belasco in his quest to resurrect Ileana Rasputina. Terrified by what she perceives as Jahannam, Saraya still manages to steal herself and attack the creature she believes to be the devil, teaming up with her friend Mercury to stave him off until the kids can be rescued. Meanwhile, Matthew Risman, the main purifier who survived Saraya's defensive maneuver, employs a Predator X, don't worry about it, it's a big scary monster, to kill Saraya as revenge. The Predator X tracks Saraya's scent to Xavier's, but is suddenly distracted by the birth of a baby who will later be known as Hope Summers, the mutant messiah. It runs off to chase after Hope instead, leading into the franchise-wide event, Messiah Complex. As the purifiers, the X-Men, and Mr. Sinister's marauders all race to seize the child, Noriko objects to the X-Men keeping their students out of the fray. She wants revenge on the purifiers, and while Soraya sees the value in rescuing baby Hope, she refuses to be part of a mission of vengeance. Staying behind, she proves critically helpful with the Cyclops when the Sentinels employed by the Office of National Emergency come back for the Val Cooper episode in a couple weeks because this is truly wild, are hacked and compelled into attacking the mutants on sight. Soraya returns to the campus cemetery to look after the graves of her friends who recently died, only to find the Predator X digging them up and consuming the corpses. Soraya teams up with other students to fight the creature, but it's too powerful, and the only way to prevent it from reaching the infirmary is for Soraya's teammate Pixie to teleport everyone to the one person they know of who can kill a Predator X, Laura. The kids drop onto Muir Island in the middle of the final battle between the X-Men and the Marauders. Soraya demonstrates impressive growing control over her powers as she disperses herself into sand and invades the villain Exodus's lungs, leaving him open to psychic attack by her mentor Emma Frost. Baby Hope is rescued and sent to safety with the time traveler Cable, but Professor Xavier is apparently killed in the crossfire. Cyclops, grieving, decides to disband the X-Men and close the Xavier school. Later that year, Soraya returns in Young X-Men by Mark Guggenheim and Yannick Paquette, where we see she has returned to Afghanistan and become a local superhero, protecting refugees from the Taliban. Approached there by Cyclops, she's convinced to join a new team of young X-Men in an effort to stop the original New Mutants, who have allegedly become a new incarnation of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Facing off against this supposed Brotherhood, Soraya is turned to glass by her former teacher Magma. She's carefully placed in bed to prevent her from shattering, but then it's revealed that Cyclops is actually Donald Pierce, who's been using an image inducer to disguise himself. As the young X-Men battle Pierce, Soraya's glass body is destroyed to the horror of her friends. But when Magma melts down the glass, Soraya, actually still alive, manages to reconstitute herself. Joining the real Cyclops at the X-Men's new headquarters in San Francisco, Soraya begins visiting Pierce in the brig, as she uncovers that one member of the team is secretly a human posing as a mutant, but isn't sure who the mole is. We learn that Soraya is secretly dying of cellular degradation, her body becoming glass over time due to lingering after-effects of her battle with Magma. Pierce can cure her, but will only do so if she helps him escape. Soraya refuses him, but Pierce informs her he's due to escape regardless, and it's up to her whether she lives or dies. She breaks down and agrees to help him, but when they're caught, she's ashamed and immediately attacks him. Using her power pushes her body too far, and she turns to glass and dies. The secret human on the team turns out to be Ink, who you don't need to worry about. He resurrects Soraya, so good for him, I guess. We glimpse a dark possible future where Soraya believes her soul was lost in her resurrection and begins exterminating other mutants, but thankfully this does not come to pass. Soraya instead joins the X-Men on Utopia, where she's mostly a background character for a while. In the 2011 schism between Cyclops and Wolverine, she initially joins Wolverine in departing for Westchester before changing her mind and returning to Utopia. In an X-Men Legacy story by Christus Gage and David Baleon, she teams up with Rogue to battle Exodus and explains that she believes the X-Men are always going to rely on the students in difficult situations, which means the students should indeed be training as soldiers the way Cyclops intends. When Avengers vs. X-Men ramps up, Soraya and the other students on Utopia are taken into custody by the Avengers, which disgusts them. Soraya convinces Laura, now a student at Avengers Academy, to help them escape. With the destruction of Utopia at the end of the event, Soraya returns to Wolverine's Jean Grey school and is a background character again for the next seven years. 
She takes on her first major role since 2012 in 2019 in writer Jim Zub's tenure on The Champions, where the X-Men are believed dead following their reality-disrupting battle with Nate Gray. Soraya feels guilty for not answering the distress call that apparently got her friends and mentors killed, and decides to fight back against anti-mutant protesters who intend to destroy a statue of the original X-Men. Her teen heroes, the Champions, arrive and help Soraya, who in turn helps them stop their enemy, Caldera. Viv Vision invites Soraya to hang around with the team, but their leader Kamala Khan, Ms. Marvel, does not extend a formal invitation. Eventually, Cyclops, who had died and has since been resurrected, don't worry about it, helps the kids fight off a dark elf invasion, again, don't worry about it, and encourages Soraya to stay with the champions. Kamala takes Cyclops' judgment seriously and apologizes for not being welcoming to Soraya, who becomes a formal member of the champions. The two girls work out the rest of their issues when the demon Blackheart manipulates their minds and reveals their true feelings, with Soraya admitting her anger that Kamala hasn't made an effort to befriend her despite them both being young Muslim superheroines. Then it turns out the X-Men are alive. In the 2019 soft reboot House of X and Powers of Ten by writer Jonathan Hickman, Soraya is one of countless mutants to become a citizen of the new mutant sovereign nation on the living island Krakoa. Soraya continues to work with the champions as well, and after the United States outlaws underage superheroes, she uses her Krakoan diplomatic immunity to help protect the team. In Cy Spurrier and Bob Quinn's 2021 miniseries Way of X, Soraya proves essential after the Omega-level mutants of Krakoa have terraformed the planet Mars. Their display of power creates unexpected dust storms across the new planet Arako, and Soraya uses an unprecedented level of control over her own power to calm everything down. She later proves essential to defeating the psychic entity Onslaught in the Way of X finale, the one-shot X-Men The Onslaught Revelation. Her power to bring matter together as one body impresses Legion, who forms a mutant circuit with her to create a sanctuary for Krakoans on the astral plane. He declares that the codename Dust does not properly respect Soraya's great power, and suggests an alternative, Congregation. X-Men, X-Men. And we're back. I'm your host, Connor Goldsmith, with Dr. Khaled Anas, live from Dubai. Hi. Not live as you're hearing it, but live as we're talking now. <laughs> Ready to show you the world. <laughs> Have you been cast in the Real Housewives of Dubai, just announced <laughs> by Andy Cohen as Bravo's first official international franchise? Um, I can neither confirm nor deny my involvement okay. with any possible Bravo franchise, but um, I'm really excited. Do for... you have like a fun <laughs> aunt who would be great on The Real Houses of Dubai? Oh, trust me, I've been sending some emails, <laughs> <laughs> unsolicited pitches. Like, I know these people. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just gonna like. I just, they've said Lindsay Lohan is not gonna be on. I it. know, I saw that. I'm gutted. But she's really good friends with Caroline Stanbury, who is going to be on it. Yeah. So, I feel like they could get her like as a friend of at least like do like a Kathy Hilton kind of moment. I'd be into it. Cause you could tell, and I bet they're going to try and upgrade Kathy next season, but you can tell friend of is exactly what Kathy Hilton wants to do. She wants to roll yeah. up for parties if she feels like it. Yeah. She doesn't want to film every day. She doesn't want to play croquet with the other <laughs> girls. Like she doesn't want to do that. So I feel like a friend of might be the way to go. Yeah. I agree. Then you're it. guaranteed to have her on set enough. I'm not a housewives person, but like when you told me there was going to be a Dubai version, I was like, all right, I guess they got me. <laughs> they got me. <laughs> You're in now. You're in now. I'm babe. in now. I'm really excited for it. I hope she pops up here and there. If not, I, I think it would be a travesty for an American really reality television program. Mm-hmm. that stars one of her friends to be filming in Dubai and not at least ask. At least, like, take us to her club. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the issue is probably that she's, I imagine, very expensive, right? But... Yeah, probably. Who knows? But... I am just fascinated to see what that show will be. I'm hoping it'll be a mix of expats and locals. Yeah, I hope it's not all expats. If it's all expats, that will be 
not great. Yeah, no, I completely agree with. But you. I don't I think, think it will be because if you look at Salt Lake City, which is the most recent one, like they've got mm-hmm. the Mormon old school family girls on it. They're rebels, though, obviously, because like <laughs> if you were actually like really devout, you probably wouldn't be on. <laughs> Probably not. The Real Housewives, right? I'm really excited for like the Dubai because like it feels from what I know about Housewives that it's probably like the perfect city for it. Right. Yeah. Let's just do this. Let's see what the hell's going on. You know? Yeah. I I just uh, it's going to be so fabulous. It's It's a fascinating place that I certainly have never been to. And I think a lot of people have never been to because it's far. I mean, you just flew there. It's a (laughs) it's you flew from England even, which isn't Uh, as far. And it's still a jaunt. It's still a jaunt. Yeah. I'm still feeling feeling that flight still and like, well, I'm it's already... like isn't it like 2 a.m where you are right now it <laughs> is. what time is it let me check it is 1 58 to be exact. yeah there you go right it's 6 p.m here so it, that's that's far <laughs> that's a lot that's what like eight hours yeah so we are here talking about Saraya Kadir. I wanted to talk briefly about her ethnicity, her background, all of that stuff, because mm-hmm. I know that you have complicated thoughts on that. Yeah. She obviously is presented to us as an Arab character. Yeah. As initially presented. That's why she's speaking Arabic. Mm-hmm. I think that most white Western people weren't conscious of the idea that Arabs and Afghans <laughs> were different ethnic groups. Yeah. But you explained that we simply don't know. Mm-hmm. I had assumed she was Pashtun, which would yeah. be Persian origin, but it's complicated. I just assumed that based on her name, which is Farsi. Yeah. Isn't it? Yes, it is. If you get into sort of the specifics, like if you look at her name and her mother's name, they're both Persian names, uh, which indicates that she's most likely part uh, a Pashtun, which is the majority ethnic group in uh, Afghanistan. Um, in terms of her as specifically being an Arab character. Because a lot of people say she isn't, and I know that you feel... Mm-hmm. I disagree with You that. claim her as one. I personally claim her as an Arab character. I mean, because I'm one of those people who's inclined to think of, like, the MENA region, basically. For American listeners, we don't use that term as much as the UK. So mm-hmm. Middle East, North African, M-E-N-A, MENA. Yeah, MENA. Uh, Middle Eastern, North African. As a MENA character, I mean, I feel like... She's Arab, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Certainly in terms of how Americans think how about Americans it. perceive her. But, you know, you will get certain segments of certain Arab countries, certain segments of the Arab sort of theorist population who will argue that because she's Pashtun, we shouldn't claim her as Arab. From my perspective, those comments, those ideas are basically just uh, racist, <laughs> you know? I mean, you come from a specific yeah. experience also of being mm. a mixed race Arab person yeah. because you're black also, like Monet. Yeah, I'm, I'm like Monet. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You wrote in to the Monet episode and Teeny and I really appreciated your perspective. I mean, when oh. I got in, I was like, oh, this is exact. Thank God. Because <laughs> Teeny and I had been talking about how like there are a lot of complicated intersections of this yeah. character and we can't speak to all of them. And you were like, hi, I am a black <laughs> I have ideas. PhD from the Middle East. Here are my thoughts, right? I mean, yeah. And, and the, the point I think that Teeny made is about Monet specifically, that Monet has these uh, multiple, intersectional identities which make her a really fully lived and really real character and that same thing can be applied to Soraya because she has these multiple sort of visual signifiers things we know about where she's from 
things we don't know about the specifics of where she's from in Afghanistan, which by the way, you know, there are Arab people in Afghanistan. It just depends where you are in Afghanistan. And there's no reason, I mean, she's part of her backstory as we learn Mm -hmm. is that she is the child of a single mother. And so they were Mm -hmm. ostracized a little bit from their community because of that. It was seen as shameful. Yeah. More to the point though, we don't know anything about her father. father. So there's no Mm -hmm. reason her father couldn't be Arab. Yeah. You know, like, and her mother could be Pashtun. This is like, I mean, that's the same is skin Puerto Rican or Mexican question <laughs> yeah. skin episode because it's been inconsistent. It's like, why not both? Because people are both. You are black and Arab, just like Monet. Yeah. I'm Irish and Jewish, which is like mm-hmm. a white version of that. <laughs> but those are two ethnic groups that in Europe have been mm-hmm. very marginalized. And I have both of those heritages. So it's like, yeah. these are things that do happen. I think it makes, yeah. like you said, it makes the characters feel more real for them mm-hmm. to have these complicated family histories. Not every character is, I am Russian and I turn into the Iron Curtain and it jumps. I mean, even Storm yeah. is given very intentionally a backstory where she is half African and half African-American so mm-hmm. that she can speak to a multiplicity of of black experiences and i think that's yeah. smart and that's the thing as well with soraya you know the plain fact of the matter is her being able to speak to a multiplicity of experiences is just simply more accurate to life it's more accurate to the fact that there's a lot of arab people who are a mix of a bunch of different arab ethnicities i mean i live like i said i lived in bahrain i grew up in bahrain as well and there is while bahrain is a sunni muslim country the majority of the population is shia and there's also a different mix of identity there's a huge population of people of persian descent i have in my own ancestry a lot of persian in it i also have oman i also have egypt you know in my sort of if you go back far enough and sudan right like and Sudan yeah all over I'm I also have like some America in there like (laughs) you know I'm literally like a patchwork and really a lot of Arab people are I mean that's just the fact of the matter Sicily is always the example I point Mm -hmm. to Ariana Grande did a 23 (laughs) and me and it came back Algerian because yeah yeah, you're from Sicily like everybody conquered Sicily everybody (laughs) traded in Sicily Exactly. I think the way forward in terms of like this question of is Soraya should be thought of as only an Afghan Pashtun character or is she also an Arab character? I would go with Arab because it's a more accurate representation of what she will likely identify and what she represents because the majority of people who are in the MENA region I just simply identify as Arab. So she can be both of those things. Mm -hmm. But I do think that we need desperately like a textually Persian Iranian character also. Mm -hmm. I've made the case for Sage. Yes. It would be very, very easy to do. She is first seen in the region. She's in Afghanistan, Mm -hmm. actually. She could even be Pashtun from Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. Like, I just think Iran is such an important geopolitical player that it's odd. In the same way that, I mean, because so to go back to sort of what Soraya represents she, I think, is Morrison's attempt at a character archetype we've seen in the X-Men before. Colossus is meant to show us that Soviets are not monsters. They're people like <laughs> anybody else, even if they're America's enemy right now. Mm-hmm. Karma is meant to illustrate that Vietnamese people are humans like anybody else. And even if we were just at war in Vietnam, you should be nice to these refugees. It's mm-hmm. They're people just like you and me. That's sort of the takeaway. Dust specifically is in that tradition of Colossus and Karma, where it's like this is a country we're presently at war with yeah and this is a character who is still our friend regardless of that 
Yeah. It is, as you note, right smack in the middle of the declaration of war in Afghanistan by America mm-hmm. and the declaration of war in Iraq by America and yeah. also the UK and all the allies, etc. It's about taking that most identifiable other at the current moment and bringing them sort of home to humanizing them. That's why I appreciate that Academy X, which we're now going to get into, mm-hmm. makes an effort to counteract what was happening in American high schools at that time. Mm -hmm. It is very much the case that after 9-11, particularly in New York, where I was growing up, I was growing up in Westchester, not far from where the Xavier School would be. (laughs) There was not a lot of compassion being extended to the people in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. I mean, you went to international school. What was Mm -hmm. your experience of that like? Obviously, it was a lot more insulated. I was in international school. Um, There was people from all over the world. Majority were British and American. I was the only Arab person in my class for a significant portion of my time there. My experience of it was more of that casual microaggression Mm -hmm. thing. These comments about the culture that I'm a part of and that they were living in. Yeah, I, I completely hear what you're saying about just the toxicity of the time, you know? this pervading sense of anger towards you. You know what I mean? Anger towards me personally as an Arab person, as the other in the room. Speaking of Surrey, that's one of the things that I always really appreciate about Surrey and they're related to her because a lot of her stories are really about the fact that when she walks into the room, she is the other, identifiably. That goes back to what I was saying about race and the mutant metaphor earlier Mm -hmm. and at the beginning of the podcast is like Soraya has both of those experiences she is a Mm -hmm. mutant who's experiencing predators from humans but also even among other mutants she's walking into the room and getting racist treatment exactly yeah and yeah and I the thing that I really fell in love with her just before I even like read her intensely and thought about her that intensely is the fact that it doesn't really face her Mm -hmm. you know she walks like like you said she walks into the room she knows that she's walking in as the other but she manages to transform that into strength following new x-men she gets put into academy x where she is assigned and this is like (laughs) sure great great choice everybody they (laughs) they assign her to room with surge um so heavy sigh uh, i've gotten we've both gotten some shit on twitter from i guess surge fans (laughs) who apparently exist apparently they exist about hating on surge but i gotta say um i uh i fucking hate this girl yeah fuck surge fuck that girl fuck surge listen someday (laughs) i'll have to do an episode on this awful awful woman and we will have someone on i guess who's a fan and they can defend themselves please when you do that please have me on just to be like uh mystery science theater just to comment on top of it just i just want to rebut i i just want to i have some that can be a patreon episode maybe if the guest agrees or i'll just do it on my twitter if they well there you go i fully oh i mean listen i so i had not i had not read all of this as it was coming out because i was a teenager Mm -hmm. at that point i didn't want to read about teenagers that did not interest me i was never like a (laughs) ya reader i was like i want to read about grown-ups you know so (laughs) i did not follow this as it was coming out because of this fucking podcast and all of the academy x weirdos (laughs) always up in my mentions i have now finally read (laughs) this fucking book cover to cover instead of just like (laughs) 
<laughs> dropping my jaw in horror as the Wolfsbane storyline was coming out, which was my initial experience of Academy Eggs back in the day. <laughs> Having now read straight through, I... God love you all. It takes a village, but I cannot fathom of a world where I read this mm-hmm. comic and I find Surge to be a likable or engaging or worthwhile character. No, no. I am. I, I just went for this. I reread um, Academy X as well. And I was just shocked. I was shocked that she was our point of view character. Right. Her? This is the character. Just... This is like the Kitty Pride or Jubilee that we're supposed to care about because she's awful you know what surge reminds me of she feels like did you ever play game boy pokemon games yeah. she feels like those trainers who will just pop up from a bush somewhere <laughs> to just attack you i fucking hate her <laughs> so surge noriko ashida not to be confused with the yashidas or the yoshidas these are the only fucking mm-hmm. names that marvel japan has but of no relation as far as i know mm-hmm. is a japanese teenager Here's the thing that I will say. I understand the impulse to want to preserve one of... It does pit these two characters of color against each other in a way that I think is mm-hmm. extremely weird. And uncomfortable, yeah. Yeah, I think it was a super, super weird choice to have the virulent, racist, Islamophobic <laughs> character be the other woman of color on the team. That's a weird choice. Yeah, yeah all choices were made. I guess Sophia is... I mean, she's Latina, but Latina identities are very complicated. So, you know... Mm-hmm. She's Christina Aguilera Latina. That's how I always thought. <laughs> the characters on the team who are, like, affirmatively mm-hmm. people of color are yeah. Surge and Prodigy. Mm-hmm. And then Soraya, who's on the Hellion squad, which is Emma's squad, the characters who are simply better. Simply better. It's crazy they were not Which is why after leads. the decimation... Yeah, after the decimation, they become the leads. Leads suddenly are yeah. them. X-23, who eats Surge's lunch. Bye, bitch. <laughs> Thank you. This is why I stand <laughs> <laughs> a queen well, i will say you know i've always been very x23 skeptical because i didn't watch that cartoon and then i met her in nyx which like when we get to the lore mm-hmm. episode we'll get oh, there yeah i was very resistant to that character having now mm-hmm. read this book and read surge as dust roommate and then x23 as dust roommate yeah. because after the decimation they switch up the room assignments <laughs> I get it now because I am uh-huh. just like, you know, I'm much more pro Laura than I ever have been because she is, oh, I don't know, not a hateful racist. Yeah, she is just, <laughs> she's a human being. She's not rude. She's not awful. Like, also, she doesn't have bottled blue hair, which let's, let's just yeah, affirm like from that. Let's Ricky's, just like from fucking Like out that. of a manic panic bottle. <laughs> like, like not even a bottle. It's from one of those Ricky's two. Don't do that to manic panic. I don't give it to Sir. She got it some like. <laughs> from one of those, it's not even from a bottle. It's from one one of those tubes <laughs> that you just like ooze it into your like for Halloween. <laughs> well, it looks awful. It's just spray paint. It's just it like looks hair fucking paint. awful. The, this is so. This is the other problem with Surge is that she looks like a totally spies character fell into a porno. <laughs> no disrespect oh, to totally no. spies. They at least have a sleek design. Oh, no. She has these big honking gauntlets on. <laughs> It's giving 2003. That's like all I can really say about it. And she's much like long shot that way. Where like when you uh-huh. put her in a shot now of all of these different characters with timeless designs, you're just sort of like, yeah. who is that girl? Why is she here? <laughs> what 2003 bootleg ass Western <laughs> anime inspired cartoon is this girl from? 
I mean, she is giving a flop anime that was canceled after one season. You and know, it's like, she if you is... wanted to give her, if you wanted her to be like a punk Japanese teen, that's mm-hmm. a very specific cool aesthetic that you could have gone yeah. with. She's not that. She's just no, she's not a that. girl with blue hair and a tank top and big anime gone and a bad attitude and rude and, <laughs> and horrible, horrible to everyone around her. And this is the thing, like. I like bitchy characters. I like when women are allowed to be unlikable. Mm-hmm. Ilyana is a very prickly character. I love Betsy and Emma, who are nasty. We stand Emma right. Frost. I mean, we stand Jean Grey, who is Jean is <laughs> horrible. horrible, and that's what's fun about her. The thing about Surge is it's not fun. She's just no, it's not awful to everyone around her for no good reason. And then you get the main plot that she and Soraya have, <laughs> which is Surge is a racist. <laughs> Serge hates Islam. Serge hates Muslims. <laughs> so the, the thing is, and that's not to suggest, when I say like, it was weird to put it on the Japanese girl. Obviously, Islamophobia is also a problem in East Asia. But mm-hmm. the stuff that she says is very like white American teens of the moment talking yeah. about yeah. Muslims. It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. If they wanted to do this with anybody, mm-hmm. I'm glad they didn't do it with Julian because I actually think Julian and Soraya's relationship is interesting. But like, it's really cute. Yeah, They're you know, really not together. to do this to poor Wallflower who didn't trouble anybody with racism. Plop. But <laughs> you're not a Wallflower fan. Um, I just, I just, you know, it's that thing. I think she should. She was getting way too comfortable with changing people's emotions. I mean, I felt like, I mean, we were like, I feel like we, if she didn't get hit by that stray shot or by that shooter she would have ended up dating magma or something you know she's doing too much <laughs> well i i do think the thing about academy x is i feel like most of those characters should become villains or should have yes and i think that would yeah. have been interesting like this is the class that got so fucked up by like the decimation mm-hmm. everything that they've gone bad because i feel like she had kind of like she had her evil father she had like a sort of a villain arc that was kind of building and then she just mm-hmm. doesn't go anywhere you know because the second the decimation happens, they switch from Divalibus and Weird to Kyle and Yost. You can tell that most of the cast gets shipped off immediately. Put on a bus, very literally. Wallflower <laughs> well, does not get put on a bus, but she gets taken out like an issue later. Which I gotta say, that I, I know it was sad at the time, but it's also really, really funny. Oh, it's now very funny. Now that she now that all those characters are okay, it's just funny. <laughs> Also, it gave us some great scenes, uh, like that Miss Marvel Emma scene, iconic. Great scene. Wonderful. Great scene, just dog walking Carol up and down the yard. Where were you? Where were you, Carol? (laughs) Also, it gave us a great scene where Soraya comes and saves Serge's life, even though Serge is fucking horrible to her. So to go back to Academy Eggs. I... at the I don't beginning. get that. I don't know why she did that. Ah, she's a good person. Better than you or me, I guess, because I would have... Better than me. I, I would have saved I someone else. I would have been like, Rubbermaid, where you at? We're going to get you. We're going to pull you <laughs> out of this mess. I would have flayed her head off and been like, oops. Oops. <laughs> oops. I don't know baby. what happened. Oh, no. So, oh, no. I knocked out a wall. <laughs> basically, my problem with this storyline is that we're clearly supposed to think that Soraya and Noriko both have, like, points and like they just need to understand each other better yeah but the only thing that Soraya does literally the only thing is when (laughs) Serge confronts her why do you wear that stuff yeah she's like well I wear it for modesty it wouldn't be right for me Mm -hmm. to show off my body to men yeah Serge goes so are you saying I'm showing off my body to men like and Soraya responds I do not judge the way you dress I only ask that you do the same for me and, uh, <laughs> and Serge, Serge- <laughs> 
I don't need to be lectured by someone who's setting women back 50 years just by walking around like that. Fuck her. You do judge me. You just said that exposing flesh is showing off and she slams the door. And then she goes and like, uh, she goes to Cyclops. Like, why did you make me room with that freak? I hate her, a religious nuts for a roommate. Put her back on the street. You know, Julian was right <laughs> when he said, "Don't we don't want her. <laughs> Julian was right when he rejected her. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just, I, she's here's the thing it's so over the top hateful and it's like mm-hmm. Soraya was trying to convey that she feels uncomfortable doing that and yes it came out the wrong way but Serge's yeah. reaction is just racism and it doesn't let up is the thing like it just keeps going mm-hmm. from issue after issue it never stops also like I do want to point out that the, the thing that really pissed off Serge for some reason is Soraya walks into the room she says oh is my music bothering you? And she says, and she turns it off. And Soraya's just like, oh yeah, thank you. I don't understand English music. And that is what pisses Serge off. And, and then she's like, well, what's with the burqa? What's with the burqa? You're setting women back. You're a religious nut. We need, we, can we put her on a bus now and blow her up? Can we put her in the hole? Well, Let's put her in the hole. Here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing about Serge is, um, where is she at? Where is she? Nowhere. And that's fine. I'm good with that. I'm good with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, there's a reason she's not one of the people who survives anywhere past Academy X. There's a couple of different reasons. I think one is, I think that design is just really garish and generic. Like, who is that? And it takes you back to 2001. Like, specifically, you're like, okay, uh, why is this character not been redesigned after two decades? Just like, ugh, I don't, I don't like Serge. <laughs> I don't like that. Serge. I'm getting that. <laughs> The contrast that's drawn is with Jay Guthrie. And this plot I do like. I think it's really cute. I adore that. Mm. Jay Guthrie, who was introduced, well, introduced in the 80s, but who was introduced as a mutant in Chuck Austin's She Lies with Angels. He is the, young, <laughs> the younger Guthrie. He has the codename Icarus. He has big red feathery wings and also like singing powers. Mm-hmm. He is intrigued by Sreya. He asks her in a much more polite way, about mm-hmm. her garb. I mean, actually, he doesn't ask her about the garb. He asks her, like, why do you eat by yourself? And yeah, she says, and he ha- oh, well, it would be inappropriate. Do you want to read? Yeah, I was going to say, uh, he asked her, why are you eating alone? She says, I do not eat in mixed company because it requires me to take off my hood. And he is just respectful. He's like, okay, I don't want to bother you. I just wanted to know. And then he just flies off. And they have like this really cute dynamic where it feels like, it feels like two kittens just like going in circles around each other, just like trying to, yeah. <laughs> to express their affection. There's another scene later in the Weir and Divalipis run where there's a prom at the school, a dance, and he goes to ask her. And first, actually, he opens the door to her room that she shares with Serge. And Serge is like, ooh, Jay is asking me to the dance. Like, no, he's not. He's here to see Soraya, which is beautiful. Then <laughs> just the face crack. Yeah, she like, oh. <laughs> her face crack, she's like, oh, okay. Then oh. he goes and asks Soraya, and she's like, oh, I don't really go to dance he's like i figured i just that's fine i just i had to ask and then he walks away away. making sure not to ask that not to ask serge no 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 he's gonna go sad if is not interested it's cute because 
Mm-hmm. It's nice to see one of these characters being nice to her and thoughtful about Human her being. <laughs> culture, specifically, and being interested in it. Being interested in it. And mm-hmm. being respectful of, like, what she's not comfortable doing when Surge is being so horrendous the whole time. And it's that thing, you know, I keep saying, Lucinda Guthrie raised kings. She didn't raise men, she raised kings. <laughs> When Jay is killed in the same Mm -hmm. incident with the purifiers that kills Wallflower later on, when Lucinda comes to the school to get his body, there's a really great scene where Soraya runs up to her, closes the door behind them, and Mm -hmm. throws herself on Lucinda and is like, I couldn't save him. I'm so sorry. I'm so, so sorry. And she pulls off her niqab. Mm-hmm. There's an interesting thing with Soraya where part of the dicey way this character, I think, has sometimes been portrayed is that there is a prurient fascination with, like, what's under the mm-hmm. niqab? What's behind the veil, right? And that's a the very fascistic reveal, Western reveal what's under there. obsession, mm-hmm. right? And so I think there are times, particularly in alternate universe stories, like in House of M or in mm-hmm. the really crazy one in Young X-Men, where... <sighs> bachelor titties (laughs) yeah truly like lady mastermind titty top there is there's this interest in alternate universe stories with showing off her body and like is look soraya is sexy in this world and she is soraya is hot she's very hot but it feels like there's like a lustiness to taking off the veil yeah there are other scenes, though, where it's very moving that she takes it off because it's when she feels comfortable, when she feels like she's alone. And when she's seeking connection with someone else. With other women, really specifically. Mm-hmm. Like, when she's having that conversation with Serge, she's not wearing it. Yeah. So you can see the disappointment on her face when Serge slams the door. Mm-hmm. There is another scene that we'll get to, which is, like, supposed to be the end point of the Serge and Dust arc, but that doesn't really work for <laughs> me. And I know it doesn't work no, for me no but another one is this scene with lucinda where they're women alone together she is trying to convey a real depth of emotion here and she takes off the niqab to just talk to lucinda and lucinda's like yeah oh honey it's not your fault embraces her and lucinda is a white lady from the sticks in kentucky Mm -hmm. like this is the kind of character you would expect to be the way that surge is about soraya yeah but instead she's 100% except she says you're just as beautiful as I knew you must have been from the way Jay talked about Mm -hmm. you you know it's very clear that she would have been very accepting of her son dating this girl if they had gone to that place like you get once again the idea that Lucinda Guthrie is an uncommonly good person just sort of all around right I really like that scene because it shows an understanding with the way in which Muslim women interact with other people the significance of removing the veil you know that is a thing removing the veil to connect with other women to see other people and also the veil also serves an interesting purpose and like it shows you the depth of the feeling and the interest that Jay has and you know there there are moments where it's utilized in really interesting and effective ways and that's kind of like a thing that I generally really like about the way in which Islam is specifically incorporated into the character of Soraya because I mean if you think very generally the most common archetype that we see with these Muslim characters is um, them as being culturally Muslim right? right? Monet, for instance, is Mm -hmm. Muslim culturally in the same way that Kate Pride is Jewish culturally, but is not particularly Mm -hmm. observant of the religion. Yeah. And those are like the most prominent example. Like we can argue that for Kamala as well. Sure. And if you want to go outside of Marvel, there's like people like Simon Boz as well, Mm -hmm. you know, who all 
have this thing about them being culturally Muslim. The fact that her relationship with Islam is shown, the fact that there's been effort put in to show that stuff like Islamic verses and the Quran. We see her pray. Yeah. We see her on the prayer rug sometimes. And it's also part of her lexicon. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's how she speaks to other people. It's not a cop-out. It doesn't feel the fact that she's devout and the fact that it's part of how she navigates the world around her. You know, I feel like that's a big deal that we don't really like acknowledge about because it goes beyond the niqab and abaya. And while you can argue that it's a stereotype, I mean, thinking about the broader context of superhero com- uh, comics, her faith isn't treated flippantly. It's rare to see that even with Christian characters, really, in comics. Yeah. Characters like Rain Sinclair or Ide Okonkwo or Aurora Jean-Marie Bobier, like, the character arc for them is usually about breaking away from their faith to some extent because it told them that mm-hmm. what they are is unclean or bad. It's rare to have any, like, Kurt is probably, like, the big example of a character where... Yeah he is still religious and that is presented as just like a thing that's part of his character and it's fine. And I think that Mm -hmm. there's a reason why Soraya was used in his recent book, Way of Acts, because like she is also like that. And there aren't that many characters generally who are like that. Even Kate, who is very proud to be Jewish and will wear the Star of David and all of that. Like there's a great story by Greg Recco where she's trying to observe mm-hmm. Yatzeit for Pyotr after Pyotr dies. And she's just like, God, I'm so bad at this. Like she's, she doesn't remember how to do all this, you know, like, <laughs> cause she's just not someone who's super religious. Yeah. And so I do think that that's one of the more interesting things about this character. I think it affects the way that she operates morally. I think it affects the way that she treats other people because she mm-hmm. thinks of herself as conducting herself in a pious or holy way, which is mm-hmm. an interesting motivation for a character to have. A religion is never a source of anxiety for her. No. It is incorporated into the things that she identifies within herself as a strength. And I think that's really powerful to have in a comic. It's never a weakness in her it's a source of willpower and strength for her always yeah and also the only time we've seen Soraya get really angry is when faith is being used by someone else to attack like in academy x we see her anger bubbles over when uh Reisman is sort of attacking her the purifiers who have this christian mentality yeah yeah and they're specifically targeting her as a muslim and they're specifically like calling up upon these stereotypes of Islam and extremism. And that is what angers her. Right. When her faith is being transformed into something that is meant to demarcate her non-belonging, her not being correct in the space, that is when she will sort of draw a firm line to really affirm it as being a source of power for her, which I think is really interesting if you sort of extend it towards thinking about Islam in general as being um, the themes of Islam in relation to supplication. Mm-hmm. The reductive sort of perception of that is that Islam is about surrendering power. But I think the way that I've been raised and the way that I've been taught Islam since I was very young is that you surrender power to recognize the power that you have over things and to recognize the power and that powerlessness to cause change within your life, you know. I see a lot of that sort of reflected in her and how she really turns towards her religion to try and guide her as a sort of a fountain well of power. And that's really powerful for me. And and that really like moves me. And I really love that. Yeah. Well, that's 
That's great. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> this is the kind of insight. I mean, I was very nervous about this character because she's really complicated and I'm just like a white Jewish American. Ooh, I don't know what I'm talking about. So I'm glad you're here because you really do. <laughs> it is really, I do think it's really important to talk to you about this because largely you were the target audience. I wasn't. Right. Right. And seeing how you receive these and how these sort of themes of these stories and what you think about um, the success or the attempts made with them, I think is really important. And maybe even like placing it in comparison towards my own perspective, I guess I think that's what Cerebro is about, isn't it? Building yeah, that's why I have a guest picture. every week. But it's just it's exciting to me when like someone says something where I'm just like, I could never have had that thought. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> To go back to Academy X, which we'll move mm. on from soon, thankfully, at least from the from the surge years. <laughs> thankfully, <laughs> we're going to Young X Men. So, <laughs> well, yeah. So, well, the, the, here's the thing with Soraya. I'm not sure that you're ever in a place where you're really 100% like, we're fine. <laughs> like, I feel like there's always a, there's always going to be an issue always or two where you're like, shiny. ooh. <laughs> But I will say, I think that in every book she's been in, it's always her story. She is always the the standout. And I do think Mm -hmm. that it takes a lot of guts on the part of these mostly white Western writers to go for it with this character. Because I would be very scared to write a book with Dust as a regular cast member in it. (laughs) I would be like, I'm going to fuck something up. I'm going to offend people. I'm going to do something that's a stereotype that I wasn't even aware of. Like, I'm going to fuck this (laughs) up. I do think that that's part of why the character has had such staying power is because when she is in a book, it's because a writer has a really specific idea for how to use her. Mm -hmm. There's always a plot in mind. Yeah. She's not like, you know, there are Academy X kids where like, I truly put a gun to my head I could not even tell you <laughs> matches real name you know what I mean like who the fuck is that kid I don't know uh, like I, I couldn't like what fucking wolf cub or whatever wolf cub who the fuck was. is wolf cub <laughs> who is she who, it's, I don't I, know her. who the fuck is that I have never in my life it's fine man he's someone who died <laughs> who cares and I'm fine with it I'm good with that. I, honestly, that bus is one of the best things that anybody's ever. No, no, no because he wasn't there were killed too many. I know he was Both killed by was... Donald Pierce. We'll get there. But there were too many of these kids. This mm. class was too it fucking was big. Too that yearbook is crazy. Yeah. There's like 50 of them. Yeah, it's like it's like a special extra large giant size planet size issue. It's way too much. It's too much. So I'm listen. No disrespect to. Rubbermaid and Dryad and all those kids. But like sometimes about 30 kids need to blow up in a bus because there's too many characters yeah. in the fucking book. You just got a lawnmower over a few and I'm fine with that. Whatever. So that's just a, a preface because we are going to be a little harsh on some of these tales, I think. And I do think that it is worth praising the writers who chose mm-hmm. to use this character and make her an important character in the X-Men franchise because it's been 20 years and unlike most of the Academy X kids, mm-hmm. this is a character who has a place of pride in the X-Men to the point where like, she could pop up in Way of X the way that she did and everybody was just like, okay, got it. She requires no introduction. She's just here. The way that any other X-Men character in that book, like Dazzler, who just pops up, you're like, yeah, that's Dazzler. Right. Dust pops up, you're like, oh, that's Dust. I remember her. You know, she's around. And she has her specific specific characterization. Yes. Dust will always be there to show up, to call an adult. To show up, to call the adults (laughs) fucking stupid or to tell people that their violent solution is dumb. Because that's the thing about her is she's really committed to nonviolence, which I think also Mm -hmm. 
at the time in particular, was a really important thing to do with this devout Muslim character. Mm-hmm. But, but here's the thing. What I love about her. If you cross a line, <laughs> sure. you're going to get flayed. Sure. You're going to get flayed. You, you, she will flay a bitch if she has Soraya. to. Soraya doesn't <laughs> want to flay a bitch, but she will. <laughs> Test her, test her and she will. Test her at your peril because you're going to be one of those skeletons with a little bit of meat on it. <laughs> I mean, honestly, Serge needs Surge to count needs her to lucky truly stars. count truly. every star in the heavens as <laughs> her guardian angel because she is extremely lucky that she did not wind uh, up picked clean as a bunch of bones <laughs> with some ugly gauntlets on them. I like to imagine that Soraya is just like whenever she runs by Serge at the lagoon or whatever, she's just like, say something, bitch. Just say, just say it. Something. I've had say I've one. Just, I've been waiting. <laughs> just look at me sideways. Just do it. <laughs> but no, I mean, the thing about Soraya that is admirable is that despite mm-hmm. having an incredibly lethal and powerful <laughs> ability and a large body, co- a large kill. Yeah. Cast, oh, yeah. She ca- she's killed a lot of people, but she really would rather not. That is something that I like about her. One of the things that I absolutely loved is I love that um, that scene with Laura and Soraya when they first meet. Laura walks in and she's just like, oh, you're Sunni. You're from Afghanistan. Yes. And Soraya is just like, yeah, I am. Have I can't believe that she's this like, white yes. girl's heard of like sectarian differences in Islam. After her experience with Serge, she doesn't believe that anyone yes. knows anything about Islam, right? So and she's someone like, is just talking to her like a decent right. human being. <laughs> and she's just like, yeah, I've killed a lot of people there. Yeah, Laura's just like, oh, I know that because <laughs> I was sent to Afghanistan to kill people, so. And I just wish Soraya would have been like, yeah, me too. Yeah, I also <laughs> killed a lot did. of people in Afghanistan. <laughs> I just want them to trade notes. I want them to go on adventures together where they're just like. <laughs> I really enjoyed them together in mm. that run. It was such a contrast to the earlier plot with Surge, which I really must insist that we finish out now. I know you just keep trying to blow right past it. I just hate her so. I much. know, but so what happens first? We have to get in. We have to get mm-hmm. into the A cab of it all. <laughs> yeah. So there's this character Wither. Wither mm-hmm. is a sad gay boy. He is, but he's in love with Wallflower. Don't worry about it. He uh, plays a more significant role in the Celine episode two weeks ago. So go back to that if you want more on Wither. He has rogue's power, but even worse. When he touches organic matter, it just disintegrates into ashes. So Mm -hmm. he is just generally depressed. He accidentally (laughs) killed his father when his power manifested because Uh he made his father disintegrate. Spent a few weeks killing animals in a car park or whatever the hell he was doing. (laughs) So now... There's this murder investigation and there's this FBI agent who's insisting that Danny and Scott and Emma turn with her mm-hmm. over to the police. And Danny is horny for this FBI agent. Which is, <laughs> I refuse. I rebuke it. I, I rebuke do not everything about it. this story because Danny ultimately decides, yeah, you're right. We should give him <laughs> to the cops, which is insane. Fully insane. Emma is the only person who's right in this scene mm-hmm. and she is presented as like a wacky right. extremist. She's like, no, I'm sorry. We're not going to give a mutant student to the human right. police. Like, uh, do you think this will turn out well for us? <laughs> and it does. Here's the thing about this story that is stupid. He is mm-hmm. acquitted. Unlikely. That wouldn't have happened. It just I simply don't would not that. have happened. No. no. It's framed in such a way as that we accept 
that the FBI agent was right, which I don't accept. The point is, while he's in mm-hmm. custody, the Hellions, Emma's squad, are like, this is bullshit. We're going to go break him out. Fuck the Icons, cops. legends. Hellion said ACAB. Julian said ACAB. <laughs> the best is in that scene in the cafeteria where they're all, everybody's in the cafeteria is gossiping about Wither, and Julian finally yeah. like, hovers into the air, and he starts yelling at everybody. He's like, you're all gossiping about this guy. <laughs> who's power activated and he killed somebody by accident. Mm-hmm. Now you're all talking shit about him. You don't deserve to be mutants. Fuck you. Like, hey, Noriko, what did you do on the streets with your powers or whatever? Like, <laughs> fuck off. He is completely correct. He's he 100% correct. correct. 100% correct. That issue ends with like the Helians versus the new new mutants being like, oh, you guys made a huge mistake. Also, can I just say, since Prodigy showed up, I, for the longest time, I love Prodigy now. I hated him because he hooked up with Surge. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, this is not. <laughs> there is no truer glow up if you're into asshole speedsters than yes. going from Surge to Tommy Shepard. That's a Truly. major glow up. In terms of Truly. significant other. I love that for them. I do too. And I hope it makes Surge <laughs> furious. Because I bet she's homophobic too. Here's the thing. I just don't. I, I, don't, I don't trust this girl. Surge, Surge has a few alts on Twitter. I that do she not gets trust a bit this wild girl <laughs> at all. Surya is hesitant to go against their teachers. But she mm-hmm. trusts Julian. Like Julian's our leader of our squad. So I'm going to listen to him. Yeah. I trust his judgment. They all go to try and break Wither out. It becomes a whole big fight. Surge mm-hmm. is like a fucking psychopath and starts attacking <laughs> Soraya much more mm-hmm. aggressively than she needs to. Finally, I get to like hit this freak or whatever. I forget what she says, but it's crazy. She says, you wear the burqa because you're told to. You come down here because Julian told you to. You make me sick. <laughs> you always do what you're told. And then she... <laughs> blasts her with like such intensity that wind dancer, wind has to dancer step in. steps in and is like wait 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 this is not personal right now mm-hmm. you're crazy for that like back up yeah. for a second and then wind dancer <laughs> fights dust instead and wind dancer because as her name might suggest she has power mm-hmm. over wind really fucks Soraya up because that's like <laughs> Un- that is, unintentionally yeah but that's no. like that's if you are still learning how to hold your sandstorm body together <laughs> Fighting the wind girl is rough. So Soraya ends up all fucked up. Sophia's like, shit, what did I do? Basically, she's, she's blasted into the woods yeah. behind the mansion. This is the scene that is supposed to tie up the Surge and Dust plot. Is mm-hmm. Surge brings the Nikab and Abaya to Soraya because Soraya is naked hiding in the bushes. Mm-hmm. Because at this point, they, right after this, they design her like a Nikaba to buy a made of unstable molecule so that she can stay clothed when she uses her powers. But at the time, she's now. Professor have one. X. Professor Again, X like sends forgot an email. to teach her English, forgot to make her a costume. I like Professor X sends an email being like, bitch, Emma, you need to sort this out Emma, right now. We are about to get sued. <laughs> This girl needs an, un- like, you need to call Dr. Peter Corbeau and Reed I'm Richards. Not- we need an unstable molecule burka I'm immediately. Not- and it was like, it's not a burka. It's an Akhaban and Abaya, Charles. Read a book. I'm suspicious now. I think that Emma may have been, may have been like, dragging her feet and finding Soraya's mom. <laughs> if Miro found out, I feel like there would have been a couple of calls. <laughs> there would have been an issue. <laughs> We can't find Soraya's mom just yet. We're gonna get sued. Oh. We need to get. We need to get. At the very least, we need this 
unstable molecule niqab set up stat we need to get that right? together then we can go look <laughs> that, yeah, we need to kill this in the bud now <laughs> so Serge comes out with Soraya's clothes and brings them to her Soraya by the way as you note stunningly gorgeous which no doubt infuriates mm -hmm. Noriko also she's giving Jasmine she is giving <laughs> she's giving a magic carpet ride she's giving you fantasy you're saying that not me because that feels problematic but I'll allow it <laughs> I could say it please don't tweet me <laughs> she definitely is giving Princess Jasmine whenever she yes. is unveiled like she has hair is gorgeous bouncy. hair uh beautiful she has those arab eyelashes which you know we look like we have eyeliner on some of us <laughs> so norka's like here's your burka <laughs> soraya says thank you that was very thoughtful and mm -hmm. norka says don't thank me it was jay's <laughs> idea he also figured it was better if a girl brought it lucinda raised a king <laughs> yeah he thought he was like oh my god Soraya's gonna be so upset if she gets seen like naked by people that's really gonna be horrible for her someone yeah. bring her this stuff and you could tell her was like why don't you do it he was like because i'm a man that wouldn't be appropriate because he's read a fucking book i hate her so much connor <laughs> she is the worst <laughs> what is wrong with her and then they're walking back after Soraya gets dressed and mm -hmm. Noriko says, I don't get you. You broke the law because Julian said so, but you won't make the run back to the dorm. And Soraya says, and you would have? Meaning like you would have run back naked? And mm -hmm. Noriko says, absolutely, even without super speed. It's my body. All they can do is look, let them. And Soraya says, and that is why I understand you as little as you understand <laughs> me. Like, here's the thing. I get, I get where Serge is coming from in the sense of like, mm -hmm. I don't believe that I should be ashamed of my body. I personally derive power from wearing skimpy clothes, from showing off my body. She's always in a yeah. mirror bearing top. It's that Emma thing. Yeah. Yes. But not to make the awful comparison. But well, <laughs> no, but I but I think that's indicative also because Soraya never has a problem with Emma Frost. Never. No, never. And she's one of Emma's students. She's a, she's chosen by Emma to be on mm. Emma's squad. Which I think makes all the sense because if you really think about it, Emma and Soraya are very similar and very In specific. some ways, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, can I go off? Go on off. Go, go. They share a lot of similarities in their stories and some of them are defining straight. Like, like Emma, Soraya is someone who has survived. She's had the horrors of the world inflicted on them. They both had the horrors of the world inflicted on them specifically because of their womanhood and their outward, dis outward displays of self. Very specifically, their mm -hmm. powers, they first mm -hmm. get control over their powers because they are facing a sexual threat. Emma, yes learns to use her telepathy actively because she is in an institution where the guards are abusing her sexually. Yes. Soraya explodes into sand because these men want to sell her into sexual slavery and are going yeah. to unveil her. She can't tolerate it. Mm -hmm. They're both women who manifest power specifically by taking ownership by, men, of, by taking ownership of their own body yes yes and i would say also they're also two women who are like i said before they're two women who are judged and have assumptions made about them from the second they walk into the door which i think is really interesting as a parallel in very different ways but the thing i also think is the most interesting thing that links them is um they are both in a team they take on the role of the pragmatists Mm -hmm. They are the logical ones. Neither one is gullible. They're always very painfully aware and realist about the situation. And like, I just love that. I love these like interesting looks. Like it makes complete sense to me that 
Soraya is one of Emma's students. And I just, I love the little hint, the little glimpses of their relationship together. I really want that explored more. Me too. I would love to see more of it. And especially, I mean, Emma seems to be taking on maybe a bigger leadership role after yeah. Inferno. And Soraya, hopefully, is going to be part of the Legion that Legion is yeah. setting up with her. <laughs> so I'm hopeful that we're going to see a lot more of her yeah. in the year to come. And they are both going to be in central positions maybe and that would be a good opportunity to have them chat i would love that so much i love emma dipping in and out i love the preview of next week's hellions where she and kanon are having like a very tense conversation yes kanon (laughs) is another character who she's very strong she gives as good as she gets like she's not Mm -hmm. she will play the verbal game in the same way but you can't get one over on her you know in that way and so emma is a little intimidated by her you can tell yeah i think that emma is similarly not intimidated by soraya but very intrigued by her very respectful of her there is never a scene where emma who is obviously someone who weaponizes sexuality Mm -hmm. to the ultimate extent there is never a scene where she says anything condescending to never ever and she's very condescending and there's also never a scene where Soraya who Mm. is obviously someone who believes that modesty is important especially for herself there is never a scene where she makes a rude comment about the way Emma dresses she is never disrespectful to Emma and in part Mm -hmm. that's because Emma is her teacher and she feels strongly that you should be respectful of your elders that's a thing that the character is pretty intense about except when Soraya thinks that one of the teachers or elders is wrong she's very vocal about it so, she is. Yeah. You know, Soraya is a blunt person. Like you mentioned Kwanon. That's something. Exactly. Should. And even when she's alone, like if it was her and Laura alone and Laura and Emma mm. don't necessarily get along because Emma's very <laughs> condescending to Laura. We, mm, that, I do. Which I, I don't I do think I, I don't love how she's written in that. I no, I I just love the Kimura scene. The Kimura scene, I think, is great. The Kimura scene makes up for a lot, but the like, let's all have you fight in the danger room to decide. (laughs) That's a bit weird. That sucks to me. And her firing Danny doesn't fit at all for me. No, yeah, no, I don't agree with that. But you know, whatever. Point is, Soraya is a character she clearly has a lot of respect for, and Emma is Mm -hmm. a character that Soraya clearly has a lot of respect for, and that's what gives the lie to this idea of surges that it's like Dust and I like don't get along because she judges me for being a slut. It's like no. Emma's a slut and Soraya doesn't care. Yeah. Like it's that you're a racist asshole without yeah. any provocation. Yes. <laughs> That's what we care about. That right. Is and so the been. idea that like they're walking away and it's like, now we're supposed to understand, like they just have their own perspective. And it's like, well, yeah, but Soraya didn't do anything to Serge mm-hmm. at all. I will say those panels are probably the thing that sealed Serge's fate in terms of like obscurity, because like that's the last note it's that like, you who leave. wants to who wants to do something with this character no. i don't that leads into a really great story story also de philippus and weir mm-hmm. the new x-men hellions miniseries that's just about yeah. that squad it's a four issue they get manipulated by this guy who's tied to the hellfire club and julian's family the kingmaker he is promising to grant all their fondest wishes if they will help him acquire a payload he needs. Mm-hmm. Soraya is the one, and this is where, again, she shows that Serge has her all wrong because she says to Julian, I think this is a bad idea. Because first yeah. of all, it involves like magic and she's just religiously not super comfortable with the idea of like, let's do sorcery. Mm-hmm. So there's that. But also- This will have a price. Right. There will be a cost for this. There is always a cost to this kind of- 
act. Mm-hmm. She's a character who has had to make a lot of compromises. Yeah. Yeah. By virtue of being who she is, operating the world as she does, she has been in refugee camps where everything has a price, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. She's not willing to pay this one, whatever it will be, until the kingmaker is like, well, all right, what do you want? And she's like, I want to see my mother again. Yeah. It's like a challenge. Like, you can't do that, possibly. Because no one has been right. able to so far. And he immediately pulls whatever underground international espionage strings he has and mm-hmm. reunites Soraya with her mother. Yeah. Mira, who is at another refugee camp now in Afghanistan. This is an interesting scene because we see that Mira does not wear niqab. She wears a hijab. No, she's hijabi. Yeah, but she's does a not hijabi cover woman. her face. Mm-hmm. I think that this was a good character beat for Soraya because we get that this isn't something that was forced upon her by her family. It's a choice yeah. that she made. They even have a conversation about it where mm-hmm. Mira is surprised that Soraya in America is still observing Purda at all. Mm-hmm. And Soraya says, I never wore it because of the Taliban mother. I like the modesty and protection it affords me from the eyes of men. And Mira responds, it is good that you are in a country where you have that choice, Soraya. Here things are better, but not all the time and not everywhere. I do really like this uh, series because it has a lot of really interesting characterizing moments for Soraya. Like it, it starts at an airport with people with uh, policemen pointing guns at them. And Soraya is the one that calms that down by breaking with the group. Mm-hmm. And she's the holdout for the team going for this deal. And <laughs> this is just a little note that I find really funny. I like when that scene on the plane where her and Mercury are talking. <laughs> and Soraya... <laughs> And I Mercury. like their their friendship is also cute. Her friendship with Mercury. <laughs> That's another one. Mercury's naked all the time and in skimpy clothing yeah. all the time. And Soraya never says boo about it because Mercury's not a fucking bitch to her all the time. <laughs> Mercury's not a weird racist. So Soraya's like, you wear whatever you want. I'm like, not. Because Soraya, I, you know, it's like, she's not aggressive like that. And she's not an asshole. And like, either. she's not going to say anything about how you dress. If you asked her opinion, she might be like, honestly, mm-hmm. I don't think you should show off your midriff to boys like that, but you should do whatever yeah. you want to do, you know? From the very first instance that we had that conversation pop up, specifically about bodies and dress, just to sort of go back to quote what she says again, there are, she says, I do not judge the way you dress. I only ask that you do the same for me, which I don't know if I'm reading too much into it, but it very much parallels a verse in the Quran, which basically roughly translates to you have your way and I have mine. And all I ask for between us is peace. Mm-hmm. That's just sort of her perspective on that. And that sort of tracks through. Soraya doesn't really care about these things. She right. just wants to live. <laughs> she just wants you to live. And also, like, I'm worried about me. Like, I have yes. a relationship with Allah and I, like, do what I think I need to do. And you are not. It's not about you. I mean, it reminds me to, to come at it from a Jewish perspective of, like, mm-hmm. there's always a lot of chitter chatter about, like, the phrase the chosen people or the idea of, like, mm-hmm. the chosen. Because there are people who think that it's an ex- an expression of superiority or something like that. And what okay. the chosen people means very specifically is that, like, according to the Torah, God went around to all different tribes and was like, be this tribe that is beloved by me, but also you have all mm-hmm. these responsibilities that other people don't have. And most people said no, because the responsibilities were annoying. 
And the Jews said yes. So it's like Mm -hmm. you were chosen, so you have this special relationship with me, but you also have to follow all of these laws that I don't require other people to follow. And that Mm -hmm. is sort of, I mean, you know, Islam and Judaism are very connected religions, obviously. We're going to be honest, we're cousins. (laughs) Yeah, well, well, literally, because Isaac and Ishmael. Yeah, literally. (laughs) Like, literally, it's like Sarah's son by Abraham starts Judaism. Mm. Hagar's son by Abraham starts Islam. So they're very, very, very connected religions and i read that in a similar way where it's like no Mm -hmm. i have expectations i place on myself because i am in this covenant with my god but you Mm -hmm. are don't require to do that because you haven't taken on that responsibility yes so there's nothing to do with you yes yes that's that's exactly it like that's exactly Soraya is not proselytizing she's not trying to convert anybody no it would have been interesting to see i know that we're in deep philippus were interested in doing an arc where jay converts because he wants to be in a relationship with her. Yeah. And by getting to know her, he gets interested in Islam. I think that would have been a very interesting story, but it would have been something I think he decides he wants to do. It wouldn't have been something she would have encouraged because she's very private. It's a personal thing for her, even with her own mother. Like, Mm -hmm. that's the beat that I think is interesting. When we find out that she is more observant than her mother is. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And when her mother gives voice to... The other fact about Perda, which is that in Afghanistan under the Taliban, it's not something where you have a choice, right? Mm -hmm. So what she's saying is, I'm glad you have the choice. Your perspective is perfectly fine, but it's also valid when women don't want to do this. And I do Mm -hmm. think that that was an important thing to lay out. The story then characterizes her in another really incredible way, which is that when she finds out that what the kingmaker is trying to get his hands on, she's absolutely right that the price is something more than they can tolerate because he's trying to get his hands on a biological weapon. And the second she hears the word weapon, she literally snaps out of the She's like, uh, no, actually, yeah. um, She's ultra robbed immediately, (laughs) right. But when they break the deal with him, he's like, you will never see your mother again, basically. Right. And she's like, so be it then, because I'm not going to do this for you. I'm not going she's to have these to deaths on sacrifice. my conscience. And there's an mm-hmm. incredible scene. It's another one of the scenes where we see her unveiled. This is a scene where it's her sitting in her room alone. Serge is not there, thank God. She's on the phone. <laughs> and Sorry, we- I just cut that. <laughs> <laughs> and... She's on the phone and we don't know what language she's speaking. I guess it's supposed to be Arabic, but it could be Pashto or any number of other things. Yeah. She says, as I told the other gentleman, I am seeking a refugee. Her name is Mira Kadir. Transferred from the camp. Do you know where to? No, I under I understand it's difficult to. Yes, I will hold. And then it's just a panel. It's her in profile of her Mm. crying and that's why she has to be unveiled in this scene so we can really see that right but it's also because she's alone it underlines that she wears this garb because she likes she likes the fact that men can't see what she looks like that is something she derives power from when she's alone that's not a concern yeah exactly it underlines the private versus public concept of Mm -hmm. islamic modesty it doesn't feel prurient the way that it sometimes does other times we see this character unveiled and it's like ooh yeah ooh sexy it's like also early this is very true though of all these issues in the early stuff I would say really up until young X-Men the abaya that she wears is very form fitting 
and it's kind of like, yeah, it's look at this amazing rack. Like, look at these this TNA <laughs> on this Muslim girl being modest, which kind of defeats Let's add the a purpose, Let's right? Cinch the ways, <laughs> cinched for the gods, honey. Like yes. very, yeah. yes, play mama, yes, yes, like hourglass figure, bitch. Like it's very, it's a little silly, and I think they got a lot of notes on that from yeah, readers. They did. That was that was. I remember that being a big critical controversy i guess yeah and like i'm glad it was because they really did fix that since that point on and um i really like her visual she's so distinctive it's gorgeous to look at yeah for sure and it's great seeing her in just an action sequence it's just i love best (laughs) yeah then the decimation Mm. happens she saves surge in the bus explosion we covered that then there's another story where we see her unveiled. But this is one, again, where I thought it was really smart, which is the story with Laura. Mm -hmm. Basically, the purifiers are after Soraya because Reverend Stryker has some knowledge of the future and knows that a bunch of his men are going to be killed by her. Yes. Laura overhears that something is afoot. Jay has fallen in with the purifiers. It's complicated. We'll get there in a Jay episode (laughs) at some point. He has, like, said to Soraya, basically, something bad is coming. Like, don't follow me. I'm sorry. You know, yada, yada. And she simply won't take that for an answer. She's going to go after him and try to save him after they argue about it for a while. Laura conks her on the head, knocks her out. Because at this point, they're very good (laughs) friends. They've been living together. Mm -hmm. Laura then puts on the niqab and abaya and acts as a decoy. Because she does get fucking sniped in the head. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> but it's a trap. She has a healing factor. So, mm-hmm. you know, she's like, he's, it's a trap for you. This is a trap. Mm-hmm. And the reason that they do that, the reason that they take out Soraya is because they have some Nimrod thing Tech well, that tells Nimrod them that she's going yeah. to kill a bunch of them. So then I guess Laura dresses Soraya in her clothes. Like Soraya is in like a little <laughs> tank top and shorts or whatever. And is clearly like, what the fuck's going on when she wakes back up? <laughs> Why am I wearing earrings? Where did the earrings go? <laughs> Why is my hair so freshly curled? <laughs> I really, I really like this image of Laura just like putting Soraya in curl. Well, I gotta make sure she looks cute, you know. An ally, an ally. Honestly. So <laughs> she steps out, and one of the it might be Rissman is just like the Muslim, but that's not possible. <laughs> You're dead. You're dead. And that is the like that's it takes literally just that. She looks at him, her eyes glow, and she says, Durab. And then suddenly he screams. Yeah, it's not Rizman because I'm looking at him skeletonizing on the next yeah. panel. This time we do get to see it. This is not New X style discreet. We see the whole fucking thing. These guys just fucking skeletonize as she rips them into fucking pieces and there are no gloves the from meat. their bones. She is pissed off. No meat Jesus. whatsoever. She just skeletons, baby. And they're all fucking screaming and shooting at her with their guns, but it has no effect, man, because she's just a fucking sandstorm and you're fucked. You're fucking fucked. <laughs> Everybody needs to go to this page and see this little skeleton man <laughs> like screaming. Is this I think it's uh it's somewhere I forget which issue it is, but it's it's in 25 to 27 somewhere that art. Yeah. Childhood's end. She just fucking kills them, man, like no hesitation, because that's the thing. She doesn't want to do it, but she'll do mm-hmm. it. She'll do but it. If you if you test if her, you call she her, will... if you're like the Muslim, you're supposed to be dead. She you're fucked, my guy. <laughs> oh, am I? Okay. Uh whoosh. 
shit. And I do think that that like cultural appropriation moment from Laura, like walking around in the garb, honestly though, cute because she's putting her own <laughs> life on the line to save Soraya. I mean, I just I'll think forgive her. Here's the thing. It's such a contrast with Serge, where Serge never shut up mm-hmm. about it. Laura's like, all right, put it on me, because now I got to go get shot so that Soraya can escape, which is like a very different, it's just a very different attitude to have about your roommate. And you can see exactly why, because, I mean, just to sort of drive that contrast deeper, it's really highlighted when you see, like, Soraya is the only student, at that point anyway, who is kind to Who's Laura. nice to Laura, right. That's the thing, is, like, she... Everybody else hates her for right. some reason. and is just afraid of her, and Soraya <laughs> relates to that, I think. And it's just sort of I like, we can, be, we can be friends, we live together now, like, I'll be nice to you. You know, they must have just stayed up at night arguing whether flaying or stabbing is the most effective way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Trading notes. So, so that's when Jay ends up dead, and there's that great scene with Lucinda that we talked about. Then mm. we pivot into Quest for Magic, which is just a cool arc for Soraya because she's a fucking badass throughout. <laughs> this is the one time her religion is kind of a weakness for her, right? Like, at least mm-hmm. at first, because she is really scared of Belasco. He is Shaitan. Shaitan. She's like, it's the fucking <laughs> devil, right? Like, okay, I'm in hell. Like, we're in. <laughs> Hell, I am really afraid of hell because I'm actually religious. Yeah. I'm just going to stay in this rock and just hope he doesn't see me. Right. Like, that's her vibe. But <laughs> when push comes to shove and she thinks that he's killed her friends, mm-hmm. she gets real in the fucking mix. She does her full sandstorm. And this is a cool time again when you see her face, but it does not feel yeah. voyeuristic. It's her just being like, well, I'm going to fucking kill you now. He says, more lies. You know well enough to fear me. Both of you so afraid. I can taste it on your souls. And she says, if today is the day I die, then let it be a death that makes Allah proud. And then he's like, so be it. Then she fucks him up, though, because it turns out she and Mercury, because their forms are malleable, mm-hmm. are able to sort of fuck with his magic a little bit because he can't yeah, quite get a hold of They're somewhat resistant. Yeah. She defends herself really admirably until they do get rescued. So, you know, uh, that's a cool moment for her. Yeah, and she lives to flay another day. She does. (laughs) And that leads into Messiah Complex. Oh, my God. Possibly my favorite moment for Soraya. (laughs) So first, Soraya is the target of the Predator X, which is the same (laughs) the purifiers send after the mutants. But specifically, Rizman, who is the one survivor of the Flay Fest, earlier that we were just talking about he's only got half a face now because she got him good he just managed to get away before he was a full skeleton she just left him with a memory of just like her. he's impact, like a fan you know? of the opera guy now <laughs> he's very he's very two-faced like yeah he's pissed so he like gets an old veil of hers or something and like gets the predator x to get her scent predator x the Predator X is got her you scent. Gotta say right. I gotta say, I'm sorry, I forgot for a second. Predator X has the, uh, the scent. Predator X runs off to the school and um, then gets distracted by mm. Baby Hope, who's just been born. Yeah. So he runs off to Alaska instead. But eventually, the Predator X does make its way back to the school. There's an incredible on scene. Some dead where, <laughs> so first, first, Surge, Surge uh, is pissed. Again. 
that they're being kept out of the fight because they're kids. And so she decides mm-hmm. to ignore Cyclops' orders and they should all go fight the purifiers. It's like she's right. Fine. She's she okay. is right about this. Soraya, though, doesn't want to do it because she says, this is wrong, Noriko, to rescue the child, yes, but that's not what you want. You want blood. And we have seen far too much blood of late. She's like, you just want to do this for revenge. Yeah. And that I'm not cool with. Soraya will get violent, but only in self-defense. Yeah. Or for like, a specific cause if she's like fighting yeah, as a like soldier. We can, right. But like, she's not going to like that counts as self-defense to her. Like, that's what she says. Like mm. we should save the child. Obviously she's like, but you just want to go kill them. Yeah. She's not petty. Yeah. She's not she's petty. Like, that's not, that's not a, you know, right. So she decides to stay behind and help the X-Men on site, which turns mm-hmm. out to be a good thing because the Sentinels get all hacked and start fucking with stuff. <laughs> the Sentinels that are on site Mm-hmm. So she ends up having to fight the Sentinels, and it's good that she's there. Then she's tending to the graves of all those kids who blew up in the bus, <laughs> and she turns the corner, and the Predator X has dug the them up X. and is just munching on them. Which <laughs> is just, it's just. This book bit... is mean. Like I, I, I do think, I do think that the Kyle and Yo's run is a lot better than what comes before it, but it is yeah. unbelievably mean to these kids. <laughs> no, you're completely right. It's it, it does. Too much with the to save all of the injured mutants in the medical bay. Pixie ends up teleporting them all to the only person they know who can kill a predator X, which mm-hmm. is Laura. Laura. So they all end up teleported to Muir Island, <laughs> where the X Men and X Force are fighting with the Marauders like, it's and the a melee. It's a melee. It's a whole melee. Mess. <laughs> Like, people are dying. Every major villain is there. And Emma is fighting with Exodus. Mm -hmm. This is one of the best Soraya moments ever. Do you want to be Soraya and I'll be Emma? Yes. Okay. Yes. And it's also one of the best Emma moments as well. It's so good. So Exodus, first of all, if you're not familiar with Exodus, we'll get to an Exodus episode relatively (laughs) soon because nobody gets what this character is about. And they're like, please help. And I'm like, I'm going to help. I just... I have to reread a bunch of 90s shit and I didn't want to do it, but I'm going to do it's it. It's red and powerful. I mean, he's a pink it. guy from the Crusades times. I mean, he literally is a crusader. So there's that yeah. aspect also to like for Serena. He loves the cult. He loves shaping the minds of mutant children. Yeah. He is also, though, an Omega level telekinetic. In fact, mm-hmm. now post House of X with the list really codified, he's the only Omega level telekinetic. He's the most powerful telekinetic yes. on Earth mm-hmm. or in the universe, as far as we know. He is a tough character. He's one of the more powerful X-Men villains out there. Yeah. He is bent over going <laughs> with blood pouring out of, out his, of mouth. his nostrils, and his nose, mouth, his ears. All of it's it. Amazing. Every hole, there's just blood pouring out of his face. And Emma says, sand grains, silicate crystal with a cutting edge, barely 20 microns wide, nature's little shurikens. <laughs> But I'm sure your lungs will patch up good as new with a little prayer and fasting, Monsieur de Paris. Why did you taunt him, Miss Frost? I took no pleasure in his pain. Didn't you, Soraya? Well, don't fret. I took enough for both of us. <laughs> and like, this is Soraya, happening. Soraya, meanwhile, <laughs> is pulling herself. All of the sand is pulling up out of his... He has conked to the ground in a pool <laughs> of blood pouring out of his face. And she is just a million sand grains pulling out of his body back into her niqab and abaya. It is... Iconic. A beautiful page. Chris Pachalo kills this page, first of all. Amazing. They're just having a moment. It's a great characterizing moment for both of those people, but also, like, look at them as a team. Like, they do have a lot 
in common. The difference between them is that Emma is petty. <laughs> yes, but I, I like Soraya when she's like next up to a petty person. But this is just so, I love this scene. This is, uh, I love this so much. Just like one of my favorite Emma moments. This is one of my favorite Soraya moments. Just like, just the, the image of Exodus, just like splat on the floor. Thud, <laughs> Diamond Lil style. Exodus is not having a great day here. <laughs> just say that. Not at all. That's a, yeah, no, this is a good one. This is a good issue. <laughs> so after Messiah Complex, Professor Xavier is apparently killed. Cyclops mm-hmm. has like kind of a breakdown <laughs> and disbands the X-Men and like sends all the students home and whatever. Yeah. So when next we see Soraya, it's in Young X-Men, which was a book by Mark Guggenheim and Yannick Paquette. She's in Bakula, Afghanistan. Yes. And she has become a superhero in Afghanistan, <laughs> liberating refugees, taking the fight to the Taliban in places. She has become like Afghanistan's rebel superheroine. Yeah, she is like a fucking badass. She has, when we first see her, transformed herself into sand. She's played out throughout this village and she's speaking to them uh, through the wind and they just think of her as the wind. They don't see her. Mm -hmm. She says, um, leave before you get a demonstration of what I can do. She says this this village is under her protection. She tells them, I'll rip the skin from your bones if you don't go. (laughs) He says... I would truly like to see that. <laughs> and she just replies, all right then. And then the next, <laughs> the next page is this, this guy's hand as a literal skeleton. It's just she skeletonizes bold. his hand. Yeah, instantly. She, she rips the skin off his hand. And he's just looking at it like, oh, she, you, you meant that. You really meant that literally, huh? Okay. Uh... <laughs> and she like leaves him with a note now go before I remove the skin from your face while everybody just celebrates her and I'm just like I love her so much and that is of course after she saved a uh, village of minority people when uh, Scott Summers shows up to try well so that's the thing so Cyclops <laughs> shows up it's a very giant size X-Men number one moment yes. of like hmm hello child like Xavier and Storm you're doing great things for these people, but you should come help white people in America. We need your help more. <laughs> the twist to Young X-Men is that Cyclops comes and assembles all of these Xavier School students who have dispersed after the school was disbanded mm-hmm. because the original New Mutants, he claims, have become a new brotherhood of evil mutants and need to be stopped. It's not actually Cyclops, though. This is the twist in the book. It is <laughs> Donald Pierce using an image inducer. Yeah. Can I just say one of my favorite things about this book is that the log line refers to Donald Pierce as the ex fatty. <laughs> so I just have written down in my notes, Donald Pierce is mutants Jesse Nelson. <laughs> he kind of is in his full Jesse Nelson. <laughs> he literally mode. shows up appropriating a mutant, mutant culture. I mean- <laughs> yeah, visually. <laughs> the ex fatty and the Bobby. <laughs> he liked him bad, bad brotherhood. <laughs> So Colin and I have talked at length about <laughs> boys by Jesse Nelson. We have. Beat Nicki Minaj. We're not going to talk about Nicki because I'm afraid of the barbs. But <laughs> the... Um, Ask me on Twitter how the I The Jesse <laughs> of it all. Shocking. I know you struggle. It's shocking. Struggle. But I struggle because the song, it's not that it's good. It's that <laughs> the Bad Boys for Life sample is really good. And like, whenever I hear it, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I like this. And they're like, no, wait, no. It's Jesse Nelson. <laughs> In blackface. <laughs> you have a guilty, a guilty little twerk. I get yeah. you. I get what you mean. We all have those. <laughs> but I would love to see 
the ex baddie and the Bobby. And it's like, <laughs> and it's like, um, it's like Donald Pierce in that Jesse Nelson outfit with like the yellow golf hat and the braids. Oh my God. Who would be Nikki though? The Barbie is Cameron Hodge, but with like a cardboard Barbie <laughs> bikini cutout hanging from his robot head. I literally want it to be like Nikki's body, like real sure, life body. But it's like Cameron Hodge <laughs> with his like human head on like his side. Just like hanging. Neck, and there's and like a, a cardboard, cardboard, like the suit hanging. He's the Barbie. Someone please draw that. The ex body uh, and the Barbie. ex body and the Barbie. I like the bad, bad boys. I like the bad, bad boys. Bad boys for life. Anyway. Um, she does do an interesting Ariana impression of that song. It's just, it's, there's a lot of layers going on in that song. I just, this is not a Jesse Nelson podcast. This right? is not a Jesse Nelson podcast. Here's the thing about Ariana. I get that Ariana sometimes tans herself a little too dark. Uh-huh. But also, she's like from Boca Raton, and that's just what everybody looks like in Boca Raton. I'm not right. excusing it. I'm just saying it is the thing. But also, she doesn't do that, though. She doesn't do like, let's no, do some she doesn't do cornrows. <laughs> let's do some gold teeth. Let's have a grill in. Like, no. I will assent to that point, but I refuse to let go of uh, the nickname Africana Grande. Well, <laughs> I just, I just as we mentioned it. earlier, 23 and me says she's. Algerian so you never know I remember Twitter was like I knew anyone who could sing like that was African somehow <laughs> somewhere somewhere in there you know maybe uh, uh, oh god we're gonna have an African Glinda finally. yeah there you go and Elphaba oh my god yeah okay Black Power we're into it there you yeah. go so anyway so it is in fact the ex-baddie Donald Pierce not Cyclops he leads them all into battle with the new mutants the classic new mutants and magma I mean, Magma being evil makes all the sense. Magma, who knows this girl, by the way, because Magma she was, taught an, her. was an, an instructor she was at Academy She was teacher. <laughs> Dust comes at Magma, and Magma whips around and just blasts lava at her and turns her <laughs> into glass from her sand form. And then fucking Soraya Wolf Cub is like going to fall and shatter. Wolf Cub is like, holy shit. And he's like, we got, she's going to shed. Like, Rockslide has to hold her because he's like, if she falls, she's going to break and be she's dead. She's going to die. And then she Wolf come. <laughs> falls on her. And <laughs> she like, gets knocked over and shatters. It's like, Magma, this was like your first option? Why don't we talk? Why don't we just communicate? So Dust does shatter, but it turns out she can pull herself out of being sand once Magma is like, oh, wait, hold on. Let me melt the glass. So it turns out she's okay. <laughs> So it's like, okay, well, but you didn't know that that would work, Magma, yeah, first of all. Yeah, also she fucks off immediately back to San Francisco. She's like, well, that's my part done. Donald Pierce kills Wolf Cub, don't care, moving on. Point is, mm-hmm. now they know it was Donald Pierce. Donald Pierce is in the brig, and Cyclops, the real Cyclops, is like, come join us in San Francisco. We're doing this whole thing. They end up on Utopia and all of that or whatever mm-hmm. eventually. But first, Soraya has some fun like silence of the lambs type scenes talking to Donald yes. through the glass he goes clarice on them i love that i do love those sequences we find out here that even though she did survive magma's assault she now has like sand cancer because <laughs> magma really <laughs> fucked her up and now her body is slowly turning into glass <laughs> I fucking hate Magma. What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? This is a child. And here's the and thing. You, here's not, the thing. Just X-Men, a... X-Men, X-Men. Like, and she's probably 18 by now, but still, like, this is someone you taught when she was like in high school. Also, <laughs> X-Men get possessed and fight each other all the time. You don't shoot to kill instantly. <laughs> like, what are you thinking? And like she literally says, 
oh, you're attacking me. Okay, students, I taught you, but I guess now I'm gonna have to kill you before she turns her into, what? I just, I know Magma has her defenders, but I would just tell those people to just sit down and have a thought about it. I'll take Magma <laughs> before Surge, probably, if I'm going to have to. Although, you know, Magma's kind of pro-slavery. And also blackface. Yeah. You know what? That's a tough. <laughs> right. That's a tough battle. Right. Let's just have them Magma fight. at least looks cool. Magma looks cool. Surge she does. Cool. She does have a so good design. That. But my perspective is let's just put them in a room together. And, and just see what happens. See what happens. Yeah. So... Donald Pierce tells Soraya that he can fix her sand cancer because he has done research supervising her as fake Cyclops. Mm -hmm. She is like, I will never help you escape. He eventually convinces her. He's like, listen, I have people who are going to break me out. I am going to escape mm -hmm. from here. It's up to you whether you help me escape or not. If you do, I will save your life. If you don't, I will happily let you die. Right. This is her one moral failure ever as a character, honestly. She thinks about it and she's like, all right, I will help you because I don't want to die. Don't want to die. Yeah. Yeah. Understandable. I get it. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Completely makes sense. I mean, but and also because she changes her mind immediately. That's the thing is immediately when they get mm -hmm. caught, she's like, okay, you know what? This was a bad choice. I should not have done this. Yeah. She's like, I'd rather die than just keep helping you. And she turns on him and attacks him. It takes off his face. <laughs> yeah. But using her power to attack him makes her fully just turn to glass and she dies in Danny Moonstar's arms and it's really sad. Mm -hmm. Then this character, Ink. Um, Don't worry second. about it. Ink <laughs> is not really a mutant. The first pretender. He the is a pretender. pretender. Yeah, he mm. got tattoos from a mutant with a tattoo power and they let him... Don't worry about it. Don't worry, about, don't it. worry about it. Point is, he has a Phoenix Force tattoo that enables him to tap a tiny fragment of the Phoenix Force. This is the part that you truly should not worry about. And this character, I don't think, has been seen in years, and I'm thrilled by nope. that, and I don't feel the need to see him again. He's better off wherever he is. I hope he's thriving, you know, away from Somewhere any Somewhere that's not to connected to any characters I interact with. <laughs> yes. He uses that fragment of the Phoenix Force that he can tap into to resurrect her. Mm -hmm. That's sort of the end of that arc. And everybody's happy that she's alive. And I certainly was happy that she was alive. Yeah. But then there is the alternate timeline. We get sort of like a... Sexy dust. Yeah. So like... Dust after dark. There's a dark future we see, a dark possible future, mm -hmm. where because she was resurrected by ink... Soraya decides that her soul has been corrupted and she blames mutants and she kills everybody. And more importantly, in this bad future, she wears the Bachalo titty top. She looks like uh, a mastermind. Yeah. She's like evil and sexy. <laughs> you know what she is, darling? She's a fucking flare. <laughs> it's just really not great it's not it's, it's i mean i would say uh, you could stop young x-men i will say i like more i think than mm -hmm. some of the other stuff particularly because i think dust's arc in it is interesting she as you said is always the most interesting character if she's the yes. regular character in a book and she's the lead in this book for the most for part. for sure absolutely i mean it opens with that incredible stuff in afghanistan and it continues mm -hmm. 
to follow her. The Silence of the Lamb bit was really good. I really enjoyed sort of those intro. I like the fact that, you know, in her spare time, she would be inclined to just go and rub the fact that she's free in Donald Pierce's face. Yeah. She locked him in that cell. The one thing I, I find really interesting about this uh, series and like even like Sexy Dust After Dark is... That's just one where it felt very like exoticized and voyeuristic to me. Like, look at how unveiled she is now. Also, her motivation. This is the only moment that we see her having self-hatred for herself as a mm-hmm. mutant when she's in this else world. Aside from that, like it's it's also part of those conversations that she has with Donald Pierce, where she highlights the fact that no, I don't hate myself for being a mutant. That's not why she's asking him who among us isn't a mutant because right. it's ink, by the way. Sorry, spoilers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so she said, it's not why I'm asking who's a mutant. It's because she feels like being a mutant means that she has to be an X-Man and being an X-Man is somewhat of a death sentence. Right. The reason she feels that, at least the implication that I got from it, is that she understands that she is going to be a person who fights. She's a fighter in the X-Men. She's going to be in the ranks of the X-Men. She's going to support the cause. And that means that she's likely going to meet an end sooner than, you know, say someone in the Avengers or the Young Avengers, because she is a mutant who is fighting with this minority group. And I think that's really interesting. That is the source of anxiety. It's never, ever, aside from that Elseworld story, where it's self-hatred, it's never because she hates herself. She finds power in being mutant, just like she, and we have this direct parallel, just like she finds power in being a Muslim woman, Mm -hmm. you know? I really like that as a characterizing feature. The fact that she never has that thing where, especially you also see it in characters related to religion, like some of the people we mentioned earlier. Like Rain. Yeah, like Rain, where being a mutant is a source of anxiety, like we said. But for Dust, it isn't that. They're all things that she derives power from. Well, and I think it's important that when we meet her mother, not only is she Mm -hmm. happy that Soraya is somewhere that she can make her own choices about what she wears, she's also very happy that Soraya is someplace that is helping her control her powers. It doesn't seem like her mother mother has any issues with the idea Mm -hmm. which they didn't know before they were separated she doesn't care that Saray is a mutant at all that doesn't bother her whatsoever which I think is also an important contrast to yes people like Reverend Craig and whatnot you know the people who we've seen before or the purifiers where it's definitely a problem for some religious characters it's something that sort of trends more towards say the curt way of uh, thinking about religion Mm -hmm. in terms of identity yeah they they both sort of have that thing which is why I also really loved it when she popped up in wave x yeah because it connected them and in that way and i really hope she pops up in legionnaires because i really love to see that relationship explored me too and way of x just to jump forward for a second she's a small part in that but mm-hmm. it is again her saying i don't think that the leaders have thought this through properly i love that she refers to them as the omegas the omegas like. <laughs> and she's just like well this is what i really love about that is like so the omegas have terraform mars in planet size mm-hmm. x-men She is on Mars with Kurt and she is very powerful in her display of power here. It's very Mm -hmm. impressive. Basically, she's like, they did a great job terraforming it, but they didn't account for the dust that they have stirred off the moon nearby. Yeah. Exploding volcano as well. Yeah. It's just like a lot of bad shit that they just triggered (laughs) that they weren't thinking about. And because she is the sand expert, she's like, hold on. And she grows basically (laughs) like the size of the fucking planet and calms it down. The thing that is cool about that is that, you know, I hate the 
power debates people have like is my fave mm-hmm. more powerful than this other character this is a great illustration of the fact that Stray does not have to be an omega level mutant to right. be really fucking powerful and i think right. it's good to keep that list small mm-hmm. yeah no i agree with you and i think it's also good to show that a character does not have to be omega to be able to affect an entire planet like yeah to be really good at what they do it doesn't mean that yeah. they have limitless power that's a very specific thing and i think it's good to keep that list under 20. yeah it's that thing i love about emma frost yeah, you know, for example. Emma can be an incredible telepath, as can Xavier, without either mm-hmm. of them being an Omega-level telepath. They're just really They just are good. very good. Yeah, they're very good at what they do, and they do it in a way that's unlike anyone else. Right. I really love that. I love that. I mean, you could do so much with Dust Power. I like that she's not overpowered, but it feels like people always think about how to use her power in an interesting way. Yeah, well, and the whole congregation twist is Mm -hmm. Legion trying to say to her, the fact that you can pull all of these particles together into a coherent whole and embody it is itself a power that has nothing to do with dust or sand or anything. Right. That is a really intense power that you should think about more, you know? Like, and she's Mm -hmm. like, ha, I hadn't, you know, she hadn't thought of it that way. And now she's connecting everybody in the astral. Yeah, which is super fucking cool. So I'm yeah. excited to see where that goes. So back in time where we were, <laughs> they all go to Utopia after Young X-Men, and then Necrotia happens, yada, yada. Then there's the schism. And Saray is one of the most interesting characters in that period because yeah. she initially goes with Wolverine to the Jean Grey school because she is someone who would rather be nonviolent, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But... Very quickly, she realizes, no, actually, this isn't the way, and goes back to Utopia to be with Cyclops and Emma. Mm -hmm. There is a moment where Rogue ends up tangling with Exodus, (laughs) Soraya's, you know... (laughs) Occasional nemesis, arch, I guess. Arch yeah. nemesis? I really would like that to be a thing. I would like it to be, I would like him to be like annoyed by her at least. Like remember <laughs> when you cut up all my organs inside? That l- yeah, just slightly kind of scared of her. But yeah. like, I can kill you, but like you still kind of intimidate me. Right. Are you planning? <laughs> but again, like I like that like the Muslim girl ends up fighting the crusader villain a bunch. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a cool like it's not said, <laughs> but I'm like, that's also cool, right? It's just a thing that is, yeah. Yeah. So Rogue is like, why'd you leave the Jean Grey school, Soraya? Because like Soraya and some of the other students, including Serge, who is a Mm -hmm. background bitch in this scene. So guess what? (laughs) Guess who's the star now? Hey, Flop. (laughs) Consistently lowering the bar for the rest of us. (laughs) Good work being Z-list X-Man, Noriko. Rogue's like, why'd you leave the Jean Grey school? You don't have to be on Utopia. I just want you to know there's a place for you. Right, Wolverine and everybody, they're the ones with the right idea. And Soraya <laughs> says, respectfully, Rogue, they are not. At first, I wanted to go with you with so many of my friends, but I quickly realized you were deluding yourselves. We will spend our lives fighting for our lives. This is what our lot has always been and will be. And she points out to Rogue, you had us come join you to fight Exodus. So mm-hmm. clearly Cyclops is right that we need to be able to defend ourselves at a moment's notice because you just drafted a bunch of teenagers into your fight. Yeah, and like she communicates, she bases it on the trauma of her school. She says, but to pretend that we have another choice is to invite the same kind of tragedy we saw when we were last at the school. Yeah, she's like, I don't actually like being there because all my friends died there and I was tending the graves and then I saw the Predator X eat them. (laughs) So like, no. 
<laughs> I mean, she's correct. Again, Soraya is the pragmatist. She is a realist. Yeah, she she's knows. realistic about this. And she's like, it's a cool idea to think that we don't have to train to be soldiers, but we are an endangered species. There are like mm-hmm. 150 of us left at the last couple of events. And it's not <laughs> going so well. Half of my classes, more than half of most my of class them. is dead. Yeah. My class is dead. <laughs> It is me and fucking Surge right now. That is what I have to deal with. Yeah, and I don't want to talk to her, so... Ugh, and I can't kill her because we... <laughs> our numbers are down. Surge just like, toned down her uh, her gauntlets in this scene, and I'm like, good, okay. She still got that hair, though. She still, she still got, that got that awful that hair. I mean, Cerulean? Cerulean? Then Avengers versus X-Men happens, and Surya is one of the characters. All of the Academy X kids get kidnapped by the Avengers and taken to <laughs> Avengers Academy for their own protection. Kidnapped. They're all like, actually, you kidnapped us, like ACAB. Like, truly, they're right. all Avengers like, is cops. Right. Avengers is cops. Never forget. Surya <laughs> is stunned to find Laura there because Laura enrolled in Avengers Academy because Laura is a really popular character, so they put her in Avengers Academy. Mm-hmm. They sort of have a disagreement, but like not an aggressive disagreement, just sort of like, all right, I get that you don't want to pick a side because much like Wolverine, Laura has kind of divided loyalties on this. Mm-hmm. is like, but we need to pick a side. Like we need to, ha- we need to help the X-Men. We need to get out of here. And Laura's mm-hmm. like, you know what? You're right. And helps them escape, which is a cool beat for them as friends. Mm-hmm. And that really is the last we've seen of her in X stuff. Mm, she pops up again. She pops yeah. up in Rosenberg era around when Age of X-Man is about to pop off. She does not answer Cyclops's call to fight Nate Gray because she's dealing with some kind of family issue. Mm, I hope she found her mom. <laughs> I hope so, right? Like, I hope that's yeah. what that was. And then we see her after all of the X-Men are believed dead because they got shunted into the Age of X-Men reality. The blue balls reality, right? (laughs) Yes. But we see Soraya on our Earth because she doesn't get Mm -hmm. sucked in. She's at Worthington Industries. Yes, I really love. I really love her in Champions for a lot of different reasons. We see her. I mean, the first thing she does is punch a Nazi. <laughs> like that's the. <laughs> this is in Jim like Zub's run on Champions, which we'll cover yes. briefly because it's not an X Men title, but she does mm-hmm. play a pretty major role. Yeah, she's a supporting character. She has it's, it's that thing that Saray does a lot, where she pops up and she has like a really interesting story that you just wish was the book was about, and mm-hmm. then you know, it goes away. But um, yeah, so we see her at Worthington industries protecting a statue of the original five because there are protesters who are trying to tear it down which also as a side point i think it's an interesting sort of inversion of the statue debate to have her do it yeah yeah i also like that statue because you know that warren didn't commission that shit that was a candy southern project she got that thing set up i mean of course i mean an ally. I mean, we stand, Miss Candy. We stand, Miss Candy Southern. Stand but yeah, Ms. so Soraya is not going to let them tear down the statue. Yeah, she fights them off. And um, that's when the team of the champion kids uh, show up. And eventually she gets drafted. Into the champions. Like, Yeah, well, they don't actually have her join. She just sort of tags along. She just kind of <laughs> hangs out. And no one actually invites her to join until later because mm-hmm. Teen Cyclops was with the champions for a while. So he really vouches for her, basically. Cyclops as an adult after Mm -hmm. the time travel teens all gets resolved and that convinces Kamala Khan that she's kind of been rude yeah that's I love that though I love the fact that 
in this book, it starts off anyway, Kamala and Soraya have a cold relationship. And I like that specifically because I really do remember that era of when Kamala Khan uh, was first introduced and all of a sudden there was like a bunch of like that fan fiction that was like pairing them up together where like they were best of, best of friends. I love that uh, Zub sort of went a bit of an alternative route. And as a result, we find out that Kamala doesn't trust her necessarily. And we find out that Kamala also makes Soraya feel insecure because she feels like she is being read as being too impulsive. And also she feels like she's being judged because she is a person who is devout and who is more of a traditionalist than Kamala. It is a more accurate reflection of the real life relationships people have with religion. And I like that the overall theme of this story for the two is about them learning to make space for one another and learning about each other's perspective and also learning to respect their differences and also see beyond their general similarities to really acknowledge, if not just appreciate each other's difference. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And also she gets some really cool pages in terms where she's showing off her power where like she gets stabbed and she just doesn't she's not phased she responds with like almost flank a bunch of other people I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's a great read it's it's a badass Soraya that I think uh, more people should give a chance to shame that book was cut short would have been nice to see where else she went and hopefully she'll pop up again <laughs> yeah I mean I think that Kamala Khan is only going to become a bigger character now that she mm -hmm. has a Disney Plus show coming. So I'm hopeful that that relationship between them will continue to be teased out. I think in particular, if Soraya is active in the Legion, which is not cops, as they make a point of stressing <laughs> an onslaught revelation, it's more like social work, social outreach kind mm -hmm. of stuff. That would be a natural way to have her cross paths again with mm -hmm. Kamala and those other characters. Also, I think she's she'd just be a really interesting character to have in the Krakoa era because like she was the first person I thought of when I was reading House of X and Magneto said, We are your gods. You have well, you have gods new now. gods now, yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, well, okay, so that places Soraya as a god. And what does that mean for her? You to know? her as someone who's really devout. Exactly. I want to see her interact with those ex-cultists that really deify mutants. I want to see how yeah. she feels about that. What does she think about them? Mm, I mean, there's like so many interesting things, especially I think in this era, because we're really dealing with these themes of these mutants. Like if she herself is now a false god, how does that make her mm -hmm. feel? That would be very interesting. Yeah. And how does she feel about these perspectives of people who do understand themselves and sort of justifiably? So. Right. As being like really powerful beings and using that as a way to really affirm their selfhood sort of in this era, right? In a way that they haven't been able to before because they were always under the pressure of we need to assimilate or we need to eliminate, right? Mm -hmm. The human other. And now they're just saying like, we're above that now. We're beyond that now. We're finding a new way where it's just about us because we are inheriting this earth. And uh, we have new gods now. And I'll be like, okay, what is Soraya's perspective? What is her perspective now that they have everlasting life? Right. I mean, there's so many interesting things. If you've thought a lot about getting into heaven and now you're told you aren't going to die, what does that mean? What does it mean? Yeah. And how does it mean that now, especially now also that you're placed in Krakoa, which is a paradise, right? That's the idea that it's a utopia sort of space. And like, okay, how, what is it like? So making paradise now, trying to change the world, now they kind of have an endless possibilities. 
I mean, if we have this sort of idea of the spark, right? Yeah. That came across with Kurt. Well, what does the spark mean for Soraya if the spark is daring to do something, daring to do the unexpected? There are a few characters in this franchise as daring as Soraya. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, I, you know, I hope someone takes a chance. Yeah, I'm hoping that Cy Spurrier is going to dig more into her. I really <laughs> think he is the kind of writer who will be respectful of her complex selfhood. Mm -hmm. And also, I think he's the kind of writer who would be interested, you know, yes. in exploring the many shades and nuances of her as like a good guy, but also as her as kind of the bad guy. And that's kind of like what he does with a lot of his explorations, really try and fill in the shades, see how they're morally gray, especially with Soraya, who, like you said, is a character who's very moral. She has yeah. a very strict ethical line but she also will kill without hesitation if she decides yeah. that you need to be killed which yeah, i think is an interesting complex. contradiction yeah mm -hmm. yeah i mean i just let's have her walk around with laura and just you know see what pops up <laughs> yeah laura is an x-man right now like if she's on the legion and laura is an x-man that's also mm -hmm. like, interesting because they do have a really close friendship that i would love to or see place again. her in Morocco. place her in Morocco. i really want to that was the story that i came up with like, we like have a question her. about that i mean well you mm. have lots of story ideas about Sarah. i do and i'm working on a few <laughs> yeah you're working on some fan comics that i'm really excited about mm. and we'll talk about that toward the end yeah i mean i hope that at some point they do like a muslim marvel's voices kind of thing and mm -hmm. you know that i will sing your praises to anybody who <laughs> listens so thank you i'd be i have a story ready and waiting <laughs> let's just say that I think now is a good time for us to get into the listener questions. We got a ton of these and some of them kind of overlap. Mm -hmm. So I tried to pick and choose. I am sorry if you don't get your question read, but the thing about this podcast being successful is that there are a whole fucking lot of you with questions. So <laughs> um, that's very exciting, but also means, unfortunately, I can't read them all. Mm -hmm. Matt Brazel writes, hi, Connor, an esteemed guest. I'm a first-time questioner, long-time listener of the pod. It feels like yesterday I was in a two-hour rain delay at work when I first listened to you and Teeny Howard absolutely blow my mind with the Betsy Braddock episode. <laughs> Thank you. I've always thought I was pretty knowledgeable of the X-Men, at least enough to get through a cocktail party, but like with many things during the pandemic, I've learned just how little I actually know. <laughs> my question, my qu it's my curse to have all of this in my head, truly. <laughs> my question is regarding Dust's introduction. As someone who just recently read the new X-Men run, my second omnibus after Excalibur, that's $250 that Marvel owes you a cut of, I was greatly <laughs> intrigued by Morrison's engagement with 9-11 and the immediate post-9-11 world. Mm. As you mentioned on the Cassandra Nova episode, Genosha happens just before 9-11, making it a striking artifact of a time that would soon shy away from such images in comics. Right. Morrison doesn't really engage with real-world events until the Dust issue, where she's introduced and then sort of fades into the background. Do you think there were plans for something more with us that simply didn't fit Morrison's overall story arc? Was it a missed opportunity for what could have been a very helpful portrayal of an Afghan woman in an immediate post 9-11 world? Or do you think her more elaborate characterization in Academy X was time spent ultimately benefiting her character in the long run? Cannot wait to hear what you have to say about one of my favorite 21st century X-Men characters. Love the podcast, love the guests, and love the Discord community you've created where people like me who know nothing and just want to learn are welcome and supportive. <laughs> well, thank you. That's very sweet. Oh. So we talked about this earlier, but mm -hmm. I think Morrison was not as interested in the students as a lot right. of other writers are. The story was much more about Emma and Jean and Scott and Hank. Yeah. And also uh, Xavier's ideology, just sort of as a general right. thing. 
I think that the students were more functional than they were essential mm-hmm. to the story. That's why, you know, Angel Salvador is positioned as the Kitty Pride or Jubilee type viewpoint character. Right. But as we also said earlier, she kind of falls off mm-hmm. in the third in act. In the middle of that book. Yeah. yeah, because it's just not the focus of the book. And so I do think that it was good that she got time in Academy X. Whatever we may yeah. think about the execution of the Surge storyline, mm-hmm. that is the book where I think it was like, okay, this book is about the students. It's interested in the students. And most of those characters were just new characters dropped in for that book. And I'm glad yeah. that they plucked Dust out of... Because, like, they don't use Angel and Beak in Academy X. And they could have. They were there. It's yeah. before the decimation. But they do use... Soraya Soraya. and Mm -hmm. the separate cuckoos and I think that those are very distinct choices that are made and those two characters those I say two characters it's more than two obviously because of the cuckoos but those characters (laughs) end up being the Morrison students besides Quentin who really do survive long term yeah I think it's because they get that push Morrison is more of an idea person than they are a deep character study kind of person. I think that there Mm -hmm. is really incredible character work done in the Morrison run, particularly with Jean and Emma. Yeah. But I don't think that that's necessarily the focus. We're not spending a ton of introspective time with the characters because it's more about the story and the sociopolitical ramifications of the story and the big, big ideas. I think that honestly, like, Soraya in Morrison gets exactly what she needs to get on some level to be a character who has been indelibly established and then can be fleshed out by other writers who are more interested in the psychology of the teens. Yeah, I I completely agree with you there. I think, like you said, that book just wasn't really about the students. It was about the adults. And if I'm going to be really honest, I feel like... Because like we said, Morrison is a writer that very much is interested in starting with a stereotype and unpacking it. Mm-hmm. And that could go either way. It reminds me of the characters that they created at DC, like Super Young mm-hmm. Team and The Great Ten in Japan and yeah. China. Like I think that they are interested in unpacking some of those Orientalist stereotypes. And yeah. sometimes I think that hits and sometimes it doesn't because with a white writer, you're not going to nail exactly. that every time. Time, right it's a dicey yeah. thing to do and the and the start of that book I mean we saw the start of that book it, it didn't hit right and like personally like just to looking back I would have been apprehensive to think about what that could have been like and I kind of like how Academy X shaded her in and I also like how subsequently writers continue to do that and also I appreciate the writers that were too afraid to fudge around <laughs> with her too much because she hasn't been in that many bad stories because a lot of writers have been afraid to touch her too much so there's that exactly and like that kind of ended up being a benefit i think now we just need uh i do think that the story mark guggenheim told was bold Mm -hmm. i think that what de philippus and we're we're attempting to do with her is pretty bold yeah jim zub told a pretty bold story with her in champions Mm -hmm. The thing that's also interesting when you think about morrison creating her is like Someone asked me on Twitter, they shared a picture of Emma's classroom in Genosha, her telepathy class that gets blown mm-hmm. up by Cassandra Nova's Sentinels. It's the scene with Negasonic TH Warhead predicting that they're all about to die. Yeah. One of the girls in that classroom is in a niqab and a baya. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that was Quitely. I don't know if that was Morrison, but that is fully before 9-11 that that background yeah. character is. Now, that background character then immediately dies along with everybody else in the room <laughs> besides Emma. But 
it shows me that there was an idea before 9-11 in this book of like, let's present right. this Muslim woman in Muslim traditional garb as a human being that Emma is teaching. There is a normalization, very low key, one panel, but that feels like it then sets us up for when we see another character who looks like that. Yeah. It's a person. Like that's, you know. Mm -hmm. It's seeding it in there, yeah. Yes, and that's not something that, again, I mean, I always do feel like Morrison is, like, in touch with the higher powers of the universe, <laughs> but much like the Genosha arc in general is very prescient about 9-11, mm -hmm. there's something very prescient about the fact that they thought to incorporate that Muslim background character before they then did it with Soraya. Yeah. I think that for the time, it was a really noble attempt it is messy. And also, like, for the time, it's it's more than I would have expected to have happened. You right. Know I mean? You know? <laughs> I feel like the fact that it the exists... The fact that she even comes back after that one issue is a feat. Exactly. The fact that she was in that issue is, like, a huge deal. <laughs> yeah. And, like, so. um, and that's not to say that we should settle for crumbs. We should ask no. for more and demand it. But I agree with you that it's a place to start. Yes. It reminds me of what Darcy Little Badger said about Danny Moonstar mm -hmm. early in this podcast in like episode seven. Mm -hmm. Danny Moonstar is a Native American girl who has power over your dreams and can speak to animals because she's close. And to she nature. does not date cops. She does not date cops. Only that one time in Academy X. I rebuke it. Uh I also <laughs> rebuke it. But so those are stereotypical things for the Native American character to have power-wise. The presentation of her is somewhat stereotypical. Darcy's position was, that's true, but it also was very cool to see a Native American character talking about Native American spirituality as the lead yep. of a book, even if the spirituality wasn't always super well-researched. Mm -hmm. It was also cool to see that this Native girl has a rapport with animals because while that's a stereotype, horsemanship is also a really big part of a lot of Native cultures. And so her bond with Brightwind, because she can connect with this animal in a way that other people can't, does feel like, you know, she could see things in the stereotypical character mm -hmm. that were felt real useful and felt real and that were a right. foundation for a really fully fleshed out indigenous character you could have in the future yeah. and when we were talking about it she was about to write danny in the indigenous voices marvel's voices issues so mm -hmm. you know i think that what has been done with this character is a foundation has been created that a writer like you or like you know any number of cross people, your fingers <laughs> cross your fingers but i'm saying like a writer from a muslim experience from a middle Eastern yeah. experience could write something really really human about this character yeah and that's because the character exists in the first place and sometimes it does take the fumblings of white people with clout in the industry to get <laughs> characters like this existed yeah that's part of a systemic problem but i'm glad that some of these writers do make the attempt you know what I mean yeah I'm really glad that uh, like exactly like you said I'm happy and I'm glad that these writers have brought us to this point now because now what we have is a character that is likely one of the characters with the most potential to tell a really amazing story today you know what I mean mm -hmm. I mean I said um, when uh when I was on long old Cerebro lore in 2017 <laughs> when I was on Patrick Willems's YouTube channel. Just watch the extended edition. Don't watch the It's short true. The, the short version is edited beautifully, but I like the 90 minute extended cut. And if you're listening to Cerebro, you probably also want the extended <laughs> cut. But I do make some factual errors in that because it was very off the cuff. So don't email me about it. It was literally almost <laughs> five years ago. 
<laughs> but anyway, one of the things we did was like pitch how you would relaunch the X-Men mm-hmm. movie franchise. And I said that the POV character I think would be most relevant now as the student girl POV would be dust. I said like, it's a Hollywood version. You could make her hijabi instead of, because you're on film or whatever, if you want to have facial expressions, but like go with this character, say that she is an observant Muslim and bring that to the fore because much like Kitty Pride being Jewish in 1980 was a big deal, having that mm-hmm. character be a Muslim girl for whom that identity is important to her, facing off against the Friends of Humanity or whatever yeah. like alt-right weirdos the X-Men would be fighting if you want to make it contemporary. That's a yeah. contemporary story. Yeah, I completely agree. I would like to see it. I mean, I just think that this is a character who has a lot of potential. Yeah, we would like to see just use dust more. <laughs> yeah, well, I think they're going to. That's the thing that's exciting. Mm. Like it, that teaser image for the Legionaries. Had a little dust cloud around. There's like a sand it? cloud in the back that looks yeah. very much like it's her. So, you know, I'm intrigued to see what comes next. Mm, I'm optimistic. Sam Gladstone writes, I think one of the standout moments for Dust was in House of M, where it was revealed she'd become best friends with Jubilee and had grown to become a stereotypical 2000s teen girl. Not in terms of, wow, isn't that cool, but in a, wow, what a hard left turn this character took in this reality (laughs) to become a totally different character. Mm -hmm. It so rarely happens with alternate reality versions of characters, where they tend to be their core selves just in a better or worse environment. Instead, here, it was treated as a betrayal of her faith caused by Jubilee. (laughs) Do we think this is slight character assassination for Jubilee, bad writing for dust, the infectious nature of the reality warp, or just a weird one-off moment of wouldn't it be cool to see her in a different light? Can we revisit this alternate self, or should it be Dwight? <laughs> I mean, I have, so my reaction to that story is that, oh, they made her Monet, but she likes <laughs> Jubilee, <laughs> you know? It it's just... before Monet was declared to be a Muslim character, though, if you think really? about it, because that's pretty late in the game. That doesn't happen until oh my God, toward yeah, the end right. of X-Factor Investigations. Like, she was always Algerian, but they never said it yeah i think that this is like an age of apocalypse type twist Mm -hmm. house of m in particular was a story that did that where it was like this reality warp is really warping shit you know (laughs) because the scarlet witch has gone real crazy so i think that in this case we're meant to read it as this is a real road not taken for but i also this is one where it did feel to me voyeuristic in the sense of like Mm. in this alternate world she doesn't wear the veil and she's fucking hot isn't that sexy like that is sort of a little bit how it felt to me and yes the resolution is that she does decide this is your fault jubilee i've become like a fallen (laughs) woman and lost my faith because of you Mm. which is odd (laughs) it's an odd beat It's it's a choice. Uh, in terms of like alternative universes, I think um, the dust that I found most interesting is the one in Age of X. Yes, the Carrie mm. the Carrie story where she is hijabi rather than hijabi, yeah. but is clearly still a Muslim who cares about yeah. being Muslim, even in this like fascist hellscape that they're living. Like she's maintained that yeah. because it's important to her and very cool design. It really if is. If they were ever going to take her to like a hijabi place, that's a design that is very, very cool. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I but agree if they were ever going to do that, if they were ever going to have her change her presentation, that is the story you, I think you have a Muslim writer, right? Probably woman a Muslim woman it. writer. Yeah, yeah, specifically. Completely. Yes, correct. But um, yeah, I mean, those are the kind of elsewhere stories. I mean, that's like the only other one that exists well aside from sexy dust <laughs> yeah yeah and uh well an x in the end but there's a question about that so we'll get to it <laughs> right. not my fave's finest hour yeah i mean i prefer it as well when it's like oh she's 
still has a relationship with Islam and religion, but it's just presented in a different way. We know that she understands herself in a different way. I think that's a more interesting representation than just making her sexy, you know? And yeah, angry about yeah. the fact that she's sexy. Exactly. <laughs> like, if we really want to take off the niqab, mm-hmm. then have a Muslim woman write a story where Dust makes, she makes, that decision. makes a decision and it's about her, you know? It shouldn't just be like a shock value, like alternate mm-hmm. universe, she's in a tag top. <laughs> But I will say, I, I'd like the niqab to stay because it is very... Um, I think it's very visually Nagab. striking. I Yeah. yeah. In, I would understand if they changed it for a movie or a TV mm-hmm. show. But honestly, in the comics, I think you keep it because it's so... Yeah. I mean, first of all, she's the only character at either company mm-hmm. who wears one. But also, yeah. she is just super fucking cool. Like, the way it interacts with her power, the way that, like, the veil and the abaya billow out mm-hmm. when she, like, powers up is just so visually cool that it's like, don't mess with this. It's so good. I'd like to see like an accent, maybe. I liked in Young X-Men when she had like yeah. the gold sash around her waist. And the red one as well. Like, yeah, have, like, like, so it's thing. like X-Men kind of like stuff to identify her visually as part of the team. You know, I like accent colors and stuff. Mm-hmm. If anything, like glitz it up a little. I have seen plenty of Muslim women in really it's... gorgeous. Right? Like that's stuff, the thing. You know? That's the thing. I feel like they should really like... Uh... Yeah, they should glam it up a bit. Or they should just glitz it up a bit because I mean, like, just Google Arabic weddings and just have Put a some lovely like gold time. leaf on it or something. Make it like a yeah. cool print or something. I get that prints are hard when you're replicating the costume over and over mm-hmm. again in panels, but you could you do could it. just do like a magma thing, yeah, like a magma squiggly thing, yeah, or like it could just have like you know like accent pieces. I don't know. There also have been some really cool dust redesigns where she yeah. is uh, really informed by like streetwear, Arab uh, sort of Nagabi streetwear. Yeah, I've seen those. Those are cool. Yeah, people should like look them up online. I mean, there there are really easy ways to make dust just uh, interesting, like a different visual just to give her an update. While um, still keeping the silhouette, you know? Exactly, exactly. And still keeping sort of that cool effect with her power. Yeah, which is just, it's outfit. fucking cool. Yeah. Ali Zulfikar writes, Hello, this is my first time writing to Cerebro, and I thought I should email you guys because we have a Muslim character as the topic. I know Monet was already discussed, but I haven't gotten to that episode yet. (laughs) It takes a while to catch up on this podcast. I completely understand. It's a good episode. I like that episode. Mm. Khalid wrote into that episode. It was a great life. I did, yeah. (laughs) There's no secret that Soraya was introduced to bring up the happenings of the times, terrorism, anti-Arab or anti-Muslim sentiment, war, American imperialism, etc., to the comics. She was presented as a victim, but not helpless. But for a long time, her portrayal had a very othered depiction. I'm not the Mm -hmm. best at formulating my thoughts, but can you guys please discuss how Grant Morrison singled out Soraya to be the victim of Magneto as Zorn's violence by forcing her to renounce Islam? I know it was retconned to not actually be Magneto, but the idea of Magneto forcing a Muslim girl to renounce her religion for the sake of species loyalty when he's never expressed that towards any other religion in the comics is always glossed over in the discussions I've had about that arc. Especially with Eric being a victim of religious-based persecution himself, it seemed completely out of character. I guess this is more about Zorn and Morrison, but touching on the fact that Soraya was used as the vehicle for the big bad reveal is crucial because she's faced so much Islamophobia from people around her. Cough. Surge. Mm. <laughs> so let's address that first. There's more to this letter, but I want to get into that first. So just mm-hmm. speaking on this from like a Jewish perspective, because we're talking about this Jewish character. So go to the Magneto episode if you want to hear a long debate between me and Spencer Ackerman over whether or not the Planet X arc is acceptable. Because <laughs> you have differing opinions. Yeah, here's the thing. 
as I've said, I think it's a good thing that they retconned that it wasn't really Magneto. But in the story that Morrison's telling from beginning of E is for Extinction mm. to end of Here Comes Tomorrow, I think it works. And I think it works for a couple of different reasons. One is Magneto's experience of anti-Semitism is not religious. His experience of anti-Semitism is based around the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. The Shoah was very much about, and anti-Semitism often is about this, the racialization of Jews as like a non-white ethnicity, right? As like this sort yeah. of invader from the East of sort of Orientalist idea mm-hmm. itself, right? He abandoned religion in Auschwitz. He has mm-hmm. no faith in God. His experience of Jewish struggle has been about ethnic solidarity and ethnic oppression. So it makes sense to me that he would be someone who, I mean, you have new gods now. He's very dismissive Mm -hmm. of old world religion. Yeah. That said, I also think this moment is something we're supposed to recognize as the hypocrisy of Magneto. Right. Magneto at this point is fully addicted to kick. His brain has been compromised by Sublime. Mm -hmm. And much like him herding humans into crematoriums in Planet X, we're supposed to understand that this is not the way Magneto, as we understand him, would have behaved, right? Right. This isn't Claremont's Magneto. It's not Claremont's Magneto. Mm -hmm. I do think that apart from those provocative moments, Morrison is largely not interested in the Jewish aspect of Magneto because that is right. a Claremont edition and Morrison is with Magneto mostly in dialogue with the 60s Magneto and mm-hmm. specifically with Morrison's belief that the 80s reformation of Magneto doesn't land. I disagree with them on that. So right. that's just a your mileage may very kind of thing but I think that in terms of the religious minority differential there He's trying to wake her up. He's saying, you're holding to these old things that don't actually help you. And Mm -hmm. you would be stronger if you just accepted that you're a mutant and that you're something else and yada, yada, yada. But he's taking it way too far because he's on drugs. Right. Yeah. His brain is all fucked up. Mm -hmm. So that, I think, is what we're supposed to get from there. I also think... And this is a complicated thing about Zorn, period. And when we're talking about race and the Morrison run, Mm -hmm. Zorn is a very Orientalist character by design. Right. Because the way that Magneto tricks the X-Men is by presenting this Asian mystic sage guru character. It's a lot like actually the reveal about the Mandarin in Iron Man 3 before they made the Mandarin real in Shang-Chi. But when the Mandarin was just Ben Kingsley putting on a Fu Manchu act, (laughs) Zorn is a fantasy of white people. Mm -hmm. This wise man from the East who comes to heal them, literally, to like eat, pray, love all their problems away. And this is the moment where the reader, if you haven't kind of realized it already, the reader understands that Zorn is not who he says he is. And it's because of this moment where he expresses this othering Orientalist perspective of Serenity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that moment, I mean, we are meant to feel negative. Yeah, and we're meant to feel very uncomfortable. Like, who is this man actually? And then two pages later, it's like, oh, it's Magneto, and he's here to destroy everything. It's all been a lie. And the reason Mm -hmm. I don't like that Zorn became a real character is that I think the point of Zorn is that he's a lie, a comforting lie. Mm -hmm. I don't like that the white characters got to have a real Zorn. Got to have two of them. (laughs) 
the fact that they get to have a real Zorn to comfort them and heal them, that I think misses the point, which is that, of course, Zorn was fake. Magneto is mm -hmm. astonished that Charles bought it. He's like, <laughs> this was so contrived. <laughs> It's a very Ozymandias from Watchmen kind of speech, right? It's like yeah. understanding the genre. Like where you didn't notice this was awake? Yeah. Like, honestly? <laughs> so I think that it's important that the thing that twigs us to the fact that Zorn is a lie, if we're reading it, is mm -hmm. when he does something racist. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, that's basically it. You summed it up. <laughs> And I also think that uh, Morrison, they were really playing with extremes, right? They, they, they were like pushing Magneto to like the tenth. This is Magneto on drug. This is Magneto as like the Silver Age extremist, you know? This is Magneto as like the polar opposite of like mm -hmm. Xavier's beliefs. You know, this is not someone we're meant to side with. And we're meant to really take his interaction with Soraya as hurtful as you know something that, that that is meant to like you said dislodge our opinion of this zorn right of this person that you know that just like xavier was fooled by that for the longest while like reading at the time you probably like we were probably fooled by as well unless we picked up all the clues along the way about it being secretly magneto mm -hmm. it's meant to uh dislodge us in the same way that it, it, it dislodges uh xavier yeah i think Ali continues, another thing I'd love to hear you talk about is how Soraya was actively fighting off the Taliban back in her homeland in Young X-Men, looking like <laughs> she was doing actual good and significant and important work in the land she was born in, and then being written <laughs> to go back to the X-Men at the request of fake Cyclops and doing nothing. When that series was done, I don't think she ever returned home to do the same sort of peacekeeping that was really necessary or defining of her as a character. Mm -hmm. The writer seemed to pluck her out of an important role and put her in the team as a token of sorts where I don't feel she was particularly fulfilled. Finally, I understand Understand there's more to Soraya than her religion and identity, but it often doesn't feel like it. Her existence in her debut is heavily rooted in Orientalism. Her personality, mm -hmm. burqa, coverings, shown as mysterious, primitive, creepy, or dangerous. She was often sexualized or being in a state of undress or a figure-conforming latex-style covering, or only mm -hmm. really talking about Allah and religion and her oppression when she did open her mouth. Finally, her power, a very literal power of sand, a substance pretty much associated with Muslims and Arabs. I know Soraya is not technically an Arab, but still, and you and I have gotten into that already. We cover that, yeah. Marvel has a very weird relationship with Muslims, and as a Muslim fan, it's often quite hard to ignore. When Legion is introduced, one of his personalities is a Palestinian Muslim freedom fighter who's painted as an anti-Semitic terrorist. So to see a Muslim mm -hmm. X-Men character finally show up decades later, it felt kind of uninspired. I'd really like to hear your thoughts on Muslim X characters and how their portrayals are a hit or a miss. And Soraya would be a great anchor as I don't think there are that many Muslim characters at all, to be honest. Looking forward to whatever you decide to talk about, even if it's not my suggestions, Ali. P.S. House of M. Soraya, who was besties with Jubilee, was so refreshing as her religion was not the main focus of her character. She was amazing and fun. So see, it takes, again, it takes yeah. knowledge, lots of diversity of opinion. Nobody's a monolith. Mm -hmm. We obviously agree with you that it is a very plucking storm out of Kenya moment when they go and get <laughs> yes. straight enough said It is at least Donald Pierce being evil. The ex-baddie without the Bobby. The ex-baddie with the Bobby, but the Bobby's not present <laughs> at that time. <laughs> Gotta wait for second coming to see the ex-baddie and the Bobby together. Give it a year or two, yes. <laughs> I would love, though, to see her, especially now that she is perhaps in this new team, this Legion, mm -hmm. I would love to see her taking a more active role in outreach to the Middle East from Krakoa. Yeah. Because I think she would be a great ambassador. 
Especially now that you have portals. Right. Like, just, she can just go back and forth. And I do, if she hasn't found her mother yet, I need them to have her find we her We need her to find her mother already. Just call one of the Omegas. Let it figure it out. We also need to see Mira Kadir and Lucinda Guthrie have oh some my tea God. together. Yeah, I hope they both I hope they both move to Emma's refugee Krokoan Island. Yeah, that would be oh, cute. Be so like cute. For, like, human pals. Give them little houses mm. there. Because Jay's back, and I would love to see Soraya and Jay. Maybe I love them interacting. Give it a go. Again. You know, I want to see Soraya just like try and deal with husk skins all around. <laughs> God, I want to see. I want to see what, what is that? It's like now, this is an unveiling I really can't get behind. <laughs> as husk is like peeling her skin off. Nope. Out. Uh, who is their awful sister? The 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 auntie Joelle. Joelle. Oh, what was Joelle going to feel about Soraya <laughs> coming uh, into that? Great question. We'll have to find out. Um, <laughs> as for Muslim X characters generally, there aren't that many. Uh, no, Monet aren't. is retroactively established to be Muslim, as we've said. And I do think that it's great that we have a character like Monet and a character like Soraya in the same franchise. To contrast Kate Pride, I would love to see mm-hmm. a more observant Jewish character. Like, I think that it's yeah. cool to see the variety that a culture can have. That I think is cool. It's like exactly what you said when you were at that PS, you know, we are not a monolith. We all have different opinions and different relationships to these characters. I mean, for me personally, as I've gone on for like a couple of hours now telling you how much I love this character. And how I've also gone on for a bit about how much I didn't like the House of M story. Right. We need characters like Soraya. We need characters like Monet. We need characters like Kamala. What I really personally want is more uh, Muslim men in these stories, more Arab men in the X line. Yes. That's definitely missing. Yeah, I can think of Jetstream. Jetstream, also a student of Emma's, notably. Mm-hmm. Let's also kind of, you know, limp wristed. You know? Well, I mean, that's, I. Talk about a baddie. Like, let's have Jetstream. Let's, I just, I want, I want, you know that all I want, like one of, okay, I say all I want about several <laughs> things in this show, but one of the things I would love to write at some point is something about the mm-hmm. G Hellions, like Tarot and Roulette oh and Katsai. And I think that Jetstream should be their gay. I love that. I, I, first of all, let me just say that I, like a hot gay from that. Marrakesh, he would be yes. fun. It would be so cool. I want to see him just like hang out with Monet and Soraya during Eid and just fagging out. Yeah, they would be buddies. Uh, It'd be fun. It would be such buddies. Yeah, we need more. That's that's the thing for me. I think I need more. Also, um, Emma doesn't have any gay students in her own squad. Gay men, I mean, like Mercury is queer, but... Wait, is that true? Yes, think about it. And that doesn't make sense. There should be, like, Emma needs a tiny little faggot who loves her. They need to all be gay. Like, <laughs> like how? Every... Right, how? Because, like, I mean, because, like, Wither, Wither, not Wither officially is like, never been queer. It's just, mm. like, he and Elixir were very clearly, like, mm. It was a little, little spark between them. Ugh. I mean, Elixir sure killed the hell out of him, so it was very passionate. <laughs> is he back? I he's, he's back. back. He, oh, was he, at back. The, he was at the uh, party in X Factor with everybody, and I was oh. just sort of like, did they all have a talk with him before he was invited <laughs> to this party? Because it's a little abrupt oh. to go from, like, Celine's murder squad to, we're back! <laughs> it's fine! <laughs> Wallflower, just try to keep stay away from him. Yeah, I mean, he killed part. some of them personally, you know. <laughs> Let's not forget he gave her a monkey's paw. You know, he did wither her arm into a skeleton arm. So <laughs> the poor you know, girl. Yeah, well, she's mm. fine now, so it's fine. She's fine. Yeah, she got better. <laughs> Faisan Rashid writes, Dear Connor and guest, longtime listener from Pakistan here. I've been an X-Men fan since childhood when I used to find, read, and save panels from CBR, Google, Scans Daily, or Comic Vine <laughs> because physical comic books weren't available here. I feel ya. 
I used <laughs> to have folders you. of single issues where I would sort disparate pages or panels together in order to try to form a coherent issue to read. When life doesn't mm. give you books, you find them yourself page by page. Though most pages would be missing <laughs> in my case. Thank you so much for the podcast. It's renewed my love for the X-Men and introduced me to X-Twitter and X-Discord. Well, thank you for writing in. It's crazy to me that there are people all over the world listening to the show. That makes me really happy and it's <laughs> wild. Thank you for doing a dust episode. This character is very important to me. My teenage ex-kid generation was the Academy X or New X-Men set of students. New Mutants versus Hellions 2.0, Strikers Purifiers, and Childhood's End are some of my favorite storylines. Saray is a character that exemplifies the impact representation has for readers. Mm -hmm. Seeing a Muslim character be heroic, kind, honest, and a part of the X-Men was a game changer for me. I had pages of her appearances printed out in black and white, and I would show them to my friends Aww. at school, telling them about a superhero who's just like us and part of something so cool. <laughs> X-Men Evolution was a big hit here. Here and kids really like the X-Men. So I just had to say it to everybody. She's the best. On to my question. Though I've loved every appearance of Dust on Page, I've always felt that most writers who write her are very wary or overly cautious. Mm -hmm. Though I love how morally centered she is, I sometimes feel like she's a tropey good Muslim. She never disagreed. She was never confrontational. She always complied. She never made any mistakes. The portrayal of Muslim characters in the 2000s always fell on two polar opposites. What I mean to say is I would love to see some complex habits or traits of her personality too. Like all the other amazingly well-rounded X women out there, I would just like to see her character be more fleshed out one day. I understand the optics of how it might look in our current world, but Ms. Marvel has shown that you can write a character with a well-rounded personality. Strengths, faults, and all. The X-Men have a history of giving foreign nationality characters fleshed out personalities beyond just being nice. We'd love to hear you and your guests' thoughts about it. Also, in her first appearance, she calls herself Tarab. That's Arabic. She's from Afghanistan, where the most commonly spoken languages are Dari and Pashto. Just a clarification, mm. in Pashto, dust is called, and he writes it out, Duri. In Dari, dust is called he writes it out. Gerda Gubar have been correcting that for many years. Make mine cerebro. Shukriya. Thank you in Urdu. Love Faizan Rashid or Faizan one four one eight seven on Twitter. Thank you for writing in. That's a great. Oh, that's such a lovely letter. Yeah, we talked letter. about how there are ways you can explain her speaking Arabic. She's also a devout Muslim, and the Quran's in Arabic, so it mm -hmm. makes sense that she knows Arabic. Yeah. And maybe she's quoting a surah or something. But it is, uh, yes, she should probably also be speaking languages like Pashto or Dari <laughs> that are more yes. commonly spoken in Afghanistan. I do find it interesting that Faison thinks of her as nice because I don't. <laughs> but I get what he's saying, which is that she is very like, I will follow orders most of the time. She's right. like a very accommodating character. And there's mm -hmm. a lot of effort put into showing her as like a reasonable, nice girl. Like you said, she's the first person to be kind to Laura. Sorry, wait, Connor, can I just, can you hear the Adhan, the mosque prayer call in the background? Oh, no, I can't hear it. Oh, yes, now I can. Yeah. <laughs> He's holding up his earphone to the... <laughs> I just I just thought that this is necessary. Live from Dubai! <laughs> That's pretty cool. Right. Again, this is, is a really stunt. <laughs> this is a stunt episode. I'm just, we didn't know, plan just... it this way. It just I was like, That's cool, and we need to do it. <laughs> it is perfect. It is pretty cool. What were you saying? I think that she has, if you go back, there have been a couple of stories, notably the one with the Kingmaker and mm -hmm. also the one with Donald Pierce, where I think she does make decisions that are wrong, so to speak. She always mm -hmm. sees the error of her ways, but I think that's just a heroic character trait, right? Like yeah. that's something that we see most of the time in the X-Men. When you do something selfish or immoral, usually the character will realize I've made a mistake. Yeah. Yeah, I do think that there is a soft touch with this character, though. I think that people mm -hmm. are afraid to get too deep into her flaws because she is a character who carries a lot of representational impact. Mm -hmm. And yes. so I understand the hesitation, but I liked in Way of X that she was a little arrogant. Yes, 
and impatient. Yes. And like short and like, yeah. Yeah, like sort of you sort know, of severe with people a little bit. I liked that. Mm-hmm. I would like to see if she continues with the Legion. I do think that emphasizing her as a pragmatist is Mm -hmm. an important part of her character as like the realist, especially if that cast is her and Pixie. I think those are two characters you could really juxtapose nicely because Pixie is so much more sort of pie in the sky, you know? And I'm like thinking of those issues of um, the Quest for Magic arc where (laughs) Dust was really like not here for Pixie. She was so done with her because she's too hyper. Um, They'd they'd be fun to bounce off of each other. I think that could be fun and you could then do what I think they were trying to do with Surge and Dust, which is like juxtapose these two girls who are very different in a way that yeah. humanizes them both. But in the Academy X story, I only felt like it, it humanized Soraya because I just thought Surge was so god awful. Literally demonized Surge. Yeah, like I just never, opposite. I truly never want to see that character again. Honestly, I'm like, she can stay out of whatever. I would I'm like, good. I would like, to I'm see good on her. I want, you know what I want? I want Inferno to end with like, hey, Desi's be like, we should probably put Surge in a hole. Don't ask why, just just, just, just do it. <laughs> Irene's just like, listen, I'm not telling you what to do, but it's possible we're going to have an international incident with the Saudi ambassador if Surge is not put in prison right now. Do you want these drugs to go to Saudi or not? Because that's a big market, sis. <laughs> I'm just saying this girl is an international relations problem. Or she'll get like very general about it. She'll be like, anyone. Has anybody expressed, hair? has anybody around here expressed some really racist sentiments about Muslims at any point? Does anybody I've have, been like, dead blue for a hair? while. I'm just checking. <laughs> Oh God! Yeah, just end. You know, and Hickman, I will give you my firstborn. David Welsh writes. <laughs> David Welsh writes. David Welsh writes. Hi, Connor. I'm loving season two of the podcast, and I appreciate all the hard work you and your guests put into each episode. I completely understand if you choose not to answer this question, as it's a about an alternate universe and b spoilery. But it goes to my concerns about this character. And next, on the end, Dust is shown as an active X Man, which is great. But she's killed off in fairly short order before she contributes anything substantial to the story. And most problematic, in my opinion, is replaced by a white lady who takes advantage of Dusty Cobb <laughs> to pass as the dead heroine. <laughs> I love a lot of Chris Claremont's work, and I so appreciate his efforts to introduce more heroes from underrepresented populations. But this development in the end really, really rankled. First. <laughs> it's killing off a multiple minority character to serve a white couple's story. And second, it suggests that the rest of the X-Men are so indifferent to Dust, they'll be completely unaware she's behaving <laughs> oddly. Am I overreacting to this plot twist in a story where I know literally dozens of A-list characters die, sometimes multiple times? <laughs> it just really left a bad taste in my mouth that a groundbreaking character who's barely had any of her potential explored gets used as a party city costume to help someone else sneak <laughs> around. David. So I had to address this, even though it is an AU, because it is Madeline Pryor who kills Madeline Jennifer. Madeline Jennifer Pryor. (laughs) MJP. MJP. I love your obsession. I love your obsession with her middle name because I do like the idea that Sinister was trying to fill out paperwork and was like, shit, middle name? And just grabbed a baby book like, it's 1982. What's the most popular name in America? Jennifer. And just like puts it down. It was was between Jennifer and Heather. Yeah, like we're just gonna, we gotta do it. We gotta do this right now. I love it so much. I think this is just a case where Chris Claremont sometimes is of a different generation and doesn't think about the optics of these things. That's all. Mm -hmm. 
I agree that that's unfortunate. I think that 616 Madeline would not do that. And <laughs> I just felt the need to grant. It's like, has Madeline Pryor ever done anything wrong? And I'm like, no. And I'm like, actually, in an AU, she posed <laughs> as dust and killed her and stole her niqab. It's funny because, like, you say you don't like, uh, you don't think Madeline would do that. I like Madeline because I think she might. <laughs> I just feel like she'd have a better plan than that. I mean, but I think the expert or so can be so stupid. Stupid what? The stupid what? <laughs> See, they can be so stupid that they just wouldn't notice that like, oh, Dust, why are you so pale? Well, I mean, if you're saying like, does it speak poorly of the X-Men that they don't notice? Absolutely. But that's also very true of like that whole student class. I do feel like Saray is one they probably know better than most. Like there's that great bit yeah. in Second Coming where Pixie <laughs> says to Anol, like, listen, they would let us all die to save Ilyana Rasputin. So don't get it to, like, they do not care about us. And it's like, that is... you're not wrong, kid. Like, you know. <laughs> I mean, that is, it's see. I mean, uh... do you think Cyclops can name most of the kids who blew up in that bus? Because I don't. I don't think Cyclops can name all the cuckoos. I think he's got Esme. He knows <laughs> like, Esme and Sophie, for sure. Mindy, he still calls Mandy. He doesn't remember which one is Celeste and which one is Phoebe. There's no way. Right. No, no way at all. And like, yeah, no, no way at all. I don't think he knows any of his students. He comes by it naturally. Charles Xavier can't name any of those kids. But you know what? I disagree. I think Charles Xavier can name Dust because he's afraid she's going to sue That's him. She's the one because A, he's afraid of the lawsuit. B, he had that moment with her where he was like, oh, I forgot to teach Soraya English. I mean, he doesn't say it, but he got to, he's got to have thought it, right? He must have then taught her English the following day because by the time of Academy X, her English is perfect. She's fine. She's, he must she's have been like, hold that. on, let me tap you on the forehead like I did with Ileana. I completely forgot to do this. I really like this idea of like just Charles being deathly or him and Exodus just being the two people who are just like, sh- yeah, like Exodus oh, this is girl. afraid she's going to rip his lungs out. Charles is afraid she's going to sue. Like- <laughs> Harini Marchati writes. Legend, icon. Iconic legend, Harini Marchati. Mm. Not to big up a 20 year old too much because I don't, <laughs> I don't think we should do that. <laughs> okay. Well, just because, you know, their generation already is like, we're chuji or whatever. I, we don't, you know, they don't like our I, emojis. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what that is. I dislike it. I uh, don't support. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I support this generation. They're the ones who are going to have to like live in the burning husk of earth that our parents oh have created. God. So, you know, God love yeah, them. You know what? You, I'll give them chuji because we took away the rest of the world. We did, yeah. <laughs> well, well, I'm going to say, I'm going to say that the boomers did that. I'm just, I'm not, not to pass the buck, but I really don't think that was us. Anyway, point is, Harini is an icon. Harini is, it, it's been joked, the POV character of the Cerebro Discord. Yes, she's our she kitty pride. she is our, like, kitty or Jubilee, one of those. Love Harini. I love to explain millennial references to Harini. Had to explain <laughs> Poochie to Harini. It made me feel like an ancient skeleton. But you know what? She also explains Gen Z references to us. It's so, true. You know, it's, it's a two-way street. It's helpful. Yeah. So speaking of two-way streets, Harini writes, Hello, Connor and Khalid. Dust is a character I love a lot more in theory than in practice, mostly because I've only read her in Morrison and her most recent appearances in Way of X. The early appearances are fraught for many reasons, and I've gathered this is an unfortunate pattern for Dust. In Academy X especially, it seems a great portion of her story centered around being told she's oppressed by Surge. <laughs> this storyline seems like it had good intent, but it doesn't seem to be well-received at all, perhaps because of the way the narrative legitimizes Surge's argument. Do you think there's a way to handle stories about contemporary prejudices so directly in comic books without it either becoming a very special episode or lending legitimacy to people like Surge who are, sorry, kind of bigoted? 
Is it more progressive mm-hmm. to just have a character from an oppressed and highly politicized minority without having to discourse about it first? Maybe I'm just missing something since I remember almost nothing about the world immediately post 9-11. <laughs> but was it really necessary <laughs> to address... I know, rub it in. Uh, you know what? I don't like you anymore. No, Rudy. I love Rudy. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. But woof, that hurt to read. <laughs> but was it really necessary to address the political discourse about the hijab on page? I apologize for how long and rambling this question has become, Harini. So this is a thing where, yes, you're just too young to remember because mm-hmm. this was a hot debate at the time. And I don't think it would have at all been realistic right. to have this character in the book and not have at least one character say something about it. It should have been Wallflower. Is I the really thing. do think it should have been Wallflower. I think it should yeah. have been a white American character. Mm-hmm. And I think that that character needed to be shown more overtly as like wrong. Right. The takeaway that I get from this story and it's why it sits poorly with me is that it's like, well, they were both wrong to judge each other. And it's like, mm-hmm. Soraya's not judging this. No, girl. she's not wrong. Yeah, she she said something that could maybe construe. Something maybe came out the wrong way, but mostly she's been nothing but respectful and nice to this girl. Mm-hmm. And this girl has been a virulent racist for issue after issue after issue. It's just not, it doesn't work, unfortunately. Yeah, but I, I do think it was necessary to address it because I think if no character mentioned it, it just wouldn't have rung true in 2003. It just would not be possible. Yeah. And in terms of like these stories about prejudice and being a minority within a minority, I think those stories are important. And also they're like deeply tied to the theme of what the X-Men is and what the X-Men are. So, you know, yeah, they just need to keep popping up. It just, uh, just make it relevant and interesting in the story. And we've seen that being done, not to bring up Kamala again, but you know, she's o- the most obvious example. Yeah, no, of course. I mean, that's being incorporated into her life and those issues of prejudice and being a Muslim and, you know, being a superhero are all in there. Absolutely. And it's done very well and it's done in a really interesting way. You know, I think Dust is someone who is very obviously perfectly poised to have these conversations. It's just about finding new things to say. Ron Cutter Asana writes, Dear Connor, I recently found your podcast and I've absolutely fallen in love with it, especially your diatribes on Madeline Pryor and Candy Southern, two <laughs> characters who, as a mid-2000s reader, I'm unfamiliar with. Regarding Soraya, she's one of my favorite of the new class of students. My all-time favorite is Idie Okonkwo. Soraya seems to persist as a fan favorite, while other characters of her class, like Hellion and Surge, practically disappeared. What makes a character with staying power? We've addressed Surge. I think Hellion, mm-hmm. though, as we've mentioned, just got screwed by the advent of Quentin Quire, the reimagined yeah. Quentin Quire that Jason Aaron did, who is basically yeah. just Hellion, but with a more distinctive look. And a funny t-shirt. Yeah, so I yeah. think he just got screwed. And it's a shame because I much prefer Hellion if we're going to- Yeah, I really like characters. Hellion. I re- and also- now that like now that um, he has he the disability angle, he's yeah. interesting to me, and he was never a weird fascist. So yeah, you know, I'd be into. I mean, you could argue that that you could argue that that story with Laura, you know, left things on a bit of a bitter note. But yeah, um, but I think you could save that. I you mean, could, you I think. Yeah. To answer your question, though, I think that you want a visually distinctive look mm-hmm. and you want it to be somewhat timeless i think that surge gets bogged down in her look being very of a specific pop cultural moment mm-hmm. pixie who's also from that anime inspired aughts time has survived much better because like pink hair and wings you can make that look yeah more something general. about the fairy is timeless yeah fairy, whereas you know. like surge is very much like western anime inspired cartoons of the <laughs> early aughts like it's a very specific look with Soraya, she is representationally unique, so she can be someone you can put on a team and it's like, look, mm-hmm. this is an interesting thing to have on the team, this experience. 
But then also the visual is just so good. You can put her, I mean, mm. she is a cameo queen for a reason. You can put her in a million books. Also, she has a very defined point of view that you can then butt up against other characters, which is always right. an interesting thing to do in a team. Yeah, whenever you see Dust in a room, you can, you know who she is, you know, you know. Yeah, and you know that she's going to have a slightly different opinion on the news of the day than the yeah. other characters in the story. Yeah, exactly. Michael Hall writes, hi, Connor and Gus. Thank you so much for doing a Dust episode. I'm so excited for her to get her moment. My question is, so many X characters have been connected to actual world events like Karma with the Vietnam War or Siren with the Troubles. What would you like to see happen to make sure Dust doesn't just become a moment for the post 9-11 world and become stagnant after that? Lots of love and hope you're keeping well. <laughs> so unfortunately, the thing I would say to this is that uh, that moment never ended. <laughs> you know, like karma Not is to laugh at a tragedy, but like but, karma is yeah. in a very specific moment. The war in Afghanistan just theoretically ended mm-hmm. for America, but it's <laughs> like, been like it's shit's still pretty wild over they're there. They're still there, right now. kind of. <laughs> and the fact of the matter is, it's been twenty years. Yeah. So I don't think she ever became dated because, unfortunately. Chaos and unrest in the Middle East is like, yeah, yeah, there have been Afghan refugees for 20 years now. So, Mm -hmm. you know. And also, I think uh, she was never really directly tied with the war in Afghanistan. No, it wasn't said that way ever. Yeah, which I think was great because it allows her to sort of exist as timeless in a way. Yeah, I mean, I just think that she stayed current and unfortunately that doesn't seem like it'll change anytime soon. Yeah. So I don't think you really have to do anything with the character to... (laughs) update her update her like except like we said add some interesting design yeah i'd like to see more variety to her looks because yeah you can have her in traditional garb without it always just being like straight black head to toe you know you can do more stuff with it i mean it's funny because my mother used to design abayas and uh dresses like that so like whatever i see i'm just like she's just wearing the black thing i mean i don't know a lot of little sparkles on it or like a pattern or something you know I need to send you some of the pictures of the stuff that my mother did. It's like beaded all over. Sure, <laughs> like, yeah. It was amazing. Yeah, that's what I'd like to see Dustin. Uh, just a bit. The last time I was in London, I stayed mm-hmm. at this hotel in Marylebone with Hyatt Point. So it was like way nicer than I would have otherwise <laughs> been able to stay in. And I was at like the little breakfast nook on that Regency yeah. floor or whatever. And it was like me and all of these absolutely stunning women <laughs> <laughs> clearly their husbands were like important businessmen who were in yeah. town or whatever and they were all just <laughs> hanging out like having conversations in oh, they're like dressed to the nines the hijabs that. were like bejeweled i was like you could tell right. these are some wealthy people yeah and now soraya is not ostentatious like that necessarily but you could make it more visually arresting yeah i mean sure. modesty fashion is a thing yeah you know that's you know just it's worth exploring and I, I'd listen like there is a whole cottage industry of very fancy wigs for orthodox jewish women which is the same (laughs) concept is like i can't show my uncovered head so i'm gonna wear a really really expensive wig and you're like wait that's (laughs) i mean Uh, i'm supposed to be humble that's pussy but like here's a fucking gorgeous wig so hey i love that yeah no same i'm down for that Sean G writes, greetings to Connor and esteemed guest, Dr. Khalid Anas. I like how many people wrote in to like identify you by name as Dr. Khalid Anas. Every time I say doctor, Khalid is shaking, by the way, like hates it, recent. cringing because like, the PhD wincing. is recent. So he just like winces at that. But that's why I do I'm it. Just like, uh, you I deserve feel, feel... to be called a doctor. You got the fucking degree. You're like Dr. Lorna Dane. Oh my God. Yes. I love that comparison. A PhD queen. <laughs> PhD queen. And I worked for it. God damn it, dad. <laughs> 
I've had a soft spot for dust for a long time, even though I can't really immediately point to any story of hers that I can call great. I love the whole mm. being roommates with Laura concept from late Academy X, especially because literally anyone was better than Surge, but it never really went anywhere. <laughs> I think my favorite moment for the character is when Emma has her defeat a villain by infiltrating his lungs during Messiah Complex. Yes. I think it was Exodus. <laughs> it was, and that ruled. Emma gloats about it, but dust feels a little uncomfortable. This moment gets the two aspects of Soraya I find really interesting. The potential for her power to do incredibly fucked up things and her relationship <laughs> with authority figures like Emma. My actual question is, do you think Dust in the present has been liberated from her need to please authority figures? She certainly seems a lot more confident in Way of X and actively criticizes the authority of Krakoa. Is this the direction you'd like to see your character continue with in the Legionnaires book? As always, love the podcast and thank you so much for making it. All I have to say is, yes, that's exactly yes. what I want her to take. I want her to tell Kurt he's being an idiot. That's what I want. Yeah. Again, to say it again. <laughs> Whenever someone needs to. Because here's the thing about Kurt. He often needs to be told he's being a fucking idiot. Yeah. I mean, that's why I really, I'm saying I really would like to place her next to Storm, you know, in Araco as like some kind of young diplomat under frenzy or something betrayed. So that leads into a question from Sam Guido, mm. who says, Dear Connor and Khalid, in Way of X number four, we saw Soraya fixing up Mars after the Omega's terraform and missed some important steps. I love that scene and thought it was a great way for her to make her Krakoa era debut. It did maybe me curious about what Soraya thinks of Araco, especially now that Storm is in charge and we've seen a little bit more about how their government works. Based on that scene, she doesn't inherently respect mutants with Omega-level power. So what would she think of a society that values strength to that extreme? I'm so excited to learn more about Dust Slash Congregation in this episode and for Khaled to make his Cerebra debut. <laughs> First of all, thank you, Sam. Legend, icon. Sam, we know <laughs> a king, a fellow mod like Khaled of yes. the Cerebra Discord. See, I think... <sighs> I, I like the, the indication that we get is that she finds it somewhat amusing. <laughs> the fact that they're like, well, let the winds come. We'll defeat them. She's like, all right, then I'll just fucking deal with it myself. But I think she'd have an appreciation. I'd really like to see her in Araco because, I mean, like we discussed, it is a culture that seems to be steeped in like the MENA region, like an ancient sort of African tradition. Like it seems to be inspired by Egypt, seems to be thrown in there, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, she has a cultural link to it. You know, I'd like to see her just explore sort of this world. Why I really want to see her there is because on Earth, she's an Agabi woman who's othered. On Iraqo, she would not be. You know what I mean? So I'd really like to see like what her experience when she's being othered as a Krokoan mutant rather than anything else. When that's sort of the way in which her conception of self is challenged. Because I think she's also would be a person who would be interested in reaching out to these people or at least finding out about them. I don't think she's necessarily one of those people who's an isolationist. I think she's careful. But yeah, I mean... I really want her in Morocco. Like, that's what I really want. I just want her to sort of walk around. Just, I want her to connect with like different communities. I want to, I want them, I want to see like how a lot of sort of these teams that we talked about, the fact that she is willing to get violent if, if pushed, the fact that she is often blunt and the fact that she is loyal. I mean, she has a lot of similarities to what we know about Iraqan society, uh, but we also know that she has some very obvious sort of lines that she wouldn't cross that they might in terms of like violence. And so I think she'd be intrigued by Arago, Araco, but I think she'd also, you know, maybe, I don't think she'd be scared of it. I think she'd want to jump in, like explore it. But that's why I want her to be placed as like a, as a junior diplomat under Frenzy. Also, because I just want to see her hang out with Frenzy and Aurora. I think they'd be an interesting mix. 
Havoc Core writes, Hi, Connor and Dr. Nass. Huge fan of the pod. First time writing in. I'm an excellent reader of Middle Eastern descent, Syrian and Lebanese. So I'm a huge fan mm. of Dust, Monet, and even Jetstream. See? Jetstream high rise. <laughs> we need more male I characters. Fasi Chang wrote in asking, where are all the Muslim men? And we agree, obviously. Mm. I, mean, I can't read yeah. every question, but that is absolutely true. <laughs> it's a thing that we need to fix. Yes. Havoc Core continues, Surya certainly has a fan following, but it seems like she's perpetually behind her pink-haired classmates, Quentin Quire and Pixie, in terms of becoming A-list. Although she's been around for nearly 20 years and has over 100 150 appearances. That's over 10 Zaladanes. It seems like she never gets a big push outside of the Academy X stop. A lot of those Academy X kids are in the same boat. I think a cool way to fix this would be to add some younger voices to Krakoa's government. Soraya is always such a rational and thoughtful character. She'd be a perfect choice to lead a junior wing of the Quiet Council. Do you agree? Who else would deserve a spot? Gentle? Indra? Definitely not Surge. Thank you and can't wait to listen. Have it cool. <laughs> I read that one because I think your idea of like giving her a diplomatic role would make a lot of sense. Mm. I also think that that's what maybe the legionaries are going to be to some extent is like social outreach diplomats, but also like caretakers for the society. Like it seems yeah. like she is going to be helping people as congregation. She's uniting all these minds, right? Spiritually. So yeah. I'm hopeful that we will see that because I agree. I think she'd be great at that. Gentle we have seen is helping Aurora up on Araco, which I like. Right. Because he was one of the only students identified. Academy X didn't really focus on Aurora's squad at all, but there was one and he was one of her students. It's been established. Mm -hmm. So I like that bond between them and I, I like that character, Gentle. I'd like to see more with him. So I'm excited to see what he gets up to as like maybe her, is he, I guess he's like her bodyguard up on yeah. Araco, which is cool. Yeah, I mean, in terms of like specifically a leadership position. We never really seen her in a leadership. In terms of like a diplomat, I was thinking um, in terms of outreach, but I'd also like had a thought about uh, being interested. In, I think she'd just given her power, she'd be like a perfect spy, <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean- She had X-Force agent Tommy, the Morlock, should get up to right? some shenanigans together. And that would like, I think, because she is a character with a strict moral code. Ooh, Tommy could turn into like a paper tube and Soraya could turn into sand and be inside the tube and they could just roll <laughs> around as like a, in a, and then they could just like, like unfold and explode suddenly. Like, so that's mutant technology is what that is. Oh, that's cool. I would, I, you know, now I want her an X-Force. <laughs> I know, same. But, well, but Soraya would hate being an X-Force though because she doesn't like killing yeah. people, you know? But I think it would be interesting if she feels like, she has to do it, you know. I kind well, of, she would I, be an interesting character, like Jean. She'd find it to really like, challenging. Sort of conflicted yeah. about it. Yeah. Well, I would again would love to see Soraya and Sage working mm. together. That's where we could yes. get the Sage is Persian reveal. Yeah. Just saying. But I think because she's someone like we talked about, she if she's pushed, she's willing to get violent if she has to. Yeah. I think thinking of X Force's mission there might be a place for her there because, you know, that might not go against any of her moral because she, if she's doing it for like a grander cause mm -hmm. of her people, you know, she might do that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of different places that she can fit in. I mean, she, that's that's the thing, like of what we know about her, of all her characteristics and her history, she can fit into a lot of places and add a really interesting dynamic and layer to that. And she should. And I hope Legionnaires is a good opening step for, you know, uh, Dust Hive to start thriving. <laughs> 
Ramsey Hassan writes, Hello, Connor and Khaledan. As an X-Men fan from a Muslim background, I've always found the portrayal of Muslim mutants very iffy, to say the least. Mm -hmm. But for someone who's as observant as Dust, how do you see her navigating the practicalities of her faith in a Krakoan environment where there aren't many Muslims or mosques, and it seems like it's more of a secular, queer, socialist society? My immigrant parents, like many others, went to find a better life in countries that might clash with their religious beliefs. Do you see a value in depicting that push-and-pull conflict of Surya's mutant and religious identities? um hmm let me think about this well i think that we have to be really careful here because we are dealing with the x line where the metaphor is overcoming prejudice <laughs> and you know overcoming bigotry and finding a way to connect beyond that with each other and with people specifically now with each other right in this era, I think we also need to take into account in terms of the issue of queerness. She has always been in a group with a member, at least one member who is queer. Yeah. And we know like- um, She's never she's had a problem with, with it. She's friends with Mercury. Mm. She's friends with Anole. Like it's not <sighs> a problem. Well, she is, you know? She was on that young X-Men team with fucking Grey Mountain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she was, yeah. Yeah, so I think like those issues, I think she's like chill about that. I mean, I know observant Muslims, especially young mm-hmm. people who have no problem with me being gay. Yeah. I wouldn't want to lean into that. Yeah. Because it's not what we've seen of her. She is not, Noriko accuses her of being this, but Soraya yes. is not a hate the sin, love the sinner kind of religious person. She is right. very much like, I'm worried about me. I'm not worried yeah. about you. I know what I feel is right for me. I don't yeah. care what you do in your life. Right. She loves her friends and I think would defend them. I don't see her as someone who would have a lot of conflicted feelings about Krakoa on that level. I think that she would object to being told to abandon her faith, but I don't think she's Mm -hmm. been told that. I think that if she and Magneto had that conversation about who is a god and all of that, that would be interesting. But I don't think otherwise that she would have problems with that and i think that that's good i think that like would it make more sense for lucinda guthrie to be a racist who doesn't think her son should date a muslim girl from afghanistan yes that would make more sense am i glad that's not the character that lucinda guthrie is also yes because i think it's good to sometimes model what we'd like to see rather than what might be exactly. quote unquote more realistic you know exactly and like uh, like you said i mean she is representing a segment of devout muslim people who only, like you said, only care about, the, about you know living their life in the right way. They don't care about imposing. Like I'm holding myself to a certain set of standards because exactly. I believe that's what's right for me. I'm not putting that on anybody else. Mm. And like those are people who exist. And I think in terms of the X line, to me, it's more valuable to have someone reflect that kind of Muslim woman person who is more interested in finding ways to connect with people despite issues of say sexuality or whatever rather than anything else i think that is what is truer truer to the message of the x-men truer to the to the point of the story really thomas crawford writes hello connor and dr nas i hope you don't get tired of reading these preambles but i wanted to say once again what a beacon of light this podcast and the online community it's created continues to be so i don't get tired of reading them i sometimes do not read them on the air because i get bashful but i always enjoy <laughs> reading them so please do continue to write nice things about me i'm never mad about that (laughs) my question is about soraya's potential new alias congregation while i loved way of x and her role in it it felt a little weird to me that she receives this name rather than choosing her own since self-determination seems like such a large part of dust's character that choice felt odd to me i'd love to hear your thoughts on this do you think the new name will stay once again thanks for all the work to create this amazing podcast and community i personally like the new name 
I do too. I like it a lot. I think it really suits. I mean, it works. I I, I like the fact that it's a religious um, it's an allusion to something religious, but it's also something that's very applicable to many religions. You know, many religions congregate. In English, we refer to Christian congregations, Jewish congregations, and Muslim congregations all mm-hmm. as congregations, right? So it's a good yeah. unifying term there i'm sure other religions too i just don't know like if everybody uses that (laughs) term but certainly all the abrahamic religions do yeah i liked it also because it means a grouping right Mm -hmm. it's legion who gives it to her specifically and legion in this story has finally claimed the name legion as something that empowers him Mm -hmm. rather than as an insult and what he's trying to articulate to Soraya is everyone around you just sees the particulates, like the mm-hmm. cloud that you're making up, but they're not seeing the fact that you bring all those particles together. Right, right. Uh, it's, it's, it's him really telling her you are more than what you think you are, what everybody else thinks you are. I think in terms of her being given the name, I think if she does take it on, we need to see a scene where, you know... Where she claims it for exactly. herself, the same way that he's claiming Legion for himself, yes. even though it wasn't something he chose. Yes, exactly. I like. I have no issue with, like, other people naming characters, because that's, like, a thing with the X-Men. That's a thing you know? with the X-Men. I just... It needs to be something that they mm-hmm. feel good about, you know what I mean? And yeah. I like the parallelism mm-hmm. that it sets up between them, because Legion is an aggregate of minds right like he Mm -hmm. has all of these disparate alters in his head he is as legion a collective and what he's saying to her is you also are a collective but of the body like she makes up her body of all these different things that she brings together i think that he's saying that there's a kinship between them Mm. and that her aggregation of the body enables him to aggregate everyone's minds into the altar in this way so I think that it's nice. It's a nice gesture. It's particularly also, if we think about, as Ali mentioned, and as we mentioned earlier, you know, Legion debuts with a very complicated story in which a Muslim character is one of his alters, but was Mm -hmm. originally a real person because people can be absorbed into the Legion. Right. He ends up becoming his protector in his mind. Yeah. And I think there's something poetic about this Israeli mutant who has mm-hmm. that complicated history yes being the person who reaches out a hand to Soraya and is like together we can create something really important yeah and like really seeing her in many ways is a direct parallel yeah seeing her as like himself and mm-hmm. also saying we can create this non-denominational space that is spiritual for all of us but is not privileging any one religion over any other I mean they're kind of creating a holy land together right yeah that's kind of interesting yeah yeah Especially contrasted with Exodus, who was one of the Christians who went to try and take the Holy Land. You know, like, so... (laughs) Her nemesis, Exodus. Let's never forget. I mean, that's perfect, honestly. (laughs) Literal crusader, Bene de Paris. Exactly. I mean, I think what we're rounding around is saying uh, we are really looking forward to seeing uh, Psy write more interactions between... Yeah, I really want to see more of them talking. And if she takes on that, new mantle i think it would be super cool i do think dust while it does have some religious associations ashes mm-hmm. to ashes dust to dust that i think are cool it always makes me think of like i will show you fear in a handful of dust right right but, uh, i mean it does sound less majestic than something <laughs> like storm for instance you know right. what i mean like, yeah 
or Phoenix. Like it's not, you know, dust <laughs> feels a little it's something bit annoying about it. It's like, oh, should I should I clear it? <laughs> you gotta sweep it up, right? So exactly. I do like the idea of her getting a code name that is as elegant as she is as a yeah. character. It feels like it fits her more than any of the other names that, you know, we've suggested to Rob, we've suggested Sand. <laughs> we've yeah, just... like I think Sand would be a little too... <laughs> it's a bit much. <laughs> it's a bit much, but I, I don't know. I like it. I, I hope it does stick as a code name. Mm. And I hope that if it does stick as a code name, we see her affirmatively choosing it and explaining why she likes it. Yes, yes. I'm completely with you there. She's never been shy about giving her opinion on things. Like, even when she is reserved, like, sometimes she doesn't speak up immediately. But Mm. if you prompt her, she'll tell you exactly what she's thinking. She's one of those people who, you know, uh, just be careful about what you ask her because she will tell you. She will tell you the truth is the thing. Like, exactly what she thinks. (laughs) It's that Cordelia Chase thing. Like, that's always my favorite bitches is, like, people who will just tell you what's up. They're not gonna lie to you. Completely. I mean, that's the reason why, like, you and I like Madeline. We like Emma. Yeah, we like Emma. We like Betsy. (laughs) Yeah, we have issues with Jean Grey because she's not like because she lies to you. That's she lies to herself as well. She likes. She does, and I think that that's what's interesting about her as a character. Yes. Again, like these are all. It's all good. Character flaws are good, right? Yes. Characters without flaws are boring. So it's good to have characters. But it's interesting always to see which personalities you kind of vibe with and which you don't necessarily vibe as much. I mean, since you mentioned sort of flaws, if I could just briefly talk you and Alex up in the Salida episode, because you were talking for a while about Aurora and sort of this fan positioning of really wanting her to be a perfect goddess. Perfect, yeah. To be perfect, which I was really glad to hear both of you talk about how what you really wanted from Aurora, especially now, is an exploration of some of her flaws, of some of yeah, her Yeah, things flaws. that make her human. I mean, that's yeah. what's most interesting to me about any of these characters. Yeah, exactly. I like to, I mean, those things that we love about her, I like seeing them maybe just slightly skewed because, I mean, she's a goddess. She's very proud. She's incredibly powerful. And she's very aware of those facts. My favorite Aurora is when, you know, ego is in there, you know, is thrown mm-hmm. into the mix. She is prideful, you know? And yes. I think that that's what makes her and Emma really interesting as a dyad. Yeah. When they're yeah. put in opposition to each other is because there is a pride to each of them that is very performative and interesting. And there's something mm-hmm. that's kind of like fucked up and human underneath that they don't always want to display. Right. That's why I like Emma, and that's what I like about Aurora. It's why I think Claremont's Aurora is really fascinating, because Mm -hmm. throughout that run, you get these glimpses of the more Mm -hmm. emotional self that she doesn't always let out, because she tries to project this aura of strength and leadership and all of that. But there is something in her that is sometimes wounded and sometimes is She has questions. She questions herself. Or doubting, yeah. Yeah. I love that scene in the Mutant Massacre where she and Callisto mm-hmm. fight in the woods because she yeah. runs off into the woods and Callisto chases after her. Yes. Her realizing, or so she feels in that moment, like, I'm not a good leader. I'm not a real goddess. I'm none of these things. And Callisto being like, yes, you are. Yeah. 
God, that's good. Yeah, I mean, uh, that... <laughs> I like, I think characters at their weakest are often at their most interesting. Yes, I completely agree with you. That's why I've loved this run of Excalibur as a big Betsy fan. Right. It's really nice to see Betsy's flaws. And failing. I like seeing yeah. Betsy failing. Yeah, because now when she's succeeding, it feels like she's really earned it. Right. She's not just cool all the time, which is, I feel like, what Betsy was for so long, especially in Kanon's body, was just like... Mm-hmm. Betsy's just cool and like is going to show up and do a cool <laughs> thing. It's like, who is she as a person though? You know? Yeah. I mean, it's those things. Yeah. Like, like exactly like you said, it's those explorations of the, the parts of those characters that are great, but also the ways in which those things that we love about them can be twisted into becoming things that, you know, are really somewhat toxic at times. Right. You know? Yeah. I love that. I mean, I feel like we were talking about Storm specifically. I mean, the, that's the biggest frustration that we've all sort of had with Storm is that it feels like, She's not really had a story since Claremont left. Right? Well, I think Storm, a lot like Soraya, is a mm-hmm. character that a lot of writers are nervous about touching for fear yes. that they'll do it wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm glad for bold writers. Yeah, I'm, and I'm really optimistic about uh, what Al is doing now. Well, I think Al Ewing is one of the best in the Brilliant. biz. I mean, Brilliant. I, and so far, I really, really vibe with his take on that. Yeah, I'm so, I, I also find it really... Al is also very, very funny. I find it very uh, funny. Yeah. Yeah. I find it really amusing the way um, that she's just stuck in this groundhog day where she's like reliving the same story of her just getting powerless and beating up someone and then doing it all over again. I like the Araco story for her as sort of a corrective to Mm -hmm. the great failure. I've mentioned this before, I think, on the show, but, you know, if you ask Storm what is her greatest failure, she would say it was her failure with the Morlocks. Yes. And in that story, she won leadership of them but didn't really enmesh herself in them Mm -hmm. and kind of ignored them and then they all got murdered (laughs) in this story she is fully enmeshing herself in their culture Mm -hmm. to be the leader that they need to go way back to the beginning of our conversation Mm -hmm. that's a place where her race is really significant to that story the fact that she is the omega level mutant who is black yeah Yes, yes. And is the person who can speak to these ancient African people Mm -hmm. and Middle Eastern people and not come across as though she is condescending to them. Because she's speaking from her multiplicity of experiences. Of her own identities and experiences of being someone from Africa who was marginalized in certain Mm -hmm. ways. Like That's where the metaphor clicks together mm-hmm. whereas if it was emma god lover you know it would come across a certain way if emma was the regent of soul and all of these black mutants were like uh. genuflecting before her it would come across a little whack honestly it, yeah willow callahan writes hello iconic Dustheads. hope i'm in time for the episode <laughs> love that you're continuing the sapphic energy of the last few episodes with soraya because she and laura definitely were vibing in academy mm-hmm. x right Roommates with Laura Kinney could practically be a euphemism for that class. On a more serious note, do you think Marvel would ever take the queer plunge on such a devoutly religious character like Soraya? The vibes are there, and I think it'd be an interesting story to tell, obviously with a queer Muslim writer who could lend their own voice to Soraya. Uh Secondly, when will Monet stage a fashion intervention for this girl (laughs) and give us the modest shopping montage we all deserve (laughs) to see with these two baddies? Love you awesome nerds and forever lurking in the Discord. Well... Second point, we agree. Intervention in the sense of like, you've just been wearing the basic black fabric yeah. for 20 years now. We need to <laughs> glitz this up a little bit. Let's add some glitter to that sash. Yeah. <laughs> you know, some gold accents, something. Yeah. 
maybe some silver if you're feeling silver at that moment. Like just, I, I think so, sometimes lately she's had like bracelets that are cute. I really like the bracelets. I've liked I, I those. Like I think that's a cute look. But yeah, I think, I mean, honestly, I just want to see her and Monet interacting, period, because I don't think we ever have. Right. No, we've never seen that. And um, stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know that you have thoughts on that. I have thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean we've not seen But that would be a great uh, Marvel's Marvel, Voices yeah. story. It sure would. Yes, yes. <laughs> With regard to your first question, I agree that Laura and Soraya have that like very mm -hmm. Kitty and Ileana Claremont roommates kind of vibe. <laughs> the, the way that Soraya and Serge definitely do not. No. <laughs> but I personally think it would be a mistake to do mm -hmm. that with this character. Not that it wouldn't be really cool to have a queer devout Muslim character mm -hmm. because it would. Yeah. But I think this character already shoulders so many representational burdens that I right. think putting another intersecting identity on top of her would really overburden this character in terms of yeah. all the things that she already has to represent to so many people. Mm -hmm. I say, again, to go back around, bring Jetstream back. Make him gay. And let Jetstream be the gay king of Morocco, as far as I'm concerned. Please do it. I mean, uh, I, we've seen him dressed in those fabulous thobes. You know, he's... he's, he's yeah, like he's he has a chic style. Yeah. He had that teenage gay anchor going as well, you know? <laughs> yeah, I feel like you could absolutely do that. And that would be a way to bring in a mm -hmm. queer character from a Muslim background without it also being the one really observant religious Muslim right. and the one Muslim woman in niqab. Like, I yeah. just think that it would be a lot. <laughs> it would be. Yeah, I think be. that it would be sort of unfair to the character to make her pick up another box to put yeah. on her shoulders, you know? I'd be afraid that she would immediately just, like, fall into obscurity. Just disappear, just because, yeah, like, talk lot. about a character that now everyone's afraid to run, right? Like, you <laughs> know, like, I just think that might be a little bit too much. Yeah, but in general, I do, I am one of those people who... Uh, just automatically thinks that the majority of X-Men are I queer. think all X-Men basically are queer except for like Dazzler. So, you yes. know, like, because Dazzler wishes that she was even a little <laughs> bit queer. She's like <laughs> Natasha Lyonne in interviews like, I'd do great if I was. Yeah, she keeps kissing girls at clubs and being like, mm, no, not still not into it. <laughs> Allie and Betsy have made out so many times because every time, ever since the Outback, Allie's just like, maybe this time, maybe this time I'll be dykey, but she never is. Maybe this time I'll gay. I'm gay, but she never is. Like it just never happens. For her, I unfortunately, like, I like to think of Rachel in the background being like, "Is it happening? Is, can, it can happening? We, is, is, is this is this happening? Is it?" <laughs> Allie is an ally. Let us say every other X Men character, I think, is it like at least you know a Kinsey two or three. So yeah, except for no, except for Hank. I, oh I no, there are there are other exceptions. No, that's true. <laughs> Hank, Hank, we don't claim. We cannot claim. I also refuse to claim. I'm sorry. I don't Ditto. care. I don't care what Latter-day characterization would imply. <laughs> that man is straight and I reject any we other interpretation. We choose to think of the pink hair as appropriation. It is the gay it? delegation <laughs> has met and we say the nay. We say nay. <laughs> Last question. Luke Ruddick writes. Icon. Icon. Dear Cerebro and esteemed Dr. Nass, <laughs> what songs are on Soraya's Spotify favorites? And this is a question for Ooh. you because I don't know any of the music that she would be listening to, like certainly in Arabic, like that's right. out of my... What would you have for an English suggestion? What do you think? 
Well, we know she's not listening to whatever the fuck Surge was listening to because that was <laughs> annoying. It was like, yeah, that was like 2001, probably like a pop rock. That was like Avril Lavigne B-side. <laughs> yeah, I could see her being into like a SZA moment. Oh, yeah, I see that. Chill vibes, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, very like uh, alternative R&B maybe. Yeah, like yeah. I could see like an Emily Sunday moment Ooh, for yeah. Dust. Do you know... There is this Malaysian singer-songwriter called Yuna. Do you know Yuna? No, I don't. She is this R&B singer-songwriter from Malaysia. She's hijabi. She um, has four albums. They're all wonderful. And they're, they're all like chill R&B meets poppy vibes. I think That sounds Raya, fun. It's really good. I th- is it English language or is it in... That's English language, but she also has mixes in, you know, a couple of... Very cool. Some Malaysian in there. Who else? I think, <laughs> well, when preparing for this episode, my hype up song uh, that I've decided for some reason is Soraya's song is Tuned In by Megan Thee Stallion. By Megan Thee Stallion. <laughs> well, here's the thing about Megan Thee Stallion. Megan Thee Stallion would absolutely 1000% support Nikabi Hotties. Like, yes. Megan Thee Stallion is exactly the Emma Frost kind of person who Soraya would vibe with because it's yeah. like, you go do your thought shit. I'm over here in my full veils. Mm-hmm. And we both think that the other person is cool and valid. Yeah, I feel like Soraya would love Megan. I think she'd just be tickled by her. <laughs> yeah, like amused. Yeah, and who else? There is this Syrian artist. She is a vocal diva. Her name is Asala, A-S-A-L-A. I recommend everybody just to rush to YouTube and look up a song by her uh, called Asfa, A-S-F-A. I'm on it as soon as we finish recording. Please, I, I think you'd love it. It's like this. Um... And also, here's another thing about Arabs that I think not many people like to acknowledge but i'm just gonna expose us right now arabs love a ballad <laughs> every Ar- arab loves a ballad and they love a good like vocal diva moment oh at least i'm generalizing this is me I'm who doesn't about me. <laughs> i love him yeah is like i mean the- i always say that jews and arabs are cousins and yes. i mean we love a barbara streisand number oh my so god who am yeah. i to judge anybody we just I mean? broke we just broke into maybe this time i mean <laughs> come on yeah no we did we just had a liza <laughs> moment only seconds ago so <laughs> truly yeah. but yeah asala i think she would definitely listen to her that that the song asfa she's basically the lyrics translated loosely are uh she's saying i'm sorry i refuse to ever uh kato to the will of a man love that yes that's very Soraya, honestly. Yeah, that's very the vibe. And like, she is wailing. She's doing that. That If you know any any kind of Arabic music, she's doing that sort of melismatic vocals. You know, she's giving you run. She's giving you like everything. That's a bob. I think also, this just popped into my head. I think she'd probably also listen to Mashru Layla. Oh, yeah. Mm. Hamid Sino is so hot. So hot. Um, and they have this song with And Mercury's- also like very important. Like, I'm just, I'm just like, <laughs> very important activist, but also like, God, he's so hot. I- I think he'd appreciate uh, knowing, that. <laughs> <laughs> knowing that the first thing you went to was like, you're, you're, you're like really hot. And it's true. <laughs> oh man, he's gorgeous. But, uh, so gorgeous. They have this song with um, Hercules and Love Affair mm-hmm. called Are You Certain? Which is an amazing song. And yeah, I think she'd just be generally into Meshulela. They have, if you don't know them, look up their album. They're, they're a Egyptian Incredible Lebanese queer band. Egyptian Lebanese band. So cool. So cool. They're amazing. Have been like really censored and attacked. They're very queer. Um, yeah. Their music is very queer. Their music is... It's beautiful. I mean, that, that's it's just good. They're worth looked them up, Mashu Layla. They're fantastic. Yes, do that, do that. It's, it's my plug for everything uh, whenever yeah. I can. 
Jetstream would absolutely, our Jetstream <laughs> that you and yes. I have now created would absolutely We're collabing, We're collabing at a Jetstream book. On a gay just... Jetstream <laughs> miniseries? Yes, let's do it. Let's do it. Well, Khalid, is there anything else you'd like to say about Surya before we start Ooh. to wrap? What is there to say about Surya? Mm, she is the sister I never had. She is <laughs> the mother I always wanted. Um, I don't know a better person. Well, there you have it. Khalid, why don't you tell the listeners where they can follow you online and plug anything you want to plug? If you want to find me online, you can head to my Twitter. It's also perp, A-L-S-O-P-U-R-P. I'm very online, so you'll find my... Um, <laughs> I am very You alive. will locate him. <laughs> you'll look at me. You'll find me screaming about some nonsense, usually comic-related or TV-related. If you were interested or you're interested piqued by anything I said in terms of Arab representation, identity, um, that is largely what my research is about. So if you head to my website, which is also purple.com, there will be a link. Also, and then purple the color. Also yeah, purple.com. Purple, also purple. Don't ask me why these are the names that I chose. And this happened when I was 16 years old and I just stuck with it. Now it's a brand. <laughs> Purple's my favorite color. Me so. too. <laughs> Me too. Um, so you'll find on that website a link to a chapter, an adapted chapter for my thesis, which I'm quite proud of. It discusses some of the topics that we covered here, specifically the topic of religion online in conversations that I had with Arab men have sex with men. And it's considering um, their relationship with religion, the way in which it's being incorporated into their everyday lives and I think most interestingly the way in which in these conversations and these findings sort of that sprang out of them run counter to a lot of the stereotypical narratives that we have become accustomed and familiar with when we think about the topic of religion and uh, Arab people and Islam and the Gulf states uh, so you'll find that there if you are interested in more of my ideas about Surya, also head to my website or Twitter and you will find a comic book that will hopefully release when this episode comes out. It is a little story about Surya's first day on Krakoa or a character much like Surya's first day on Krakoa. <laughs> a legally distinct <laughs> character. No, I mean, I listen, I think that fan comics are a great way for you mm. to get out there. You look at Steph Williams. She did that yeah. Heroes fan comic that was incredible. And Parenthood Activated. Yeah, and now she's writing Nubia and the Amazons and it fucking whips. It does. I love Steph. Friend of the pod icon such an inspiration she's also one of the people that helped me fund the final couple of years of my phd i didn't know that he did yeah it was when i so the final few years where i just ran out of money and i couldn't pay for it i had to go do go, go fund me online and she was one of the first people that retweeted me sent me words of support wow i owe her a lot and i love her so dearly and i'm so proud of her and she's such an inspiration um, just the stuff oh she's she gonna be a star i mean star, you can already tell a superstar star i i just love her so, so pick up newbie in the amazon please if you haven't do. yet from dc it's steph mm -hmm. williams friend of the pod and vita ayala friend of the pod although vita yes. has not been on the pod but like is a friend of the pod because <laughs> i decided that they're a friend of the pod <laughs> and um i'm also working on uh Plug the artist. I remember you're working with an artist who you grew up with. Yes, my best friend from childhood. Her name is Fatin Kambar. She is self-taught. She's amazing. She's just fucking amazing. Also from Bahrain. Also from Bahrain. Also, um, she did this comic book with me while she was like 
in the final sort of stages of her pregnancy. Oh, wild. You're right. Then she gave birth to her daughter, her first child, and that just like continued working with it because she just was like as passionate about what we were doing. And um, we created something. She just sent me the final pages now. And I think we created something really beautiful. And um, I'm really excited to share it with the world. So that's the story. story. Well, I'm really excited to see it because you know I'm behind your upcoming rise. <laughs> In the world of comics, we're going to make this happen, you and hopefully, I. Hopefully, hopefully. Yeah, I, 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 I feel like, yeah, I'm like rooting for both of us. I really want us to do I think that. you're, I think we're going to, yeah. <laughs> and um, I'm also working on another comic, a web series that will hopefully come out around March. It's called Candles. And the basic story is queer circle of friends find themselves at a gay club in a night that is simultaneously the most beautiful and also the most uh, tragic for them uh, in a way. It's sort of looking at these ideas of queer utopianism as practice, queer spaces at their most beautiful and their most hostile and sort of thinking about these potentials that we imagine for each other uh, as queer people and in that way also the potentials we imagine for ourselves. And yeah, I'm really excited about it. And I've also just had a project launch with a charity in the UK called Brooke. Um, we just launched a report a couple of days ago that is talking about LGBT plus youth and questions of equity and safeguarding. And uh, we did a bunch of focus groups with a bunch of young people and really trying to think about the thing and really compiled a report that discusses the things that they need, their experiences on the online space, and the way in which we can start building up a system that is able to support them in these online spaces uh, when they might not have support elsewhere in their home lives. And I'm really proud of that. Great. Well, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Everybody should check all of that stuff out. Khaled, thank you so much for being my guest. This was a lot of fun. Oh, I have one more thing I forgot to plug. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, go for it. No, it's all right. Go on. No, what is it? Go for it. Oh, it's just that that also on my website, if you are interested in more of my babbling about superheroes, you will find an article about telepathy and race in comic books and who gets to be a telepath and who doesn't. Not the Astrid Bloom discourse. Mm. Stop pitching, trying to force me (laughs) to an Astrid Astrid Bloom Bloom episode. episode. When she comes back, when Ashley and I get to write Giant Size X and Emma and Astrid, then we can finally do an episode. Okay, this is you just putting me off. She needs so a never. full Zaladane. <laughs> true, That's true, the true. rule. One thing what I really want to say to you specifically is I really want to thank you for building this space for us to congregate. Mm. It's been, I mean, I've never really had a fandom that I've really felt like I belonged with and it's been really nice to be a part of it and also getting to know you as well and becoming friends with you which like is completely unexpected yeah (laughs) I mean it was it was it was random but like I feel like we vibe yeah pretty early on and I I mean thank you it's been really lovely to get to know you I I never expected that starting this thing mm-hmm. was going to create so much mm-hmm. for me and for other people. So I, it's just, I love seeing it grow. I love <laughs> talking to people about it. I mean, it's, it's, it's wild. And also I want to say that like, aside from just really rooting for you and being really excited for the things that you're doing, I'm just, I'm just really proud of you, which is, I think, because <laughs> no, I'm just so no, proud of No, thank like, you. I'm, I'm blushing, but like, I, you know, I, I just, I really appreciate it. 
this was like a leap of faith for me to do Good. this show. And keep this and... in the episode. I want people to hype you and okay, say you love that. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I will keep this in the episode. Good. Um, you caught me because I would have cut it. Because I would have been like, no, I can't. But no, no you know everybody... what? That's really... Everybody That's send really Connor sweet. some love online. Thank Connor should be credited alone for making X Twitter a much nicer place for so many of us. Well, I mean, I try. So much nicer. You made my timeline something I actually look forward to seeing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I well, and thank you for being mean to people in the Discord when we need a mean mod. I appreciate that. It's my job. I can't step in, but you know what? It's good <laughs> that we have a mod team. I said to a pro in the business who was just mm. like, a social media is a nightmare. I was like, that's why I'm only in my Discord server <laughs> that I don't moderate. I have <laughs> incredible people moderating it. I just get to hang out, which is great. <laughs> and y'all be nice, Discorders, anyone coming in, y'all better be nice or I'll get on you. Because remember, I am the mean mod. And it's I true. love I love using my power to kick and ban everyone I can. <laughs> Give me a reason. Give me. I'm like dust that way. I'll flay you alive. <laughs> you could just flip on a dime and just to rob everyone's just flay. <laughs> to rob. <laughs> to rob, baby. Y'all like your hands? Great. Be nice. Be good. Be Type nice. Good things. Be good to one another. <laughs> you can follow Cerebro on Twitter and Instagram at Cerebrocast. You can follow me on Twitter at Dream of Organon or on Instagram at Connor Goldsmith. You can find all of the episodes plus links to the Patreon, the Discord server, and the merch store at Cerebrocast.com, the official landing page for the podcast. You can send your questions to Cerebrocast at gmail.com. We are currently taking questions for Sauron with my dad, Jim Goldsmith. And I'm excited. <laughs> Dr. Valerie Cooper with Pinch Hitter Guest. Patrick Sullivan, yes. who will be joining me because Zach Rabarov had to pull out due to a personal oh. thing going on. So everybody send some love to Zach, who is mm. the best. But Patrick suggested, perhaps, during the Mystique episode, which we yeah. did, if you go back, if you're a newer mm. listener, go back to the Mystique episode with Patrick Sullivan. It's a hoot and a half, mm -hmm. much like Celine. <laughs> the... Uh, the, but in Can it, I just say, whenever you say the name Celine, my mind immediately goes to Bebo, 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 Because <laughs> I hear that in the background, the, the opening <laughs> intro of Babylon. <laughs> it's, you know, ancient city style, always. In that episode, we were like, what should we do if you want to come back? He was like, we could do an episode on the bitch Val Cooper. And I was like, ooh. So I think it's going to be good. We've all been waiting for that episode since like episode one. Yes. And Zach Rabaroff will return when his schedule permits. But for now, please send your questions about Sauron or Dr. Val Cooper if you so choose. Next week's episode will feature Dr. Stephanie Burt, Harvard professor of English, who will be returning to the pod to talk about Warlock. I am excited about that. I'm excited about all of the things to come. December slate will be announced soon once I get some ducks in a row. <laughs> if you would like an ad-free experience and some bonus episodes, get over to patreon.com slash rebrocast mm -hmm. for $5 a month at the House of Zaladane tier. All of that can be yours. Can confirm it's worth it. <laughs> I like to think so. And until next time, everybody, thank you for listening and bye. Bye-bye. X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, evil mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. The only hope is 